that let's go ahead and get started. Are we all ready? Yep. All right. Uh, welcome to the uh, Lawrence Douglas County Planning Commission Commissioner Orientation. This is uh, an annual process, maybe loosely annual, but it is a public meeting. Um, and because of that, and because we're a hybrid mode, I'm going to ask Drew to walk through the Zoom instructions. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Commissioners. My name is Drew Bilby, Planner with uh, Planning and Development Services. I will be helping facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. Um, I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and ch cable channel 25. Please remember to, remute, to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll be still, you still will be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people and turn off individual videos to minimize distractions. Thank you. Very good. We have a full day um, and a, honestly, a, a really solid agenda. Um, Becky's been working her brains out um, over this, uh, on this for the last uh, um, several weeks. Um, and I think we've got a very, very rich day. It is like, like all meetings like this, um, as good as what we put into it the interaction that we have, the questions that we ask, the, um, the, the, to take advantage of the expertise that we have in the room. Because we have our city and county's um, leaders lined up all day long with us, starting this morning with, um, with our very own Jeff. Um, I think um, that uh, either Jeff or Becky has uh, maybe some prepared welcome before we jump in. I'll just to say, kind of usual, is thank you all for taking the time to spend a whole day with the planning staff. We really appreciate it. We know it's not a, an easy lift or a you know, small endeavor for the calendar. So we really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we hope to make this a day that you get a lot out of and, and have a lot of experience or interactions with things and ask questions maybe you've been wanting to know more about as we've been going on. So just that's really it. And, you know, kind of the thing that we always want to start with on one of these is, um, Got the, the whiteboard here. Is there does anybody want to just put out there, you know, what your hope is to get out of today? What is like if you if you're one or two things you really want to get from today and from the discussion, we'd be happy to keep those up there so we can make sure that we get them. I'm excited about one of the questions we have for um, city and county commissioners and, and their expectations of the planning commission. Expectations are higher. What do they look for from us to make their decisions easier? Really excited to hear the conversation around that. I would echo that, that I'm very interested in hearing what the commissioners city and county have to say. We're always interested in the coma presentation. <laughs> you, you will be spared and Randy will be here to give that one and it won't be me. So uh, four. Harry County, this will be 17. Jim's had 17. This will be 17. At some point, we may have a quiz. It's <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, a couple of detail things that I, that I was just thinking, looking through the agenda. Uh, like if at some point, maybe under legal issues, and there might be something that comes up about the petitions 
that's come up a couple of times. I got an email about a petition once and uh, there's one coming up in the packet. And I just am curious about the process uh, and how if we get questions from the public about that, how that works, because I didn't feel like I was able to answer uh, a request for information on that. Maybe tangential to that, um, I think I mentioned this yesterday, but I'll just say it out loud, but um, deeper dive into into the types of, as we talk about the types of things that we do, where where we are, the final say, when we're not the final say, I think there's been a little bit of, uh, a little bit of confusion about that in the past. So get into that, I suppose, when we get into types of meetings. <laughs> That's definitely one of the questions I'd sure like to have answered before we get to the end of the day. I, I have a, a thing that um, I've thought about a few times. If uh, I'm in the minority on a vote, I I don't think I have been yet, but but if I am, um, how how do we communicate to the to the next to the commissioners that come after us um, that you know there's other other than just saying that we voted differently, is there a way for us to get that on the record that you know we we disagree because of this or that? And it's a very very good question. Uh, yeah, just covered. <laughs> I think that's an important point. Yeah, because yeah. If there is any LDC update, any more new information about the land development code update, be great to know. Yeah. I well, I just want to keep up with that. Even if it means we thought about having a meeting sometime in the future. <laughs> you think of anything throughout the day too, you want us to add to the list. Some of this, you know, we'll check back at the end of the day to see if we've answered these questions or if there's anything still remaining. And so we might be thinking about those if there's things that are remaining, those could be potential mid-up topics moving forward. So even if it's not on the list now, think about if something comes up and you want me to add it to the list, just let me know, I'll pop up and- yeah. What is the smart code? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, don't make me put this in. <laughs> it's a mythical, mm -hmm. it's a mythical code. <laughs> Like, Not so much for next Wednesday. I know, I know. It just it came, it came. Cool. Darn yes. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Shall we move on? Certainly, it's a little bit ahead of uh, ahead of time. Something tells me we're going to fill that. Good morning. Hey, Chelsea. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. 
Well, I need to be in front of it. Okay, or yes. perfect. Nope. Nope. Perfect. So before we we were just about ready to step forward, and I'm just kind of putting you on the spot without much time to think about it. We've just gone through an exercise where we try to pull out questions that might be on our mind that we want to make sure are answered. You don't have to have it today. If it comes up as we go along throughout the course of the day, you can holler. We can get it on the whiteboard. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Steve. Good morning. I think I have any questions yet on the top of my head. I probably will. I think my main thing is like, how does this work? How do you know what questions you come up with? Like just watching everybody's process. I know everyone's process like is different. I can tell, but like what is each person's yeah. kind of, that's probably where I'm at. It's just kind of like, what do you guys do to prepare? <laughs> what should I be doing? So thank you. Hey, Steve, welcome. Um, thank you. Just to say this again, we, uh, we just finished uh, an exercise um, looking to understand questions that people might have. They want to make sure they get answered by the end of the day. You don't have to pull that out right this minute, but as they as it comes up, just keep it in mind. I want to make sure that we get it on the board if it's not uh, already covered. So Very good. This is uh, today's an opportunity with um, our community's leadership, with um, the leaders of planning staff, um, and. Uh, these days are as valuable as we make them, right? With this sort of an opportunity for us to to get with them, to, to, to answer all of our questions, to really dive deep. So please take advantage of that. Um, there's a lot of presentations throughout the course of the day. Please, let's make them all interactive. I'm sure the presenters would like that as well, all right? So with that, we're gonna move on to our first topic, the introduction to planning um, that uh, Jeff is going to lead us on. Hi, some very interesting sharing of screens here. Hope this works out well. Good to pop up here. So I will be completely honest in this. This is a presentation that I tend to give to people that are running into planning for the first time. And so this is people, they ask us, you know, what is planning? What they have you know, coming at it from a very... I've never seen the planning commission. I've never, I don't know what you're doing. What is it? So this is a little bit of a high level thing, but I'm going to try and take some of these a little deeper than what I would normally do. And so we'll try to kind of go through it, but a lot of this, you're probably going to be like, yeah, uh, yeah, very aware of this. I know exactly what we're doing in the past, but so don't worry. It'll, it'll move along, I think, pretty well. Don't assume that we will know. That's <laughs> right there. <laughs> absolutely no idea. <laughs> it is absolutely okay to stop being inside and ask questions. So the minute you have it, feel free to ask it. Um, I don't have the memory that can hold it to an end of a PowerPoint, so I am 100% on board with something right here. So, um, you know, planning is really about the way that you look at cities. And the easiest way I can describe it is the way you see it on the board. It's always looking at it in terms of the long view. So not, you know, maybe the project five minutes from now, but what does it look like five years from now, 15 years from now, 25 years from now? But it's also to make sure that when you do these kind of things, it is a community-wide viewpoint. So we talk a lot about a project, a corridor, a neighborhood, whatever it happens to be. But what you're really talking about in planning is how does it affect the city? How does it affect the whole county? How does it affect our region in the way that we're having these conversations? And the easiest kind of metaphor that you can think of with planning is it's like a pond. If you throw a pebble into it, those ripples are going to continue out for quite a while. And so the size of the rock you throw dictates the size of the ripples you get. That's planning. So if you're talking about a small variance, 
probably small pebble. If you're talking about a large development, probably chucking a boulder. And so the easiest way to think about it is nothing ever stays contained. It doesn't stop typically at the city limit line. It doesn't obey those political boundaries in the way that we think about it. And so if the county makes a change, that can affect the four cities inside of Douglas County. If one of the cities makes a change, that could affect the other cities and Douglas County. So it just depends on what we're talking about at that stage. But it's really, it is a very fluid and dynamic process. It is never consistent from month to month, from day to day, from year to year. And I think we've all seen that in the last few months is the planning we would have done this time last year before Panasonic was a known commodity is probably different than what we're talking about now. What we knew before the Great Recession in 2006 is not the same as what we did after the Great Recession in 2009. So there is no hold true continuity to things. You want to hold true to plans, you want to hold true to visions, but you have to be willing to go, that is not the condition that we're seeing, that is not what the world is asking about. And there's a lot of things that you run into that are effects and beyond your control. And one of the ones you see frequently right now is affordable housing and the conversations about that. Mortgage rates are probably, and I didn't look this morning before I came in, they're probably pushing up of seven right now. Seven is what they said on the radio. Yeah. At this time last year, it was about 285. So that changes the way things go about it. The other one that's out there that we have no impact on is the way that insurance companies want to behave. So will they or will they not insure something? How do they want to do that? It, it, are they willing to take a, a leap on a property because it's mixed use? There's a lot of things out there that we can't control. And so what we look at is trying to find out is with those text amendments, the comprehensive plan amendments, the conversations like we have today is, are things affecting our vision that maybe we need to change our game plan about how we get to where we want to go to? So it is forever changing in the way that we talk about it. The other thing we do with planning, it's really the part that you see the most. It's choices and possibilities. There is no definitive set. It must be this way in the way the world works. And you can hold true to some things maybe longer than you want for others. I think a comprehensive plan amendment is a great example of it. There are probably some things that the three bodies, you included, with the county and the city commission, would say these are principal tenets of what we want to do. We are going to hold steadfast to this. There may be some others that as time evolves, we ebb and flow a little bit. We recognize this. Yes, we don't want to lose this, but it is for a greater gain here. Or it's a conversation about, you know, if we make this choice, how does that affect a choice we would like to make later on down the line? And as much as I hate to do this, I will always put my dad in this instance. When you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. So be aware of what you're saying yes to with no's. And so it's a very hard thing to do in planning because it's, can go any number of directions, it can go forward, it can go backwards, it can freeze in time. And so that's what you do when you're doing planning is you're understanding what are those possibilities, what are those things that you're doing, but you're always keeping in mindful if you don't want to have a desperate impact on an area, you don't want to have an equal impact on parts of the community. So we always try to be as equitable and try to make everything kind of mitigate those as best we can. And I think it's fair to say we live in the real world that is not always possibility sometimes, but always to be cognizant of that, you know, equity, that that real effect that goes on in the community is very important. And what the planners do, the conversations they have, even before it lands on, on your desks for review and conversation, it's, they've had a lot of conversations over the months before they hit you about what are those 
equity issues? What are the impacts? What does the community want? What is the small focus, the large focus, the regional focus as part of those conversations? So that's kind of what planning is in a very philosophical way and the way that we kind of treat it. And why do we plan is for all the many things that you have seen on your agendas. Um, I, I put this up here. I always have to preface it. This is not an exhaustive list. There is for every one of these that made the screen, there's another hundred behind it. And so these are the ones that you tend to hear a lot about. And what I did over the years was went back and I looked at all the agendas and all the notes that I'd ever taken. And said, what are the topics that came up the most? What are the ones that we frequently hear about all the time at that staff as uh conferences or you know anything that I talk about with planning. And these are the ones that we tend to hear a lot about. And I think you probably recognize a lot of these from your time with the planning commission. If you've been here for a couple of weeks or months, or if you've been here for six, eight, 10 years, it's, these are the things we tend to see. But really the specific things we talk about is you're talking about coordinating long-term investment. You're talking about anticipating contingencies. What are those things that happen if there is a disaster, if we have a, a natural environment disaster? But the other side of that coin is, are we positioned to take advantage of opportunities that may land on our desk that we're not aware of? Some that we may know and some that we may not. So are we positioned well to do those kind of things? Are we promoting growth while protecting those valued aspects of our community? Because it's very clear in the conversations we've had in the comprehensive plan is, the community wants to grow and recognizes there's a need for that, but it's at certain levels. You don't want to do it at the expense of other things. So you see that in the mission and the vision discussion in plan 2040 and in plans. Um, it's also just to coordinate all the things we talk about, land uses, transportation, utilities, infrastructure, the whole nine yards that come on with that. It's also just making sure that we're in lockstep with the state and federal regulations that we have to meet with. So you'll be hearing a little bit of this later on today, probably a couple of times is there are portions of the code that you run into, you cannot control. They are controlled by the state, they're controlled by the Supreme Court, they're controlled by the federal government. They are, they are, and that is it. And we try to always make you kind of put those in the staff reports to make you aware of this is not, this is coming from someone else. Because there's a lot of times people think it's you that are imposing this on somebody or it's staff that is doing this, but oftentimes it's because of something else that's occurring. And so kind of being aware of that planning, what we think of it as being a local item has very strong influences at a lot of different levels that we are not in control of. And the other part of it is, is really is just to fairly distribute the benefits and the burdens that we talk about as part of planning commission. And you hear that all the time with a lot of your discussions, but it goes back to that equity is that there's always going to be things that somebody in the community needs, or there is something that people would like, making sure that those are in the spots where it's for everybody and not just all in one part of town or in one aspect or in, in one corridor. So big part of what we talk about. And the good part here, since I already alluded to it, um, a lot of what you do is dictated by statutory authority. And so that all comes from the good old fashioned police powers. And you hear Randy kind of talk about this a little later on today. All zoning laws are affected by that is the public health, safety and welfare. So that is the touchstone for all the regulations that we bring to you, all the conversations that we have. It all comes back to that. And it's fair to say is um, 
I'll quote some uh, former planners that I know here is, this makes it feel like a full contact sport. It's like you go into this and it feels like you're you're going to get, you know, like you're in an NFL game. You're not sure where the linebacker's coming, but you know you're going to get hit. And that's that's by design. That is the messy part of a democracy. It is to have these conversations, to have these conflicts, to have these tough moments, because that's how you learn. That's how we grow. It's also how we share the work that we do. And these things have impacts. And I always tell people, I always have to explain this, but I think you all will get this. Impacts are not just property values. They are noise. They are lights. They are dust. They are hours of operations. They are traffic. They are property values. Those can come into those things. So that is part of what that health, safety, and welfare comes to. So when you look at the conditions you see on a special use or a conditional use permit, or if you're looking at the way that a rezoning is moving through the golden factors, that touchstone the staff is always coming back to is that health, safety, and welfare component. And the one thing we spend a lot of time talking about, because um, I, I feel like I always need to mention this because it just needs to go, is the planning is a, is a joint city-county effort. And so it's um, planners will have the Lawrence KS email because of however technology, I don't understand, but that's the way the technology works. But it's a joint office. So who does this department kind of plan for? Who do we work for? Who do you all represent? You represent 90% of the people that are in Douglas County. 80% of them happen to be in Lawrence, about 10% of them happen to be in the rural areas, but it's 90% of the county that you really interact with as part of your role as planning commission. So it's, you know, kind of go down the number. Then people always ask, what about the other three? And so I've got that because you all know me and I'm a data nerd. Eudora makes up 5.2%, Baldwin makes up 39 and Lecompton is 0.5% of the population. So, but we don't let that kind of stop the work that we have, even though that they're not in the purview of the commission, they don't do that. We also want to make sure that we're cognizant of that other 10% on a daily basis, because what we do can ripple into their, their work and their efforts. So, one of the resolutions from 1980 the county adopted required you to have a joint meeting with those planning commissions if something is within three miles of them. So that's why you see those joint meetings between Baldwin and Eudora. It doesn't mean that they have to meet, but if they would like to meet, you can have a meeting where both of you are at a quorum, have that discussion, and can have that conversation with both commissions watching and listening. So if Eudora sees a concern and is expressing something, you're aware of it and you can take that into account. Or if you're seeing that, they can be aware of it and take that into account too. Because again, these things do not stop at political boundaries. They will continue on and go a lot further than, than what we think about. Is it uh, anything inside their city limits we, we won't see? Is that correct? Correct. <clears throat> and do we see any annexations that they might make? You will not see their annexations. They could, could annex all the way up to Lawrence's Assuming the city county commission would allow it, they could they could annex all the way up to Lawrence's east boundary, and we would never see it. it potentially, yes. And the thing with state statute is, is that cities are very limited in how and can they go through the annexation process, and that could be an entire day on its own. So I won't go okay. too far down the rabbit hole, but just to say is that all annexations in the state of Kansas are controlled by the same state statute, and there are very strict limitations of based upon who initiates the application. If it's initiated with the landowner, it's called a consent annexation and the rules change. If it's initiated by a city, it's called a unilateral annexation. And there are very strict limits on how and when and what has to occur for an annexation to stay on ground. And there's a couple of other 
uh, different versions of it, but everybody's got to follow the same rules by state statute on anti gestures. Thank you. Unilateral, that's the one that triggers the city has to provide the infrastructure within five years. Yes, we have to provide, I might not get the exact right, we have to provide the infrastructure plans, the timing, the funding, and the details of construction at the time of unilateral. And then it gives us, I think, two and a half years to implement those. And if we don't have them implemented, then the county can de-annex that land from the city. So you can't, city can't just annex without being able to say, here's how I'm serving it. Here's what we're going to do. Here's those kind of things. And if you do go through unilateral, there are still limitations on the amount of unilateral you can do, depending upon what is occurring. And it is, uh, if you remember the choose your own adventure books, like if you know, like if you want to go left, go to page 17, but if you turn right, go to page 20, that's annexation, really. If you do this, you go down this, this chute, but if you do this, you may go down this chute, but if you then make another decision, you may then go left again. So it's, it's, it's a wild ride. That, like I said, on its own could be an entire day. So might touch on it a few more times. It may be a good mid-month to bring yeah, up. I, I just wanted to bring up, you know, cities can't just say this is ours. But if the landowner is involved, is the same infrastructure requirement in place? It's not under state statute. So it could just be annexed and sit there for an indefinite amount of time. Mm -hmm. Cool. But they All right. Except our tax rates, change. Yeah. And most of the time, people won't mm -hmm. want to go through annexation because of that tax rate change without understanding is when will the city provide services or when will those services maybe be in my area to have that conversation. So the tax rate would change because they're now subject to city tax. Yeah. Right. Well, it's kind of. And how, how often... Um, would the um, city and county commissions meet with Eudora, Baldwin, Lecompton, you know, especially thinking about what's coming up with Panasonic. I mean, how common is it for them to talk with each other, work with each other, discuss large annexation and yeah, it's pretty common for the Lawrence City Commission and the County Commission to have some joint meetings. They'll also meet with the USD 497 as part of that process occasionally. Well, I will say that those conversations tend to happen quite frequently among staff. We have those quite a lot with everybody kind of be aware of it. So uh, we talked to Baldwin and Eudora quite a lot about those kind of things. And they're, they're, everybody's very uh, forthcoming with that as we're having those conversations because they know it's, it's as much as what we do affects them. And so it's very much trying to make sure that we're all not trying to coordinate and make sure we're all on the same page as much as we can. But you will see the the county commission, the city commission, and the school district will meet on on a pretty pretty good basis to kind of have those discussions and talk about things. So, how do we do all of this? Um, this is again. This, this there's five things on the slide. There's about five thousand things you'll see staff doing along the way. The, the really the high point is we make sure that when we do these things, we're doing it for the entire community. If so she and Paul come out. <laughs> yeah, and that's been probably in the presentation for years. But what we really do is we really try to seek out the voices, not just those who have time and the ability to participate, but we try to then go to people who don't have that time or that mechanism to come and join you at the meeting. So we'll reach out to people that maybe don't have that privilege of time and, and ability to kind of have those conversations. And so what we try to do is always bring, uh, kind of go to them, but bring the materials that they can then take away and think about and give in contact information. 
And the other thing I stress with staff all the time is there is a lot of your reports that have to be written for a different audience, but let's write them for people that don't talk planning all the time. Let's write them for the neighbors. Let's write them for the people that are concerned, but maybe don't understand zoning, don't understand planning, don't know what you're doing at this point in time. So sometimes your staff reports may seem like we're we're saying things you already know, but we're really trying to make sure that everybody that picks up your staff report can understand what is your chart? What are you doing? Why did this happen? How did we get here? And so that's kind of what we always try to do. But we also try to make sure that with, through the planning process that those choices exist. We want to make sure that there's not a, you know, a locked route that has to be because we could set that route today and by Monday, it may not be, be what we want to do. It may not be available. It may have gone away. So you have to plan for choices. You got to plan for a lot of opportunities, but you want to always have that conversation about what is that mission? What is that vision our community has? And is that choice avenues that we put out there in lockstep with that? That's the key that we spend a lot of time talking about. The other one is, is simply that we plan for all ages and abilities. When I went through school many decades ago in the dark ages, the test that I was taught as a planner was it's for grandpa and Jennifer. You want to plan cities for someone that is eight years old and is over 80 years old. It should be cities should be built and thought of for all ages. So many of you know, I've got a little one. And the biggest thing that I can tell you is to figure out how to get her from A to B when she doesn't want to be in a car is hard to do sometimes because she wants to walk, but she can't walk at the speed of an adult. So you think about the way the cities respond, react, how we design them, how are we planning for those kind of things? And I think about it, well, when I'm 80, I'm not gonna walk as fast as I walk today too. So what do those street widths look like? Do we have the crosswalk time correctly? Do we have the thing so I don't have to walk a mile and a half to get into a coffee shop? So we talk about that as simply that. We just wanna make sure that it is planned and thought of for all ages and abilities in our community. And the other part is, is communication. This is critical to <laughs> learning, trying to figure out what is going on, what needs to happen, what has happened in the past, but then also share with everybody, here's what's going forward. Here's the, here's the things that can happen. Here's how to be engaged. Here's how to tell the planning commission what you think about this or what you would like this to be or what you literally don't want to see happen. So it's a two-way communication at all times with us. We want to both learn from the people that we're talking with all the time, but we also want to make sure that we're sharing with them the information that we have. And the other part is with planning is simply it's a partnership. We can put a lot of great plans on the ground, but I just break the news. PDS does not have a development link. We don't, we don't build anything. I don't, I don't have a contractor crew going out to do all the things. So it's a partnership at all times with you know people in the community, the neighbors, developers, nonprofits, the state, and the federal government at all times. So what we really do is we build those partnerships up to make sure that we're getting the best we can for the community at all times. So it takes a lot of different forms. It may not look the same from project to project, but what we always try to do is make sure we're always talking, we're always learning, and we're always trying to build those bridges so that we can make the community the best as it can be and exactly what the community wants to be 20 years down the line. Um, there's a question around public participation. Is that, is that what do you think? We think about that when you think about communication and partnerships. I, yeah, I actually think about, them, I think about them in all five of those quite yeah. truthfully. So right now we, we have a requirement. We post a sign, a big yellow sign with, with writing on it that says something's coming. And if you want to know more about it, uh, here's where you can go to find out. Mm -hmm. um, 
and there are I, there are times, particularly if it's larger and 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 community driven, will will hold host public meetings. Is there any requirement or if discussed requirements for for community or public meetings around any kind of development project, any kind of building project? So for most of the applications you see, there is not a code requirement <clears throat> meeting. Um, there are a couple, when you do a preliminary or a final development plan, you have to host a community meeting. If you do things in the smart code, there's community meetings that are required of developers to do. Your code does not compel those as part of a site plan, special use of rezoning or anything like that. However, what we always encourage applicants when they come in is, you know, first question we ask is, have you talked to the neighbors? Have you met the neighborhood association? Have you had a conversation with those around you? Because we know that you all will expect that of people when it comes to the commission, and we know the governing bodies expect the same. So it's not written in code, but it is something that occurs at every pre-application meeting staff has is, have you talked to people about this? Have you had these conversations? And I've seen communities that mandate those, and that sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on the community, and then some people feel that, I sat through a PowerPoint, they didn't listen to me, they just did it because the code had it. And so there's that that trade-off. If you mandate it, it may just become perfunctory and something people don't invest in, where if you encourage it, it becomes that conversation, that communication item to actually have. So it could work both ways. It's just we don't have it in code for most of our application types. Okay. But when we're doing like the, the big neighborhood plans and those kind of things that our staff are leading. We are doing a lot of meetings, a lot of outreach, a lot of mailers. We're trying to find ways to get to people who are not participating as part of the process. We don't even know the process exists. So I'll give a good example of East Lawrence neighborhood plan right now is they did a thing where you can take a planner on a walk. You would go to the farmer's market, meet the planner, and you could walk with them around the neighborhood and point out the things that you liked or you didn't like or you know issues that you saw. So it's kind of like uh, just pick up a planner and let me show you all the things over here that I don't like. Um, and we've done a lot of mailing and efforts to kind of reach people that aren't there, but we also have great time to Lawrence is 55, almost 56% rental. So if you send something to the property owner, you're not going to reach the person who's in that house most of the time. So what we do is we mail to both the rental, like the address, but then we'll also send to the owners of the property. So that way, if you are a renter and you've been living there a long time, you're as engaged potentially as somebody who owns property. So we try to find ways to make sure that we're reaching out to people that aren't just, you know, this is the certified list of owners from the county, but, you know, mail the residents because they have a stake in that in, in just as much as anybody else does. So I just I, the public process is, is so important um, and the people in and around a project hold, you know, a, a, a wealth of information. And getting at that can be a challenge. Um, it, it, the way things work today, typically, um, you'll have people show up on the night of a meeting, or they'll maybe they'll write letters in the days preceding a meeting. And one of the things you almost always hear is, um, "Boy, this snuck up on us that nobody told us this was going to happen, even though a sign may have been out there for, you know, a very long time." Mm -hmm. um, but I, we, you'll also hear a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. In that, um, and it's, it's rare to get at someone who, who thinks about this from a from a, a holistic perspective. You rarely hear positive feedback around something, and you have to believe that it's there. Um, but you, 
you don't you don't get it. So I guess what I'm saying is, how can we get at holistic feedback from a neighborhood that separates out fear, uncertainty, and doubt from the realities of real risks, real opportunities? Perfect segue. This was not planned by any stretch. Um, I, I will quote a, a very smart person that I, I work with here in the city. You don't do public engagement to people. You do public engagement with people. Yeah. And so part of what we do is we have those conversations with all the things that you see here, but there are levels of that that you have to be cognizant of is because we send out a lot of mailers that have the planning and development services letterhead on them all the time. There's a project going, there's a neighborhood plan going, there's uh, whatever it happens to be for, not just for you all, but for code compliance, for building safety, for all the other things that are going on out there. We send out probably so many mailers, people don't even bother opening them when they say PDS on the top of them. We're very aware of that because people are inundated with those letters. They see, oh, finding development services, there's something else going, at, you know, put it with the credit card statement, you know, just chuck it and that's it. So we think about ways that we're doing this is exactly that. Like, how do we have that conversation with people one-on-one? And Becky goes to land on occasion to kind of engage with that and have that part. I go to board meetings for different groups in the community that want to talk about different things. Um, you know, if they have an interest in short-term rental or they have an interest in housing, I will, I will go and talk. So we try to have those conversations. But, you know, a lot of those code derivative notifications are really those notices on projects and are all set by the land development code. There is a time limit, there is a placement item, and there's the pro, the, the posting of things that have to occur in certain ways. So it's very hard sometimes to engage people that don't follow, they don't get their mail. I guess, but I don't get my mail every day. <laughs> and I forget to open it or it sits there all the time and it piles up and then I push it into the blue recycle and I just hope there wasn't anything important in there. So it's hard to do that. But what we're trying to be very good about is trying to be more interactive, more online, more, um, I'm not very technologically savvy in some respects. So more with the things people are engaging with nowadays, social media is not my thing, but we have people who have that skill set and they know how to do it. So what we do is not just to notice you see on the projects, but online on our website, there is actually a map and a submittals in there. You can go up, pull up at any time. It updates every Sunday evening and it'll show all the projects the office has received in the last week. It'll tell you the name of the planner, the project, the details about it, and then how to contact us if you have more information. So we're trying to get to ways that we can be more active and engaged. Part of our new uh, software system that we're implementing is really going to make that next level step for us in the way that we do it. And I can't begin to describe whatever it is. Again, if it's not GIS, I got no hope. But it's a very powerful system. We think that's going to really change what it is. But kind of the heart of your question is how do you reach people that we aren't reaching? At some point, you just people don't want to engage and you can't compel engagement. Sure. We try to put it out every channel possible so that they want to know more, they can know more. Okay. That makes me think of, you know, we're also ambassadors for that as well. So um, I'm sitting here thinking if I wanted to go to my neighborhood meeting and show people um, how to get to this information, is there a like, I don't know, a one-page sheet that I could hand out at a meeting saying, go to this website, click on this button, you know, here's the GIS map. Mm-hmm. Oh, we we used to have a um, little business card or a little handout that had the link on it. And I don't know if we still have it because uh-huh. that was 
bit ago. Um, but we used to have those people that just come by pick up and say, I just want to know what planning submittals, you know. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So we could probably find one or at least re, you know, re get that back out in the open. But um it's that's something we've hadn't, hadn't thought about since COVID, quite truthfully, because it's not been forgotten about all the things we used to do. So maybe because <laughs> when you go on the Sierra County website. When you first go on, you're like, I have no idea. I still struggle sometimes. Well, I was, and that's user error, but it's... Well, no, no, it's not user error. It's, just, it's not great. <laughs> okay. I was, was just going to say, so so maybe maybe an ask out of this is that can we prominently on the, on the home screen of the city of, of Lawrence website, say active planning or choose your words, but have something easy for the public to get to? I can definitely ask... IT. I'm trying to remember. I think there might be on one of the columns. It may be a list of submittals on on the item. I can't remember right now. I'll have to. We can definitely ask on green. I think <laughs> we'll ask. Definitely. All right. And I just wanted to share. I heard you. So you said that there is a place where you can click, and it tells you all of the submittals that have been and kind of what the projects. Are. <laughs> and it looks like that. Yeah, I buried in that. Um, that one or the mail that I sent to you early on. Uh -huh. yeah, that link is that buried somewhere deep down inside that doc. Okay. And for fear of wrecking the Zoom, when we when I finish the PowerPoint, I'll I'll pull that website up. We can take a look at. Yeah. Quick question. So, you know, when Danny sends out the agenda for the next meeting, um, it and then we look through it. And then we go visit properties and such. Are there things we shouldn't be saying, or is it okay for us to say, hey? To a neighbor, you know this is coming. Here are some issues you, you should be thinking about. How much of our engagement should be just at the meeting, and how much can it be before where you know maybe we shouldn't be talking about stuff because we don't know how the vote's going to go? Or I mean, like, do you know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, and that, I think where Randy's going to come in and be able to provide a lot of guidance. Huh? Oh, wait. Yeah, you're, you're going to learn from Randy. It, there's questions about prejudgment and things like that as right. part of your charge. And that, I don't want to steal Randy's thunder. Okay. That's it, that you're you're right on the point where I would, would be talking about it. And Randy will be able to hit those really quick. But it's, okay. there is a level of, because if you have those conversations, it would be ex parte communication. You would right. declare. Um, and there's also that concept of prejudgment that you have to be mindful of is when you're thinking about this, because as you all know, you want to enter into it with an open mind. You right. may have a, an idea of where you're leaning, but be open to the evidence, be open to the discussions that they had, because right. that's the key with the process. Right. Yeah, not going to steal Randy's thunder. I'll no, go that one. <laughs> so I guess I have a question. Um, um, I do appreciate the links that Gary sent, but is there like a way, if there are certain links, one, I think it's a question probably for the way board, but what links do you guys have available? Like if the meetings look at, like that, you know, you're going to probably even doing this a while, right? That, you know, you're probably going to be calling up like something like that or whatever would be kind of nice to know. A lot of times they're up if I get a computer that, that's been set up for me, but that would be Interesting. And then also when um, we send out the packets, like they go to the public, because you were talking about how part of what you, the reason that you write it the way you do is for the public. I mean, could there be just a box somewhere at the beginning or at the end of that packet that has some of the most important links for, for people to see, to keep up with? Like, it seems like we're trying to figure out how to reach them and maybe they're on the packet and I just don't know what links to look for yet. But it seems like if we're trying to get more people involved, like, providing them those links on the public stuff that we send out. Interesting, because 
a lot of that information is you just go to the city website and click like follow three links and you have everything. But, but you understand what three links to follow and, and not perhaps <laughs> because we have the three handle. I'm a little taped. No, how, I know how the city and county websites work, even though the county's clunky. Um, but I know on, on your packet, but usually we'll post at the top, there will be like a key links page for the planning commission. It'll have that, that like a, a running list of all the links that you can click on and pull up and get to on that one. Again, they tend to take us, though, I think, if I'm doing it right, it's only been a couple, but they take us to other parts of the report, which is super cool. But I'm thinking for the public. Like, I, like eventually, I'm here today, so I'll know what three links look like, right? Hopefully by the end of this. But, it, but like, if I'm someone from the public and I'm trying to figure out how to get more engaged, or I've heard something's happening, where do I go to? And if I at least know to, to pull up, the agenda or whatever, like, is there something on there where we could direct them to the things we think? Because I am struggling myself to figure out what are the most important links? What maps are you guys looking at? Like, what, where is some of that information so that I can call it up quickly during the meetings? Um, but that's just a thought. I mean, I'm, I'm hopefully I will understand it all by the end of a couple months, but. <laughs> no, we can we can definitely take a look at the website and that thankfully I will not be the one doing it, so there won't be like significant website damage that will occur because we have experts on it, but we can definitely put it out there and we can probably show a couple of things at the end just so you all can kind of see the links that the planners are using and kind of share some of that detail to it. So yeah. Well, and one thing I know we talked about on the board here, the protest petitions and those kind of things. And so on the slide, I'll, I will dive a little deeper on this one real quick. So protest petitions are governed by state statute and how they have to enact and be, be triggered. So it's the owners of real property within 200 feet of the site that is subject to the application. So if you achieve 20% of the real property in the protest petition, not the people, but the actual amount of land in the protest petition, you can trigger a three-quarter majority vote of the city commission to adopt an item. So if if you ever look at the protest petition certifications when they go up to city commission, you'll see it will draw a boundary around the property and sometimes a parcel will be half in, a parcel will be half out. If that parcel is 10,000 square feet, 5,000 feet of it are in, that counts towards that 20%. The other 5,000 feet do not count. So it's all about the amount of real property within 200 feet, and that triggers the protesting. It just has to be 20% of real property. And there's stipulations about, you know, if it's an owner and it's owned by two individuals, both people have to sign that under state statute. If it's owned by an LLC, then somebody from the LLC can sign for that instance on that, that aspect of it. But it, there's very strict state statutes about what triggers the protesting and how it is is governed. Protest petitions will occur with your typically your county CUPs, your special use permits, and the rezoning applications that you will see. They all have that same language about state statute and governing inside of them. So, so, so generally, where I live, my nearest neighbor is probably a quarter mile away. So what, what happens in that situation? There are different rules when you're in the rural area. Gotcha. The, the boundary expands. Gotcha. I, can say it's like, I want to say it's a half or a quarter mile. I can't remember. It's, I think it's like 1250 on the feet. Gotcha. But there is that. So it does. It accounts for that. Gotcha. Yeah. 
And so if you have a protesting petition inside the city limit, but it goes out into the county for some of that, then the county boundary takes over. So it's 200 inside gotcha. and the county boundary takes on the other side. Gotcha. And no, the thousand feet. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. So it does expand that boundary when it rolls through as part of that. But it has to be owners of real property, not sure. You know, if you have uh, renter, not uh, renters. Renters can't enter into that conversation under state statute. And if you are only clipped by like 15 feet of your property is in, then at only that 15 feet out of no matter which we have. So, so what are they used for? If the actual owner petitions, it's agreed with the letters of a decision. So they, it's basically an appeal automatically. No, not automatically. On the spot. By the person that goes and collects it, you can't collect them and notarize them later. It's there's there's all kinds of certification rules that the state has to follow. It has to be submitted within 14 days of your decision. Can you click into what a protest petition is? Why it's used? Protest petitions would elevate the vote required for an action to occur. So if you adopted something, say you mean the planning commission? Yeah, planning commission recommends a rezoning 10-0 and the neighborhood doesn't like it, or there is a concern that's addressed as part of that, and they file a protest petition, a simple majority vote of the governing body will not constitute an adoption. It requires three quarters of the governing body to adopt it. So in the case of the city commission, it requires four out of five, not just three. And so it elevates that bar for adoption as part of that conversation. After it leaves us. Correct. Right. Did you get a copy of the one that was just submitted? We can pull up a, a different one. Extraordinary measures. We can pull up a Is there a difference between a petition that we might receive as part of our communications or the item misheard versus okay. a, a uh, protest petition? Yes. So if you receive a petition as a planning commission for an item, it doesn't carry the weight and effect or change your vote. It is really just public communication at that point. Or to be a protest petition, it has to meet the marks of the state statute. It has to be filed with the county clerk or the city clerk within 14 days of your action as the body. So you can't protest something until after the planning commission has taken a consideration of item. And there are things that are not subject to protest petitions. Comprehensive plan amendments, plats, those kind of things are not subject to a protesting petition. It's really your recommending items, your rezoning, your conditional and special use permits that would have that protesting element. Example of that is when we updated the in the solar regulations for the county, a group out there presented us with individual bound booklets of a couple hundred petition against it that came both from Johnson and it was a rescue. <laughs> but in that, yeah, it was great. We know this is what you thought at this time back then. We don't know what you think now. And so the other part of what you do is it really changes. You'll see this in the way that you will recognize the language in your thing is part of your role. The majority of your role is a recommending body. You are very rarely the final say on an application or an item. Many times you will recommend up to the governing body. There are a few applications where you are the stopping point potentially. Plats are probably the most familiar. The preliminary plat, you either that's that's on you. You approve that one, that's good. We'll, we'll move to the final plat. You don't like it, that 
it stops right there. That's kind of what we have to go through. Uh, comprehensive plan amendments under state statutes, you have equal footing as governing bodies. So you are at the same level as approval. So in the case of a, a joint planning commission like you are, all three bodies have to agree on the exact same amendment before it be, becomes adopted. So if someone changes a comma, it starts over. So it has, you have to completely all three agree before it moves on in that part of that. Now, the, the thing that we've seen previously and, and some of those other things that question that we've had is, you know, does that stop the rezoning of the things that are also tied along with that? And the answer is no. In the case of a rezoning, you are still a recommending body. So your recommendation for denial or approval would still continue up regardless of the outcome of the comprehensive plan. The rezoning says it has to be in conformance with the comprehensive plan as one of the factors of golden. But as you all know, you don't have to meet all the golden factors for it to be in law. Now, different communities will put different weight on the plan and conformance elements to it. And traditionally, there's been a strong ask of that to be in conformance in the community, but it is not required in that sense. So if it's a package of things, it's a comp plan amendment, a rezoning, and special use permit. I'm really making things up out of thin air here. Um, and you decide to not approve the comprehensive plan amendment, the other two applications would continue with whatever your recommendation is to the governing body. That's going. So, and that is a, that is a state statute court there. So. so if a group of property owners wants to pursue this uh, protest petition path, is that something that your office guides them on or are they just expected to know the technical requirements and meet them? We help them. Okay. Um, it's a very... Well, state statute, uh, so it's not written for a lot of people. We have a, a handout on our website that tries to, to make it easier and try to understand it and provides a template for the form about how to, you know, has the, the lines and the, here's the, the notary that needs to be done and the details at the top of it. But we, we always help when those come in and we try to, uh, I don't want to say humanize it, but it's effectively make it where you can understand what's going on. Enable it. Enable, right. thank you. Enable it. And then when those come in for the city, we will typically certify those as, as a department and we'll certify if it is valid or an invalid protest petition. Got it. But we're we are here to help that from the beginning to the end on that process. Does it help to have a lawyer um, petition or not? not it's not seen a lot of them. I mean, some people have chosen to do that, but it's we try to make it where you can just gotcha. you need to engage with that. You can we try to make it as as low bar as possible to participate and, and do that process. So don't lose somebody if yeah. you want to go to court. Go to court. <laughs> I think we touched on a couple of them there. Um, we got some things we'll talk about, but this is this is the part where we talk about <laughs> I think the thing we all kind of know and, and talk about is you know how do we do all this planning? It all comes from the comp plan now. That is where it works its way down to the magic. So what comes in the comprehensive plan is then how you set your zoning regulations. How you set your zoning regulations affects how you set your subdivisions. And how you set your subdivision affects what your development applications look like. So that mission, that vision, that, that detail that you put in the comprehensive plan in plan 2040, then filters its way down to the bottom of the codes. And so if you want to think about it in terms of it right now, we're at step two and step three in the city in relation to this. We're looking at the joint or the we're looking at the zoning regulations and the subdivision regulations because they're both in chapter 20 at this point in time. So it's that's the conversation that we're going to have is how does that zoning code reflect what the community's 
wanting that to look like, not just in terms of the comprehensive plan, but sustainability, transportation, economic development, all the things come in there. And so it filters down from that high level into those development applications that we get at that. At your level, when you see zonings and special uses, but also a lot of the plans that we see at site plans that staff is working on for properties that are, you know, going from a restaurant to an office or uh, someone's trying to build a, a new store or whatever it happens to be. That's how it filters into the process there. And so we're going to talk about this one later, so I'm not going to dive too deep, but clearly Plan 2040 had just replaced Horizon 2020, and it went through a six-year process, as you can see there. It was adopted in 19, and there was public input throughout the entire process, from beginning in 13 to when it was wrapping up in 19. We were always taking public comment. We were always reaching out, trying to get people engaged with it. So we'll talk about this in the in the next, um, next big thing, so I won't dwell on this too much, because I will keep, you, you're all stuck with me talking all morning. I'm so sorry. Uh, but then, of course, that all feeds these other plans because the comprehensive plan incorporates by reference a lot of the other plans that you see and see us bring before you in some respects, the sector, the corridor, the neighborhood plans and those. So they, they all come in and we'll, we'll touch on those two in the next session. But so what it really comes down to is when you hit that lower level, when you come from the comprehensive plan, is it affects what we're doing with our zoning and our design. And the best way to describe it is, and Drew will probably nod vigorously when I say this, to, to come on board with the city of Lawrence and the, and the Douglas County Planning Office here is you learn about four codes and close to about 3,000 pages at the end of the day. And that's not including plans and studies and the other things that come on. When they're on a pod shift or they're taking calls from, from people, they can get a question about the county zoning code, the city zoning code, the subdivision regulations, and possibly the smart code all in the same hour. And so when the planners are really working through all those things, they are learning three full codes at one time. And so trying to remember which code has what language and how does this one react versus this one react, you can you can see why we, you know. Give you an idea, the, the city zoning code is upwards of 560 pages. Horizon 2020 was 321 pages when it was before it was put on the shelf. The current one, the current comprehensive plan is about 110. So there's a lot of detail that come in that. But on top of all of this, they also get to learn design guidelines. So there are the downtown design guidelines that they will keep track of, the 8th and Penn District they keep track of, they also keep track of the Orient Neighborhood Design Guidelines, and as part of the country, or part of the zoning code, there's also the Community Design Manual. So for any property that is owned commercial or industrial, they look at the design guidelines for those as they come in. So what was three codes have now escalated to a small master's degree in just planning for us. So they have a lot of codes that they're going through. They're looking through a lot of things. And, and Drew, correct me if I'm wrong here, but with the pod day, you never know what question you're going to get. You just know you're going to get a question and then you got to figure out what, what am I answering? Where am I going to? How do I get that answer? Which code am I looking at? How far does this need to go before we run into, maybe there's something hiding in there? You know, like it, what seems like a simple question, all of a sudden, oh, well, but for now, you got to go this route here. And so, Planners do a lot of homework when they get those questions because there's a lot of things that could be there that we want to make sure applicants and people know about that this, you know, this call and say, what's my zoning? We can tell them, 
But if you're trying to do a use, that may complicate it another level based on the codes. And so we try to run all those crafts we can when we know those details. You said three full codes. That's the city zoning code, the county zoning code, and the zoning code and the subdivision regulations. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And the comprehensive plan is a guide. Yeah, just a guide that kind of oversees all of that. And then within that, there's the design guidelines, which then there's a bunch of different factors. It's 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 it is it is the, the plan really dictates kind of what you're talking about with the conformance. Yeah, but it's not law. It's not the other ones are regular. The regulatory, regulatory we, hold, we try to hold as true as we can to the neighborhood, the sector plans, and the comprehensive plan, but it's, you know, we treat it as a binding document under the way that everything is written. So the design guidelines fall under the zoning codes. So the sector plans, the neighborhood plans, the nodal plans will all fall under the, the comprehensive plan column. Design guidelines, subdivision regulation, zoning is all in its own kind of regulatory column, if you will. And it's still a guide. I mean, the zoning codes are law. Right. And that's just the whole Tuesday group. Um, so part of what we talk about, and, and you all see this, and I think this is one of the best examples we can show you, is when you see a plaid, you're seeing this kind of come through and what it is there. But what we tend to then see happens is that that enables this. And so your approval of a plat is really about the midpoint of something else that's going to happen, which is going to involve public improvement plans, building permits, financing, discussions about all the things that occur to even enable this to happen. And so it's not a it's not a stretch to say from when that annexation annexation application comes in to when you start seeing something like this come on the ground is probably two years. And I will say that it used to be two years because I think under supply chains and all the other things we've got now, it may be a little longer. But just to get through the paperwork process to go from nothing to potentially this is about two years in a normal time. And you really see it kind of at its very beginning part or it's kind of right at its middle part. And then after you all kind of see that preliminary plan, that's when planning staff goes to work on the final plats. We go to work with building safety on the building permits. We go to work with MSO on the public improvements. So streets, sidewalk, infrastructure, subgrade, all those things that you see below the ground. That's when we really see staff go to work on a lot of these, try to figure it out. That's a question that's not connected to any of this. Yeah. So during COVID, there was a lot of um, like tent cities that popped up. Mm -hmm. Does that in any way affect what we talk about? Or like, does the city kind of say, hey, if something like this were to happen again, we want to set aside this area or something like that? Or is that something that we can't control and we don't think about? Do you know what I mean? We we had the discussions during COVID. We're still having those discussions today because there's a lot of that that's going on. And um, I swear you guys are... Um, <laughs> It was totally unprompted. I appreciate it. It actually saves ways into the other thing here. It's, it's exactly that kind of conversation that we have. And so planning is only one sixth of planning and development services. We have another group called Housing Initiatives who is actually working on that right now is to find out what does that look like? How do we make sure people are housed and they're safe when the weather turns cold and, and that or in the COVID situation? If we can't do these things that we used to do, how do we make sure everybody's, you know, as sheltered as possible, but not being exposed to things? And so that's one of the groups I work with on a daily basis is housing initiatives. And they're, they're doing that right now. We're still doing that today. So I see. Um, it, it may land in your guys' court at some point in time. Um, it may not. Yeah. Um, 
not, not you want to amend the code with it. Yeah, there was a code amendment that does require that it'll come up on that one. Um, and but you know, each of these groups have some committees, I see, and people from all over the place. I see, yeah. So, I think the high level thing is most people think when they hear me and they they they, I, I will be completely honest, I've got 10 different titles. And depending upon what meeting I go to and what role I'm sitting in, my job title actually changes about what it is. So today I'm the planning director, but in most days I'm the director of planning and development services. Some days I'm the MPO secretary. Other days I am a building official, whatever I happen to be that day, or what you know, whatever it happens to be. But you know, PDS, the, the, the all the people that are here and going through the thing, they do everything from your building permits, your safety inspections, your checking to make sure you're the building code to our code compliance team who's going out and doing the rental license inspections, making sure the rental properties are up to, up to the codes. But then also if you have weed complaints or your neighbor's got a tree down or, or those kind of things that we do, we do all of that. Housing initiatives ranges from everything from affordable housing to homeless issues to community development block grant, uh, emergency home solutions grants. So if your heater goes out and you need money to fix that, that's what they do. They're trying to make sure that you have that part of it. Uh, Clearly, you know about planning. Um, the other one is transportation planning. So the MPO is inside of PDS. So that's where we coordinate those transportation plans for team 2050 to plan 2040 to the work that MSO does. And so there's 42 people that on a daily basis that are doing all these different things around us to make sure that if we're going to be doing a development project, here's all the different departments that need to be engaged. Or if we're talking about something coming for the planning commission, these are all the different departments we're also talking about. And this is only for PDS. There's also municipal services and operations we work with closely, fire prevention, both in the city and the county that we work with closely, zoning and codes at the county that we work with extremely closely. So we don't, it's not all, it's all that. We do a lot of talking with a lot of people, not to mention private utilities and all the others that are in there. So got a lot of good work going. And you will see some of the work from one of our other divisions on your agenda coming up next week. So a lot of good lists on those, but excellent question. Okay, thank you for the perfect segue. That was <laughs> more than 42 people. This is the organization of your presentation today. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that one. Um, needless to say, um, we spend a lot of time at meetings after hours. And this is just a list of some of the board's commissions that we, we either staff and hold or and participate heavily in and quite truthfully there's a lot more boards and commissions that we go to that aren't on this list that we we show up as we need to so multimodal transportation commission sustainability advisory board any number of food policy council you go to go to quite a few of them they need us to come by so these are the ones that we take care of pretty much on a on a monthly basis So I always end this presentation by simply because people now are like, oh, okay, well, you've, you've told me all these things. Where do I go see it? Anywhere. Step outside. Take a look. That's it. It's really that. It's, you know, your neighborhoods, Mass Street. If you're just on a trail, the Lawrence Loop, that is, that is planning in action. Mass Street is planning that was done in the 1970s. If you want to see what 1970s planning did, that was Massachusetts Street and the way that it shapes and forms out. The Aids and Penn District that we all know today started in the mid-90s. The way that West Lawrence has grown was an evolution of what was called Plan 95 and Horizon 2020, the two previous comprehensive plans. And then those two plans spurred off the 1966 zoning code. So 
All those things started with a plan, a mission, a vision, a desire, something the community wanted. And how you see it today is because that's how they said it sometime down the line. So the best way I describe this is I'm trained as a long-range planner. And the part about long-range planning is, is very simple. This I will never see any of my projects come to fruition. Not a one. By the time I'm retired or gone, that is when they're going to hit their peak. And it's just something I've come to accept. When I started my career back in the mid-2000s, I worked in a city where uh, we were getting a lot of great things off the ground. And I put a lot of energy and effort into those things. And I've never seen it. All the work that's come after me has been taking that forward. And I've never, I've not been back to see it. I've not had the chance to go back and, and witness it. I've seen photos of people that I've worked with and shared it with me. But I mean, I've been here for almost 10 years. And so I'll tell you exactly it. I've did 10 years worth of work in other community and gone 10 years. And that's 20 years now down the line. And it's finally coming to fruition. So I think it's a slow burn sometimes. You, you see it in the instance. You see it in the donor or in the special use. But in the long term of it, I won't ever see it happen. That's for my kid to see. I want her to be able to say, I want to live in Lawrence. This is where I want to be because of this. So I don't do this job for me. I got to do it for her at next generation down the line, because that's who's going to reap the benefits of the work we put in today. But all of that, anybody got questions? <laughs> Probably a thousand, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start. That is planning more than one. The one thing I will also mention, we kind of touched on a little bit and kind of goes to um, questions on the board here is, um, you know, what can you do and what can't you do in the instances there? There are certain things that are ministerial and they're, they're ministerial functions where you tick all the boxes, it's approved. Site plans are a ministerial thing. If you meet all the marks, we approve you. You can't appeal that to the commission, but... It's very much, you know, meet the five things on the on the application code, you're good to go out the door. There are things that are not like that. Special use permits are discretionary. They're not, you're not compelled to recommend them if they meet all the marks because there are conditions and factors that you could look at and say that doesn't work in this instance. And I should also say that's identical for conditional use permit. So there are things that you have that the recommendations are discretionary. And there are things that you will have that are Ministerial. Preliminary plat is a very ministerial item. If it meets all the marks of, of the code, you are compelled to approve it. But it's not so much about, I don't like a street name. You can't really, that's not it. If it meets all the code mark, that's out the door and gone. Zoning and the golden factor will affect the way that you can look at those things too. So there's a varying levels of what you do in there. We'll talk about quasi-judicial versus your legislative roles a little bit too, but there's some differentials in the way that you go about it. And I know one of the questions we wanted to know was, you know, what is in, in your purview where you're the final say and what is not, well, when you're not the final say, part of your orientation packet, you have a, have a handout in there that kind of lists out what is your application steps and then what are the steps that are you're recommending at. And we kind of manage, I keep, the number I can't ever keep in my mind, I want to say it's either 35 or 37 different applications that are co-derivatives. So out of those three codes, there's upwards of 35 applications the staff works on. And it's very, most of what you will see is quasi-judicial application, which means you need to, to weigh the conversations, the evidence, the material presented before you, and you will render a decision in that kind of 
semi-state as a courtroom, if you will. That's what quasi-judicial means. It means you're, you're weighing it on the merit of the arguments of the day. Very few of your applications are legislative, like a comprehensive plan amendment, or when you're looking at recommending an annexation, those are a legislative function. That's where you're, you're making policy. You're doing those kind of things and having those discussions. The other side of that is the very ministerial item. If it meets the five things in the code, it's approved. So there's really those three levels that you kind of work in it. You really spend most of your time in that quasi-judicial phase with the zoning, special uses, and conditional permits. Can I jump on that? Yeah. Those three categories always weigh in my mind what context you can and can't have out in the community. When we're quasi-judicial, pretend you're a judge. Mm. I don't talk to anybody unless I happen to bump into them. I see. If it's legislative, you can talk to everybody. <laughs> and the other one, you can talk to everybody and say, well, that's out of our control. Having the ministerial part. See, but that's just the way I approached it. Just I see. You know, right. Kept those lines. Yeah. We will talk more about that later today about where those are. Does it so that changes based on each individual thing you're looking at? Well, if it's ministerial, this jumps ahead to after lunch. But sure. Look at what type, what the application is. Got it. How many votes are in each one? You know, whether what do we have to vote for in this one topic? Right. Because sometimes we have two, three, four votes right. on the same topic. I see. And then, you know, if it's a zoning change, it's probably best not to talk to people. I see. Why is that still? Because we well, it's ex parte, you can talk to people, yeah. but I'm just saying it depends what you do, but you have to reveal you talked about it. Right. It's right. the coma stuff. It's about reveal. You have to reveal about your conversations, yeah. what you can say to them, what you can't say to them. Sure. I just find it easier. Just just try not to try not to follow this. And I'll sometimes I'll explain process. Yeah, that's never, it. So. never about yeah. But all that will cover. Sure. That's yeah. part of the first thing I always say is one, what's each topic in the prayer window? Yeah. County, city, county, areas, <laughs> whatever. Got it. See, that again was one of the first things you do before you read it as well. Well, when I get, when I get the packet, I just kind of love three and see what the subjects are. Like, you've been getting one, several months in a row, we've had county night and then city night. <laughs> That's and, this one's a little more mixed up this it, month. This, this month's a little bit of a jumble. And you do that to just to, to have a framework for yourself, or you do that and then just, just so you know which codes to click on or like what? Well, the reports will, will do this this afternoon. Okay. But I'm just trying to figure out like is, everyone's framework yeah. for when they go through reading the packet. Yeah, like, because I'm still figuring out how to get through the packet. Like, uh, there's too much information. So, You'll just it's just incremental learning. You never know at all because it's always changing. It is right. And the interpretations keep changing. But it is important to know like the framework that you use and the kind of things to be on the lookout for. Like even if I have to then go and re-look the code up again, or you know, there's certain things I'm never going to memorize, yeah. but at least to know kind of what to be knowing I should know. That's one thirty seconds. One thing I'll do real quick before I, I lose track of it is. There it is. 
So if you want to go to the website and find out more details, there's, there's the nice thing about the website is there's a lot of different ways to get to it. it let me I have zoom right here, but if you ever need to see a map of Lawrence or some of the details of Lawrence, this is where you can kind of find it here. And this is also my favorite way of finding all the things. Like if you want to know where active building permits are at in the city. So if you want to know where all the building permits are at, they're right there. If you want to know about environmental baseline map, historic resources, the floodplain maps are there. But as you scroll down, you'll run into planning submittals. And then this is a map that updates every kind of Sunday nights, so like 2 a.m. in the morning. So really it's like Monday morning. But this is all the submittals that have been submitted to the planning office in the last about I think about 18 months. And if you click on them, Something. holy cow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just exactly what it is. It'll tell you who's done it and it'll tell you the planner who's working that case. And it gives you the number on how to get to it. And if some of these where the capacity has it, you can click on this and it will sometimes, if it's if it's work, if it if it behaves correctly, some of these won't have them. You can then come here and then you can see the site plan submitted in the application as part of that. But that is that is really the list for oops. My, my zoom bit here that is really how you see those kind of what's going on in the city and that updates like that one or that website will also show you applications we receive in the county because the system that we have is is both on it so if you ever want to see what's in a county submittal it'll also show you those too so the most important link then would be going to the um city website and using the map Link. And then you come to that big long list, and we would recommend using that interactive map. Because, like, I go to Google, like, at the meetings, I'm yeah. Googling, right? And it's fine, but like, I would prefer to use the, the maps that other people are using or the maps that you guys are using. The interactive map is a lot of fun because yeah. all the way down to the type of pipes underground. And because you, you had told me that there was, a, a, and you had sent me a link. And so, yeah, that's cool. I if you go to the, the city's homepage, you'll click on offices, you'll see planning and development services here. And if you let our page load up, it'll have this list. It'll tell you about the building permits. You can look up and see all the codes that we administer. They're all housed right here. So if you need to see the property maintenance, the zoning codes, they're all housed in there. But if you want to drill down a little further into the planning submittals, you can click on this dashboard. And when this loads up, it'll tell you kind of the statistics and what's going on behind the scenes and behind those maps. So not only show you where the planning submittals are at and building permit submittals are at, but it'll tell you the details behind going on out there. So where are the rental licenses? How many of them have we seen in the last year? Get to that map. PDF, interactive PDF, if you go to the planning commission site. If you go to the planning development services, which is just under my Zoom bar that I'm not navigating very well. Um, and this updates as data becomes available. So it'll tell you this was last updated on the 16th is when that new data became available. So it'll always tell you exactly what's going on, not just in planning, but in building safety, code compliance, rental licensing, the whole nine yards. So it's the PDS dashboard on the top of the bar right there. And if you ever need any of the maps too, we have a link on our page that goes directly to that maps page. So you can pull those up at any time. You can see that. But of course, all of our stuff is housed here. So if you want to know where our plans and studies are housed at, like if you want to see all the sector plans on their own or any of those details. Because I'm on the website, I don't see the PDF thing. It was up at the top. It'll be under offices. The, the big blue bar at the oh got it. Yep. And so once you switch there, that's PDS. And then you can go in and that's where we we have our page. And so all the things are housed on there. And so if 
everyone didn't do it, you'll probably see us point to this website. It's just lawrenceks.org slash PDS. But this is where we keep all that information in detail. So if you ever want to know what's coming in or going on, even if it's a building permit or a rental license, it'll show up in that dashboard. We can kind of do it. And you can also find updates to the land development code and to the um, the other area neighborhood plans that we're working on. That that bar, that ribbon that was up the top there, um, you can click on. Uh, there's links through that way too. I think that's what some of the stuff, some of those key links would be nice to have on like a three by five magnet or card that I could hand out at a meeting so that people could find this. And again, QR code would so like okay. we're talking to someone on the like yep. old school and high school. Yeah. Yep. I'm very yeah. old school. Like I don't know <laughs> social media or anything. So like yeah. I suggest that it means but like I'm regressing to the point of I want like calligraphy style memos. Right. Like, email, <laughs> right. So I'm going way out the other way. But I know we've had a lot of good luck with the QR codes. Um and there's also a be, don't worry, there's, I will not be on social media stuff. So there's very smart people that know how to do all of that. We can get them engaged. But we used to have this, this, it was a business card that says, if you'd like to know more about planning, and it had a link on it. And we, pre-COVID, I know we had a few of those. I think they've, they've gone, but we can always see about getting those. Kind of things. That would be handy because then we can hand them out too. And that's what I'm always about. And um, I don't know how to work a QR code, but I know people love them. Yeah. Well, the thing, though, I find about the computer stuff is I'll get an email with a bunch of links, but then I got to go find that email with a bunch of links. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's never right there. So. Well, that is planning 101. <laughs> Gary, before we go on, yeah, get like Tanya, Ben, and Carl to come up on our screen. So. Our new people can see our county people. Anya, Ben, Carl, are you there? There's say hi, there's a hi, everyone. I just I just thought it'd be a good chance to to have all of the new planning commissioners at least see the faces of the county people. That we Thank you. Um, I do plan to be there later this afternoon in person just so I can get to know some of the planning commissioners as well and introduce myself. So I'll see everyone awesome. good. here shortly. And Ben does Hi, ben. our code enforcement for the whole county. <laughs> oh, the counting limits. And around. And Carl's the newbie. So. <laughs> I like all the plants in Ben's office there. They're really pretty. <laughs> Who's Leo? Oh. Leo is our uh, zoning specialist here at the office. Um, awesome. So he's doing a lot of the deed research when people are saying, can I build a house? He's doing a lot of that every day, all day. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Good idea, Jim. Thank you. All right. So um, we're uh, at the end of topic one. Um, we've got a scheduled break coming up. Um, why don't we uh, no, schedule for 15 minutes? We're a little bit ahead. I'm going to suggest that we uh, stick to 15 minutes if that's okay. We'll stay a little bit ahead. Maybe we'll uh, give us a little bit more time around the lunch hour to get ready for that session. With that, let's uh, let's take a break and uh, come back at 15. Come back at uh, 10:10.
Just a reminder. Nobody's watching. Okay. This is good for you guys to see. This is a live on Zoom. And it's recorded. Which is. And I could plug in for this meeting, but maybe we'll have. I could plug in. easy to kind of plug off the lunch for this session. Welcome back. Um, continuing with um, the uh, Planning Commission orientation session today. On to topic two, also uh, presented by our own Jeff Crick, um, talking about Plan 2040, the comprehensive plan. I apologize that you all still have to listen to me talk for oh no another bit of time here. Um, We're lucky. And I am going to confess to this very quickly here is that this is a presentation that I gave in 2019. And the reason I'm going to use it today is because I think this conveys all the points we want to talk about. And I will probably also tell you this is probably about the 550th, 55th maybe presentation iteration that we had for Plan 2040 at the time. I think this is the one that really covers all the bases. So there might be some things here that are a little out of date on, on data and stuff, but it, it's really got the essence of the whole plan together. So and the reason I picked this one is because I felt like it, it really encapsulates all the details in one good swoop. And so I'd be a little out of date on the data, but and maybe a little of the information, but I'll try to adjust as we go through here. So very high level introduction. It's, it's what is a comprehensive plan. It's really there to provide the guidance for elected and appointed officials to evaluate needs and make long-term decisions about the community's future. That is one of its key principles that's there. It's there to inform residents, owners, and developers and others about priorities, intentions, and the implementations of these priorities. It also promote continued coordination and collaboration, like we were talking about a little bit earlier with, you know, not just the neighboring municipalities, but Douglas County as a whole in that intense drive. But it also outlines the expectation and expectations and principles the community has for value that's going to strive to uphold for those future generations. And so there's a lot of that language in the mission and vision as you look through Plan 2040. It is a little bit of an elevated language because it has got to be. It's going to be that piece that you look at and go, this is where we want to go. This is who we are. This is where we want to be in 20 years' time. And so it's really having that conversation out there. But one of the things people sometimes will mix this up with is strategic planning. And if you look at what a strategic plan is, it's meant to be a short-term plan with specific initiatives. And so the comprehensive plan feeds into the strategic plan. It's a little behind the Zoom box there on the screen in the, in the puzzle pieces. Um, but it really feeds down into that strategic plan. And so it's meant to be a long range tool. It's meant to always be, you know, best phrase, it's, it's got its eye on the horizon. It's looking out in the distance at all times. That is where it's going to be its most powerful and most useful. That's the comprehensive plan you're talking about. Correct. So really, this is the, the highlight of that one, where that strategic plan is a short term with specific initiatives moving in that direction. The comprehensive plan is that long term, Kind of set the course and let's go kind of thing. So strategic you one way to think about it is a strategic plan will last two to five years. The comprehensive plan could last 20. So there could be 10 strategic plans or five strategic plans in the lifetime of that comprehensive plan potentially. The strategic plan um, accepts, comprehends, acts on things that weren't anticipated when the 
comprehensive plan was done. So, it, yeah, it's also kind of more of a, it's going to operationalize some of those things on a quicker, more daily basis. So, we're talking about the city needs more affordable housing. The strategic plan is going to operationalize that. Like, what do we need to do in the next two years to lay that groundwork, make that foundation, build that next step up? So it's going to always be trying to move up in its columns on that one. The comprehensive plan is going to just say, we want a community that has affordable housing for all ages, all abilities, all incomes, everywhere we need to have it. And that's that guiding overarching goal. That strategic plan is going to set that course. We're going to do this with the housing trust fund. We're going to do this as part of the community process that we're doing with uh, discussion. We're going to do this with our infrastructure. It's that very operational day-to-day movement that we'll see. How does, how does political change affect a comprehensive plan? So, you know, does it or should it, can it? It can, um, and it should in some ways, but um, typically you don't see it. It tends to weather pretty well in the longer term. If you look at Horizon 2020, it was done in the 90s, and it weathered pretty well until we kind of put it on the shelf in 2019. So it should respond and it needs to be flexible and responsive to the world that we're in and the asks of the community. So it, it needs to be there. Mm-hmm. But what it typically is that vision, that long-term aspiration is usually set and kind of stays. I see. So there's a little hope on, on, you know, we never know what's coming next. Right. But you always want to kind of be like, you. we know where we want to be and we might need to deviate to get there, but we know this is where we'd like to get at the end of the day. I see. So, oh, there you go. I had that one in there too. So long range. <laughs> I won't segue anymore. So there we go. So I think it's always good to start with where we kind of took off from in the very beginning. So Horizon 2020 started in 92, was adopted in 98. It was the first joint city-county plan that was adopted since 1935. We had a joint city-county plan in 1935, and in those years in between Horizon 2020 and that first one, there were other plans that were one for the county, one for the city, and they did great. And one of those was Plan 95, and you hear a lot about it still to this day because it was a good foundational touch point for the city. The Douglas County Guide Plan is the other one, and it was spectacular. It, It carried us a good distance, laid a great foundation. And the thing you do with comprehensive plan in the writing is, is you never show one the door completely because you build on that from what you had. It's the foundation for the next one that you do. And so you very rarely want to show it the whole door because it did something and it did some work. What you want to look at and go is what part of it worked for us and what part is not working for us or what part do we think could work better? And so the best way I describe comprehensive planning is the last one you did is the foundation for the next one you want to do. You never want to fully show it or you want to use it as that touch point, but you got to recognize that foundation is going to have some limitations. 1992, when that comprehensive plan was started, Lawrence was 67,000, Douglas County was around 85,000. When we finished up plan 2040, Lawrence was 97,000 people about, give or take, Douglas County was 121,000. That is plus 30,000 in the city, plus 36,000 in the county. So we grew, we've changed, we've evolved. There's a lot of different things that are going on in that plan and its span. Because I am a full committed data nerd. Uh, there you go. There's what it looks like in the numbers there. 1940 to 1970, you saw it's a 218% increase in the way the population changed. And you can you can block that in right after World War II, we went climbing. 
the planner in me is going to tell you, look at that 2010 number, though. Look at the separation between the red and the blue line, and that tells you a little bit of what's going on in a different world that we're in. Lawrence is still driving a lot of the growth, but it is not as much of that growth driver as it was in the 90s and the 2000s. That separation there tells me there's some population change that is beyond those two municipalities that are on. It dropped off in the 80s as well, didn't it? Yep. Just a little bit. And a little bit of a shift in there. So the, the the deviation between those two lines, the planner means that that's a key thing to watch. Yeah. But what is it throughout the country? What about the country? Well, I mean, I'm just kidding. I mean, population, I mean, there's lots of articles about population decline. Well, across the world, it's about 50%. So, um, you know, it yeah. just be, people are choosing, making different choices. So I'm just curious how that connects. Lawrence connects to like what else is happening. <clears throat> Oh, yeah. And there's a lot that goes into that one. I mean, this this is really just looking at the, the correlation of, you know, if Lawrence grows, does that take the county with it and by how much? And that correlation is decreasing as you get to 2010. So as Lawrence grows, the county's still growing without Lawrence. Mm -hmm. So there's something there. And you can kind of see that a little bit more as we start digging into the numbers and you get into these growth rates. And you can see there is, you've got bumps and movements in there. But if you look from 1970 to 2010 in there, Lawrence's growth rate is about 2%. That's pretty high. But you don't see that 40 to 70 growth rate of being 4% in that mixture there. So there is that high bump, but it's not ever achieved or maintained that high bump because of exactly those reasons. You had that change after World War II with populations, the way the demographics worked. And uh, I could spend a lot of time talking to people about household sizes, and that really affects the numbers and the way that things work in there. And you're seeing that respond in our trends. So we're not any different in a lot of communities in there. It's really going to be is what has our rate declined or inclined based upon growth in the community. And then did you compare that to the other cities in Douglas County then? Like, um, are they having an uptick, right? So are people choosing to move, live in other cities versus Lawrence in our county, right? I mean, and then the questions are why? Yes. I mean, I, I'm a county representative, so. I wish it was. Yeah, we looked at that as part of that to see what, I mean, when we do the stuff like this, we do these kind of things there, we, we've got an in-house estimate and projection program that we run and we run it for five factors. So we run it for five factors over five municipalities, sorry, four factors over the five municipalities. And you're seeing that change in state. So the rates in Baldwin and Eudora went up from 1999 to 2010, whenever that data expires out to. But the other thing is, is you're seeing a very steady baseline for people that are in the rural areas of the county. It, it fluctuates as you would, you would expect to see in there, but it's not moving as much in relation to the others. Now, in, in numbers, there are more people. But in proportion to the number of people in the county and percentages, it's not fluctuating and moving in a statistically meaningful deviation at this point. We're missing a decade of data there. Yeah, we, this was all done before we got the 2020 numbers. Okay. So I haven't had a chance to go back. I'd and love to see what that is from the last 10 years. Yeah. Love the projection in the next 10 years, you know, given the potential for Eudora to a lesser degree Baldwin. To, and uh, residential populations to grow. Yeah, and with, with those kind of things, they're always going to be a little bit retroactive because they're going to have to lean into what's occurring now. So even if we got data today, we wouldn't see for probably a bit. But yeah, this is one of those things that I haven't gotten it updated into this one, but we're tracking that. But there's also been some delay on the Census Bureau side about getting the data out in ways that we can access it with all the, the different things that happened in 2020 and the data releases. So we're catching up on it. Um, 
two key indicators I always look for is what is the people per household that we tend to have, and then what is our poverty rate when you subtract the students from the number. And so those are two things we're still calculating and trying to get comfortable with. Household size has typically decreased over the years because it used to be about 2.5. We're down to about 2.2 now, probably a 2.1 range. So if you span that out over a square mile, that's a pretty sizable drop in population that you would tend to see. But as you also put it against actuarial tables and population pyramids, we're getting older, not younger. Even with college students, it gets a lot older. So the question becoming is, are we a retirement destination or are we not? And we don't know where they're coming from or what they're doing yet. So that's something we're still waiting for the other interval numbers to come out and tell us a little bit more detail too. Or do we just not have housing available for people in lower, younger people? I mean, yeah. it's very interesting yeah. to think about. I say it's a question we've asked is, is, do you have housing for all ages and, right. and aspects of life? And I don't know if we do or not, but the, we're seeing very similar things all in the region like that. So it's hard to kind of parse our number yet, but that's the question I'm still trying to get as if the one that's been keeping me up at night. Right. It's your eight to 80. Uh-huh. Are we able to know from the data? Are you guys able to tell from the data some causation in there for if the county population um, seems to be increasing? Um, sort of that spread that you're seeing is that people from Lawrence moving out to the county, new people coming in. Um, if people are moving out to the county from Lawrence, what's driving that? Like, why are they choosing that kind of stuff? We don't have that kind of depth in the day that we're getting. What we're, we're kind of being able to find out is, are they intra-migrational or intermigrational? So are they coming in from out of state or out of county, but we can't tell if they're in the county, if they're moving from one municipality to the other in the data sets. You can qualitatively kind of pick that up as you look at the numbers and get a sense of it, but it's I couldn't give you a good statistical number or a good run at it. It's more of a field than anything else there. We're getting some different tools and some different data sets online to kind of take a, a deeper dive into it, but it's there's a lot of stuff going there. Do you have, do you have the in-house ability to do that kind of research? Yeah. Or is that something you can pull from KU? No, we we, we can do it in-house, but we we also will we'll talk with uh, uh, IPSR at KU. I can't think of their full name of the acronym, but it's their... Uh, since this is statistical bureau, we'll talk with them quite a bit, and we also talk with um, <laughs> have that kind of data. But we have some we have in house for a lot that we lean into. So I have a dumb question. Um, I should probably know more about this that I don't. Um, the comprehensive plan um, and like the coming up with it. I understand it was like lots of people. But how do like these numbers and that kind of stuff? How is that taken into consideration in the comprehensive? Yeah, because like sometimes when I read this, it's very idealistic. It's fantastic. Like they're all one, but like how, how much of this was data driven and based on what we see, like what we saw happening and what we wanted to correct or change or whatever yep. versus just words on paper that sound pretty. I got some slides for you. Perfect. <laughs> of course, I also got to put this out here in the chamber because this is an outdated slide, but what I'll tell you is our in-house estimate program is the blue line. The red line is the census estimate programs that we tend to see in there. So I will put in my plug here is you got to take all census data with a grain of salt. We don't think there is a vicinity of us. Right now, when we did our last July 1 population number, we got 104,000 people living inside the city of Morris. And that's not an uncommon thing to see census numbers trend in different directions from where municipalities are tracking based on what we have in our data sets in-house. So my suspicion is at this point is our number is not just low, but very low. So 
That excludes students. That includes students. It would, this would always include students. Okay. Census is always based on where are you residing on April 1 of the decennial year. So part of the problem with the 2020 decennial year is what was going on on April 1. Yeah. Yeah. And you and Haskell were closed. Or was well, they should be. National level. Yeah. All college towns, all things that have that are reporting the same issues that they're, they're seeing undercounts and deviations in that they can't contribute to because on April 1, most colleges and universities isn't their student at home. So you're seeing a little bit of that, that deviation there. Yeah. We know from discussions with the Census Bureau between Haskell and KU inside the city of Lawrence, there's about 15,500 people that are considered transitory. So they will show up in August and they will leave in May. So we drop about 16,000 people when summer semester kicks in. And you can look at some of the different data points that we have and we can corroborate that number pretty cleanly that that's the case. So that's why you can get restaurant renovation really easy. But part of that in-house program, this is this is one that's a little dated, but this goes back to, to your question, Commissioner, about how do we use that data? This is tell us who are we planning for, how many are we planning for, and then what do we need to do next? So the blue line is a bit of a dated graph, and I can pull up the latest one that we have here. That is that dashed line is the commonality trend line that goes set. That's where it's projecting forward in time. But when we did our three estimation programs back in 2011. We did a high, a medium, and a low run on the model to kind of take a look at it. And you can see we're running just beneath the medium run. This works out to be about a 1% population growth for the city of Lawrence every year. So if you want to put that in real numbers, we add about 1,000 people per year to the city of Lawrence. But you just said that the blue line was, or the blue line was low, a low estimate. Yeah. And so the, the uh, medium line is running 1.2, 1.3. And what's the high line? High line is, I think, locked at two plus. This is this is Panasonic. This is this is all before Panasonic. This is actually before COVID. This this chart here is 2019 at its best moment. And I can pull up the after this, I'll pull up the one with the, the newest one we have information on. But this is all just us kind of looking at going. This is where we've been at since 2000. We've been growing at this rate consistently. If that trend is consistent and holds true, this is where we think we would land at in that point in time. So as of July 1, 2008, we thought we were at 100,736 people. We think that current trend is tracking pretty well because the difference between that yellow line and that line is about 6,000 people. So we know that we're pretty well in the money on that one. People are like, how do you kind of do that kind of thing? We look at the building permits and we look at the sewer rates. How much million gallons per day is the sewer plant treating? Because there's actually a way engineers can look at how much water is coming back to the sewer plant for how many people are in town. And when you see the amount of water coming out of the water system and coming into the sewer system, our numbers are lining up with what we think. It's awesome. Amazing what you can get from which is, you know, COVID rates and population rates and <laughs> amazing data tool. Is that about like um, normal? Is that where most cities are? Is that where like that we comprehensive plants as we want to be like the 1% growth? There's, there is no, there is no right one for that one. Some cities are going to be in decline. Some cities are going to be growing very low. Some but, cities like Austin and Phoenix will be growing double digits. But the question is going to be is not so much what do we want, but you know, if we're going to plan for it, what do we think we can sustain over 20 years? 
population growth is beyond us. People will come here or they will leave here based upon any number of factors. The question is, is does the plan have capacity and thought process for both directions in place? Lawrence is extremely lucky and it has not seen a decline in population growth since World War II. There's a lot of cities that can't make that claim. So it's there's not really a good number or right number for that one. It's just a matter of where the community feels comfortable with that number. That's what I meant. I guess I was like, where, what is the community goal? Because we were just talking about we were visiting. I overheard you guys saying about visiting. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can attract. You can make people like your city more and, and want to live there a little bit more by some of the things you plan. Good bike lanes. Good bike lanes. Right, that would help. But so I just didn't know if there was a target goal for that or anything. Okay. No, and it, it's one of those things. I mean. College towns aside, I mean, usually the one thing that's going to draw people to your community is either going to be an amenity or in a job. And that was all pre-COVID. Nowadays, either apply. I can work remote. So how do you attract a different kind of worker or a different type of job skill or whatever it is? Conversations all planners are having here. And I'll, I'll you know, give you a great example of it. There's probably planners who have done your planning commission meetings that were not in the state of Kansas. And they don't need to be. They can work remote and do those kind of things. I, I mean, we've had staff who, you know, done that before because of, you know, they had a family commitment. They had to be somewhere else for a different reason. And pre-COVID, that was that was a different thing. It was in a room. But now, you know, that's given them a little flexibility so they're able to participate. And that's, you know, any number of us have probably done the same thing. It's, uh, I can I can participate on Zoom, but I'm not there. So I think when you look at the population numbers, the question is going to be about not just jobs and things like that, but what else is there? I'll give a great example of that. a friend who not too long ago left it, left where he lived at for a very long time, same job, but because they went remote, he can now move closer to his family. So he did that. But he left Austin, Texas to move to Madison, Wisconsin. So, so I mean, he could be close to the family, didn't have to change his job, but then they also said, we don't need a physical office anymore. So now you're competing in an environment where physicality is no longer in play. So I don't know what the number, I don't know if 1% growth is even, it could be higher. Yeah. But I hear you saying it's not a problem for us. We're a lucky community not to have that issue. And when it comes to like developing a tax base and getting growth or money. So that's the important point is we're good on that. Population and tax base, I would say, are not equatable because you got to match it with what you have in both your, your portfolio for residential properties and commercial and industrial properties. The key is going to be is the state of Kansas sets the rates for commercial and industrial much higher. So the numbers are a little in flux and I'm going down a little rabbit hole. But if your community is three quarters residential, you're leaning very hard on your residential properties, which pay about 12 and a half percent. I think that's the right number. Still struggling. So that would your industrial and commercial properties will pay 25%. So if you're leaning hard on your residential, that changes the way affordable housing may come into your community differently than if you have a big industrial or a big commercial base, because then you can lighten that load across the spectrum. So what is your mix? Is it 25, 75, 25? It's about that, I think, or it might be two thirds, one third. It's, um, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it, it, it leans heavily into the residential. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So. Yeah, and plus, I mean, you talked about, you know, are, are we sort of safe? I don't know that I think this idea that you can live and work anywhere puts more pressure on the community to have something else. Right. Besides the jobs to. Yeah. So people don't move or people move back. But people so, like small yeah, towns, yeah. small towns, people like bike lanes, people yeah. like walk downtown areas. This, I mean, I do think those things kind of matter or may matter 
in the future for all the reasons you said. Exactly. And that's planning. Yeah. So this is all very interesting talk, thinking about these kind of macro trends that everybody's dealing with. And as we're thinking about these plans, I understand that they're they're driven mostly by community needs and values here on the ground, but to what extent and, and how are they also influenced by trends that you all see at conferences and different innovations and planning and what we're thinking about cities and all of that? We are driven a lot by that because you always want to look at somebody else and go, will that fix what I'm seeing in my community or would that be something my community would, would look at and go, that would be great if we could get those kind of things. Um, and so I'll, I'll look at places and we'll kind of keep the trend on that one, but we also got to kind of, I always just, they got to be right-sized. So people always will bring up, you know, we should do like Seattle does, or we should do like Portland. And that, that's a different tax base. There's a different thing going there. And then you got to look at it and go, eh, is that really, would that really do as well here? Cause we got a different climate. We have a different geography. So what we do is, um, Planners have a pretty good latitude about attending conferences and, and training sessions, those kind of things. And we always kind of talk about it, you know, bring back some ideas, bring back those conversations, because that's, you know, might not be the exact same, but maybe there's an element in there that we're looking at going, that would be great. And we'll tell you our affordable housing team has done that quite a bit, is they've gone to a lot of conferences and seen a lot of different places in action, and brought that back. And we said, well, that's probably a little bit beyond what we need, but if we did these components that would really change the game. And so you're seeing them action some of those big components in place. So we, we try to keep an eye on what everybody's doing to try to borrow. Do you have like specific reference cities from like a, a peer group? I, I assume it's more like less Topeka and more like Iowa City, but are there like particular communities that you're keeping an eye on as reference points? Uh, it depends on the project. Yeah. If you're looking at populations or demographics, we've got a list that we keep looking at, you know, how much are cities of this certain size with this much student population that we will look at to see kind of those dynamics. If we're looking at transportation, we'll look at a different set because the amount of road miles or the amount of bike lanes and those kind of things that kind of look for comparables. So it, it kind of fluctuates depending on what we're doing, but we got a pretty good list of about 10 or 12 that we well, kind of, you know, they match our demographics, they match our student population, or not demographics, sorry, or match our population and match our student population. And we'll use that to kind of pan through to kind of do it. But keep an eye on everybody. Okay. And I will tell you, a lot of people get it. I get a lot of calls from a lot of places about, hey, I see Lawrence is doing this. Tell me more. Tell me how you're doing it. What is this going on here? And so it's not uncommon that I go every week, I'll get a call from a different city or a different planner going, how'd you do this? How is this working? Is this really as good as it looks when I look at it online? Or I was just in, I had a call this week not too long ago. I was just in Morrison the week and I saw this. Tell me how this happened. And so that's what that was. It was eight to ten. It was exactly it was the eight to ten district. So how did how did eight and ten revitalize? How did you connect it to downtown? How did that get connected to all these other things? And it's like, well, there was a plan in 2000. We had the Lawrence Loop plans in place. We had all this transportation infrastructure in. We did the overlay district. It was just kind of talking about how does revitalization occur in that area? And so it was just really, that's, you get them all the time. So I do, I go somewhere and then I will call their planning office to say, hey, I was there. Tell me more. What do I saw this, but tell me what I didn't see. And so we get those calls quite frequently too. Can you talk just a a little bit about urban versus rural mm -hmm. population growth. Rural is pretty 
by number, like by real number, it is increasing by percentage number. It's been pretty steady. I don't think I've got that number in the. I've got a couple down here, so let me get out of that one. So, skipping that one real quick. That's the percent change in population that you see between 2020 and, and 2040. So that's the kind of changes that you'll see as as a whole for what it is there. But when you look at just kind of that rural population here, again, 90% falls in the plan 2040 then your purview there, but it hovers right around 10 to 11% of the population of Douglas County tends to be in the rural area. We have seen through a number of different reasons and uh, certificates of surveys and things, you see some changes in the way that housing is showing up in the rural area. And there are some things you can point to and say, maybe the cities are not doing something correctly or are they displacing something in a different direction on that one? I think it's fair to say is, you probably saw a lot of growth in rural residential in the county because the city of Lawrence wasn't responding necessarily the same way that others were wanting to respond. So that goes back to that first conversation. It's something that occurs in one, doesn't obey the boundaries, and gets pushed out into the others. So we saw some of that in real numbers increasing. Percentage, though, if you just looked at the percentage, you won't see that change too much. But in real numbers, yes, it did increase over the last 10 years. Thank you. In case anybody wants to see that last one, just for a minute for the numbers. So we're planning 2040 started and where Horizon 2020 started, and those years that you can kind of see there, and that's that's the change and a 50% almost increase in population, is what we're talking about. So it has to respond a little differently. So goes back to that foundational work. We think we've got some parts in there that are really good. What are they and what do we think they're really going to be? And so part of that conversation we started to have with that was with the steering committee. And as part of that steering committee, there was a county representative from planning commission and the city representative from planning commission throughout the committee. They met for four and a half years. They had 43 meetings. We did 18 months of nothing but public input. And at the end of that day, they came back with the issue action report, which was adopted by planning commission resolution and by joint ordinance resolution by the city and the county commission. That set the framework for what we were going to do next. And so it kind of lined out all of the action items, the big things that the community said we're doing great at, we're doing okay at, start this thing over. This one didn't work at all. And so what we did as part of that public input during that phase is we had a statistically valid survey we put out and we pulled the entire county. We got a statistically valid survey that matched our demographics, our economics, all of our things, and we got responses back on that. We did eight open houses throughout the county. We did an open house survey that had 373 responses. The steering committee had two public forums they held in November of 2014 to sit with people and just have conversations about what they were seeing or things they were talking about, having those things. And then the steering committee actually had a public meeting that was just a listening session. They just sat and said, anybody who wants to tell us about the issue action report, about what they're seeing, we're here to listen. There's no presentation, staff isn't talking, we're not talking, we want to hear from you all. And so they had an entire meeting to just gain more information as part of that public input process. But the outcome of that was the issue action report. Very easy to tell. Low is things that work fine, greener things that are great, just keep on going. And so this was all adopted in November 2015 by the governing bodies and by the planning commission. And this is the framework that is set the revision and the updating process from there on out. This gave staff the steering committee direction. Like this is the thing we need to be talking about. All issues during this received update. So even the high issues, received work and, and revisions as part of this, 
not just the low strength items because you can't just because you're doing great on it doesn't mean that it can't get better so everything got looked at from stem to stern the way that i put it we looked at it from the beginning to the end but the really large takeaways out of the, the whole discussion that we heard was this is what the community wants these are the things that we need we need employment opportunities we need a plan that was readable and if you've ever seen a copy of horizon 2020 it was a great thing if you had insomnia. <laughs> Wonderful. I loved it, but man, you needed to have a lot of coffee and a treadmill to want to read that thing from, from beginning to end. Um, we want quality housing for all incomes. That was a very poignant thing, not just in the city, but everywhere. Quality housing for all incomes. Arts and culture amenities. What is it that makes Lawrence and Douglas County Lawrence and Douglas County? Kind of that, that, that amenities conversation we were just having. What do we point at that's us? Height and density in appropriate locations, support for local food, quality neighborhoods for all ages. This is where you had that conversation, gonna go back to the grandpa Jennifer test I was talking about earlier, for all ages, all incomes, those discussions, and updating the Parks and Rec master plan. And during the process, Parks and Rec updated their master plan. They actually beat us across the line on that one. In case you're interested, they're gonna update it again. It's already getting ready to start and do it all over one more time because they wanna do it, they don't, they like it, but they think they can do better. So that's going to start as a process here soon, too. And then we address readability of the plan with the plan itself. If you ever see a copy of Horizon 2020, it's a wall of text. It is pages and pages and pages of text. And if you look at Plan 2040, there's text, but there's descriptions, there's details. And 2040 was also made to be a living document. It updates as things change. The maps update as roads come online, as real things happen. So if the new road is open, our maps will reflect that because they're interactive and they're online. If there is a hyperlink in the document, we try to point to the source. So if you want to know more about what FEMA is doing, we change that FEMA link to make sure it's going to the right page every time. So it's intended to always be changing the document. It's supposed to be a, like a clearinghouse at the end of the day. You want to click on something to learn more, it'll tell you more. That's what we didn't try to make it do from beginning to end. But it really gets down to this. We're kind of diving into the document itself. It needs, it wanted to do these kind of things. And the steering committee actually made a subcommittee to talk about this because this is what they said sets the tone for the entire plan. This is everything we want this plan to do. We want the community to be a place where you can live, work, learn, and play. All in Lawrence and Douglas County. That is the heart of the item. This is why you see strengthened emphasis in certain areas of the plan that you maybe didn't see the same in Horizon 2020 because they wanted to make sure this responded to that mission, to that vision statement that we heard from the community, that the steering committee picked up on, that we heard from the governing bodies, that we heard through all the communications was, I want this place to be all these things. So that's how we get going. So really, the big highlights on this one is you're going to see a lot of readability and continuity changes in the way that the plan works. It was rewritten in a lot of different ways to make it approachable, but it had a renewed emphasis on a lot of things that you see constantly showing up in our conversations even today. Downtown stability, historic preservation, the character of our rural areas, enhancing agriculture, accommodating growth, not just infill growth, but accommodating growth at the edges and different places the size and the location of retail because that's an ever-evolving thing restaurants of different sizes we're seeing that a lot in the last two years three years with COVID so evolving to keep up with what 
those restaurants, those things that we go and say, I want my community. Where does it need to be? What size does it need to be? Does it need to have certain parameters? Employment opportunities was a big thing. You see that kind of reflected in a lot of the ways, but also bike and pedestrian safety enhancements in that network, same as in our transportation network. And you saw us add a couple new things in there. We added arts and culture, not in Horizon 2020. We added quite the part about Lawrence neighborhoods and affordability. That is in there that was not in Horizon 2020. We also added elements about the food system development as part of that conversation, because that's that's kind of us. That's one of our character. That's what we like to do. But we also boosted uh, kind of the conversation about rural land elements. The best way I can describe it is this. If you look at Horizon 2020, it starts at mass, like a, like ninth and mass, and it works its way out to the county lines. It was always, if you read it, it works its way out from Lawrence and goes there. Very intentionally worked it the other way when we did Plan 2040. It starts at the county boundaries and works its way into the center. And so all of the structure in the plan, everything that's geared up for is never from Lawrence out, it's from the county in. And so that was an intentional programming because we wanted to make sure that we got the broad picture first. That was the stuff that we were talking about. So it works its way in. And it did the one thing that we always talk about a lot is it contains the reference plan still. So west of K-10, Farmers Turnpike, Revised Southern, Oriad Neighborhood, they are all there and incorporated by reference into the plan. And so the other things that you see, you know, the food system plan, the open space plan for the county would be one that we would incorporate in here when it gets completed. Arts and culture plan for the city of Lawrence. There is a multiple page list of plans that are adopted by reference as part of this that we lean on and we're looking at planning decisions, land uses, conversations that we have. And so they're all referenced in there. And this gets to the one thing we're doing right now is these plans, west of K-10 and all the others like it, are on constructs that were in Horizon 2020. They have their roots in the old comprehensive plan. So now is the time to give them a reboot, take a look at them, dial them, adjust them to get them to match with Plan 2040, but also just have a good conversation about are they still responsive in the way the community wants them to respond? Some of these plans were written in 2008, 2009. So got an effort underway on the planning side to take a look at that. but. So there are links then to all of these referenced plans in here. Yep. So all of the images in Plan 2040, if you click on the cover in, okay. Okay, okay. But those are by year. And so, like, where would I find that? It's either on our website. It's a PDF that lives on the website, but if you click on the images in Plan 2040, it'll take you right to the PDF. We also have a map online that shows the boundaries for all of them. Okay, I'm probably just on the wrong page in the plan, but that so I can be in the plan and click on it and see this. Yep, it's all in there, and it goes for all of the plans, like the arts and culture and all the other plans. They're all hyperlinked in there. So we try to make it be if you were in Plan 2040 and you wanted to learn more about anything, you could click on it and it would take you right to it. I don't have the skill set to go digging. So I'm like, I'm going to make this thing as clearing house and stuff. I also tried to break Adobe on multiple occasions trying to do it. So we got to, <laughs> that's kind of the essence of it. Those will show up in the article in the, uh, the appendix as part of our reference plans. Are the plans that are sort of on, on deck, like the open space plan, is there a clickable reference just for status or, or that it's coming? We just have, we have open spaces to add them as they come online. 
but we, we keep an eye on those. We work really closely with a lot of people on those. So we, we know when one of those is coming or are going to be adopted, that we will work to make sure that we get it incorporated, follow the protocol to get it incorporated into the plan so that you all can lean on it if you need a question or if you want to see how it's dovetailing into the broader picture. So. All right, so we're going to dive a little deeper. We'll keep going. So that's really the bulk and mass of chapter one. So chapter two, this was an intentional change the planning commissions made when they adopted the plan was to elevate the environment and natural resources chapter to chapter two. Previously in Horizon 2020, I think it was like 16. Yeah, it was like way down at the back of me. Seven years after Horizon 2020 was first adopted. Yeah, it was, it was, it didn't ever, when the original didn't quite, you know, get it. So this became chapter two in here. And I, I preface this with the way the kind of conversation is when you write comprehensive plans, you typically thread your large items through multiple chapters. So you want to have these things like the thread that bind it all together. So you pick out those things in your mission and vision, and that should be what threads the document from beginning to end. So sometimes things show up in a lot of places, and that's a central tenet of the entire document's part of the whole. Sometimes you'll see them very explicitly called in one chapter, but that doesn't mean that they don't show up somewhere else in a different way. And so those threads in that mission and vision you'll see through the action items and the entire statements all the document itself. And environment is one of those central tenants that show up everywhere. And so that's a lot of discussion we have, but you can see it really wants stronger floodplain protection, floodplain protection. It redefines and has conversations about sensitive lands and the ways that we want to talk about those. But it became the big opening step for the rest of the plan because this then sets the tone for the chapters on down the line. And I believe Commissioner Carpenter may be the only one left from the, uh, oh, yep, Commissioner Ashworth from the, uh, I think, eight or nine months uh, chapter by chapter, line by line <laughs> evaluation of the plan. The commission sat down and started. Yeah, and we just <laughs> we just barreled through it from beginning to end and had all the conversations. And they'd had a lot of the conversations the steering committee had over the four and a half years, but it was not a uh, rubber stamping. I guess it wasn't just that's nice and we're out. You know, it was a I don't like the period. I don't like the comma here. What does this word really mean to us? Yeah, yeah exactly. And so it got a full and thorough proper vetting as it should have got and it got from stem to stern looked at like it needed to do and that this is the this is the opening bit but what it really starts to look at is climate change those floodplains that sensitive land those are the big things you're going to see that kind of show up in a lot of the other chapters as we start moving on each of the meetings we published which chapter we were going to be looking at and have public comment for each chapter as we went. So it was another chance. Yep. So. Yeah, but another kudos in terms of this planning is that it really came down to like one bullet point that people had a great debate about. I mean, it was just, most of it was just like, this is all great. And we ended up with just a very few items mm -hmm. that created a, yeah. <laughs> One of those was just one word. Right. That's true. That's right. <laughs> and, and when was this? Uh, this was 2019. 2019. We started our the planning commission review in November of 2018. 
and we we closed it in November of 19 because I was on leave and had to come back and I wanted to see this thing through so I came back to put the last last not the last eye and and it took that long because it was approved by planning commission city commission didn't change they did city commission made a comment about they changed one word or something yeah went to the county commission so the county commission adopted what the city commission did but because there was that change. one sentence or one word change it had to come back to us for a final vote again <laughs> that one word was like i said earlier change a comment gotta go yeah. back again so we did it again so Chapter three is the big one. Chapter three was actually four separate distinct chapters in Horizon 2020. And if you go back and look at it, sometimes they talked to each other, sometimes they didn't. But we tried to put them all in one umbrella because it's all about that growth and that discussion point. So it looks at rural aspects, it looks at housing, it looks at the density and the growth from that accommodating growth is part of that. It also looks at the commercial options that we have as part of that. And to your question about the data here, the data actually fed into how we looked at the tiers and the way that Lawrence would grow. And so in Horizon 2020, they just put a line on the map. And if you look at it, it's very far ranging. It's very out there, just, you know, quite a bit. So we said, okay, if we know our growth rates, we know our future land uses, and we know a little bit of the details about the infrastructure, can we model this down a little bit and say, where do we really think we're going to be able to go in 20 years time? If we know some basic assumptions about life, that is how the tiers were developed. So blue tier is Lawrence, that is the city limit at the moment it ran through. Tier two is your growth area. That's what we thought we would grow through in time for 2040 to kind of run its course. Tier three is the remainder of that growth area that was in Horizon 2020's growth area that we don't even think we could get to in 2040, even at the, the numbers that we had at that point in time. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't go in that direction or annex in that direction or we even need to shift in that direction. Because again, it's flexible. It's going to move with what we see in the world. But just with what we knew at that moment, it we could get there if we had to, but we didn't see us going in that direction at that point in time. So tier two is about eight and a half square miles of land around the city. It has an estimated population capacity of about 19,000 people. Inside the city limits, when we did the numbers at that point in time, we thought we had about 20 years of multi-dwelling inventory on the ground, some multi-dwelling zoning that was available. We know we got about two years of single-family inventory on the ground right now, and that's about another 17,000 people at that point in time. So when we ran the model out, we asked it, take all these things into account. How far do we get? By 2040, we thought there'd be 124,000 people in the city the estimated capacity inside of tier one and tier two was 135,000 people. So even if we got past 2040, we would still have capacity left over in the land to do, you know, some more space in there. But that's where that population of analytics came in. We could try to actually put a real measurable boundary on it to understand what was really going to potentially happen in the world at that point in time. But the constraints on the model were really this. Where can we provide water and sewer? Where can fire be at? What streets can we get to? You know, people like parks, so we should probably have some parks out there too. So some just general constraints that we would need to have. But the assumptions were this when we fed it to it was you have a 1% growth rate. We're going to assume infill development first. So once we run out of infill, we'll grow then. Because the real world does be honest with you, does not necessarily always work like that. But that's kind of the way we had the model think about the world because it was a little bit more realistic of what the plan was asking. 
but we also said you can't just skip out randomly. So it's gotta be next to the city limits. But then also look at your future land use density. And if you're RM32 expected, let's go to RM32. Let's put it out the top. Let's see what that's going to be because most times they will get in that vicinity. So it is a best guess. The best way I describe it is it's a very fancy magic eight ball though. Every day we get new data, every day it would change and it's not, you know, locked in stone. There's always conditions around it swirling and changing, but it gives us an idea of what we think we can do. That's the tiers if you want to see them kind of as they stagger out and if they work. Do you all track undeveloped land within city limits? I, I know there's different forms of infill, but just like street undeveloped land, do you have a measure of like, this is out there, this could be developed or? Yep. And then so related to that, do you that track how much that is being developed by year? And do you have a, a sense of infill is actually happening or yeah we, we've not got hard numbers on it i haven't seen the latest runs for it but yeah we last time we did it we were seeing there was a there was infill happening but it was not just in residential it was in all all components so industrial and commercial at the same time but yeah we do we do follow back and track on those and kind of have a good sense of what's where everybody's kind of moving and going to okay we actually kind of keep a pretty close eye on that because that will change how we interpret certain things in the way that we maybe present to you or conversations that we have because if we find that we're running out of one thing, then we clearly might need to get more of it. So yeah, right. we keep a pretty good eye on it. I imagine with that model, you can also tweak things for the type of infill, regardless of what the existing zoning is, um, what could possibly happen if zonings were changed, you know, from RS to RM and tweak it that way. Yeah, figure out. We can do do quite a bit to it. It takes a while for it to go from beginning to end, but we can find out, kind of give us some scenarios or say, you know, maybe 32 units per acre is now low. We go to 55. We can have it figure that out as, as part of that process. So and this was this was its capacity run when we did it the last time through. Kind of give you an idea of what it was looking at. So if you have an infill location that is like a large open green space that somebody wants to build houses in. Um was there any thought given to it's not already a green space, so that is okay to not consider as part of like a park plan? If you know what I mean, like in other words, does it have to be a designated park already for it to, you know? If it was designated as a park, we left it as a park. If it was zoned or just vacant, uh -huh. we applied a development capacity to it based on its zoning or its future land use. I see. So if we knew it was going to be commercial, we would program it for commercial. But if it was, you know, if it was zoned in the holding pattern that you are, could be anything. But we just right. kind of said, if it's in the future land use plan, let's match that future land use. If it's not, let's. So if it's not already a park, it's fair game. It can be, yeah. 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 So if we get a new park, a lot yeah. would respond differently. Right, right. So really the whole thing with this was it was it was the plan is to accommodate growth. And part of that conversation about the real character was simply that let's protect and preserve the real character, that that agricultural heritage that we have. So it prioritized infill development in tier one as its first day. And annexations in tier two in those conversations, it really wants to talk about, you know, let's have that conversation about what it is. So it prioritized development at any time in tier one. In tier two, it was really about, let's be reasoned and let's be focused about what we're doing and be very, you know, 
responsive to what we're talking about. So if we're hearing a lot of conversations, let's respond to those conversations. But it did set the parameters to Commissioner Carpenter's point about the, the three paragraphs there about, you know, there needs to be accommodated demand is established and provided as part of that conversation. So there is that community benefit that you hear a lot about in there. So it, it talks about that. Tier three was preparing for beyond 2040. So 2041, 2050, 2060 down the line. And, you know, you can go out into that area, but the plan sets a little bit of a higher bar there and says it is the only way to identify a community need or a benefit that's provided. So it wants to say you can go there. There's reason to contemplate it, but that bar is a little higher than what we'd say in tier two. So a little of that conversation that we had back through those days. And so these were the, the key policies that you, you probably hear a lot about at planning commission. These are the ones that, that got a little bit of conversation that the city commission, and like I said earlier, I'm recycling a presentation that has this in here, so I don't want to pull it, but there is a little bit of those kind of discussion points there. And that's, I am cutting on Randy's time, so I need to hurry up. So <laughs> all right. We'll skip around here. So community benefits are laws. Well, it may include, it never like it have to include anything, but it could may include a variety of things, but it, it's not an exhaustive list. There's lots of different things that may be necessary as the plan evolves and grows over time. So it's, you know, whatever is of the moment of that key concerns, that's what we're looking at as part of that conversation. So skipping to three here. It was all about neighborhoods and housing. It was that that connectivity, that aging in place. What's called in the building code world is universal design and making sure you build buildings for anybody and everybody with you know low entry access or zero zero step access as you roll it, as you kind of go in through the doors, you can roll in and has the right configurations for those. But we also just put it all in one chapter because if you looked at Horizon 2020, if it was somewhere, it was never it was everywhere. It never it didn't you couldn't find it all if you wanted to. So we piled it all into one because that's that's a big part of our community is our neighborhoods and, and that housing. So that is what we kind of did with this chapter. Transportation is transportation 2040. You adopt that by reference and incorporate it as part of your transportation chapter. So the things you see in chapter five are really those things that link back to 2040. It pulls those elements up into the land use discussion from transportation 2040, which is really talking about transportation and streets, road networks. This is that linkage that brings it kind of in hold to you. So that's kind of the key with this. Economic development, like I mentioned earlier, one of those things was all about um, jobs, those employment opportunities we have in the community. I was just looking at the, one of the notes that I always talked about with this was um, preparing for what's next. And again, this was in 2018 when I wrote this presentation, but we now know what next is, looks like some respects there. So this was the part with this one is, Preparing for what is that next conversation to be had. And of course, community resources really pulling those things together that we point out and say, this is Lawrence, this is, this is Douglas County. These are the things that we look at and say, this is what makes us live here, what makes us want to be here. This is how we identify ourselves and kind of stay. So that's the heart and soul of that chapter. And of course, the things that the, the plan was always forecasting from the very beginning was you're going to there's going to be growth. There's going to have to be growth. We've always seen growth, so we need to be accommodating for that. But we also have to accommodate for employment. And we got to think about the way that our neighborhoods are inclusionary. How are they doing for housing types, price points? Best way to think about it is if you want to live in the same neighborhood your whole life, do we have the architecture, the design that lets you do that? So if we move there as a college student, 
and you retire there, does it have all the same things that you need at any stage of your life? It'd be hard pressed to say that sometimes with neighborhoods, but that's that's what it's kind of going for. It's looking for those transportation connections, ways that we can get better about it, but also making sure that we're responsive in the sense of love planes out there. And so this was the highlight I wanted to leave you all with. When we did the numbers and metrics, we tracked back through the planning commission meetings that they had. They had over 40 hours of public comment and discussion. There was over 700 changes made to the plan, and it was a thorough line-by-line -line review that occurred. It was awesome. <laughs> See, yeah, I, a lot of you didn't point on the mark. One of the good points is two of the current county commissioners. Brown, yes. So, and so the, really the big takeaway was this for us. If you look at Plan 2040 in totality, it reordered the chapters. It, it revised and updated the definition to kind of have that conversation. We brought some metrics and, and data and analytics to that growth management, that, that rural emphasis discussion to make sure we were kind of meshing correctly. But we also put in local foods, which is a big part of, I think, the Lawrence and Douglas County experience. And it was never there in, in Horizon 2020. So. That is a very rapid crash course in about seven years of comprehensive planning. And good news is you don't have to listen to me talk anymore. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I do have a question. When I when you were talking about the different things and the changes that you made from um, Horizon 2020 to 2040, like reordering the chapters and things like that, um, what I hear you saying is that those things matter and that they have... Um, an element of priority um, or when we're looking at things, it may matter like what chapter they're connected to and the order that they're in and the language that was chosen. And the reason I raise that is sometimes people will, will talk about that at the public meetings for public comment, right? And it's, I just wanna make sure that I'm understanding it and that we're all understanding it, right? So like, in if natural resources or whatever is now chapter one i mean that's something that is supposed to be relatively high on the priority list not that everything isn't important right but those types of arguments are those things that i what i hear you saying is those kinds of things do matter and they were taken into consideration and they are reflected in the structure the word choice and the way that the um plan 2040 is presenting our value system. It, there's a prominence to the chaptering, but I wouldn't say that seven is lesser than two in those respects. I think they're they're all in that same way, but we wanted to, the commission, and I think the steering committee wanted to reflect was the order was a little bit by intent and a little bit by what was there in 2020. So some of those chapters were still ordered in the way they were in Horizon 2020, but they didn't, they didn't want to imply that two is of the utmost importance at the expense of four. So it's not so much that there's a system, it's they're right there all together. Now the question is, is what threads between all of those? And then how does that show up in, in the day-to-day -day that you're seeing? The word choice was in Commissioner's correct or wrong here. There was a very deliberate discussion about the word choices, the definitions of those things, because Horizon 2020 had some of those things, but maybe they didn't, we didn't all agree on it or it didn't encompass everything that we were hearing in the community. So there was a very deliberate review of the words and the sentences and the, what those words meant to kind of give that heft to the discussion points. Can you bring up those two paragraphs? Really? 
part of it is you're gonna you're gonna bring whatever you bring, you know, to the, the conversation. I hope by moving the environment up towards the front was to always have that in your head. What is the long-range impact of what we're doing today within these categories? The <clears throat> So you point the first paragraph up there where it's shall be annexed. That's the only place we use shall in the whole. That's the only shall. And that was a point of contention at the city commission meeting where it was presented. Karen Willie was chair at the time. She had to go to Wisconsin or something, but uh, so I was there. But that was the back and forth we had. Why we chose Shell end up there and no place else. And then the other, the biggest bone of contention is what's the community benefit, which is kind of left open ended here because the hope is it's going to be further defined in the updated. So. Yeah. Okay. People talk about it. People do talk about those things. I'm hearing that kind of stuff in the public comment. And so how to value it, what, you know, the balance and, and whatnot on that, I think is important to know. Thank you. I find it very helpful to have that touch point. And when you get down into the weeds of some of the stuff to think back to 2040 and say, okay, what was the vision? Right. Um, and to use that to inform how I look at the projects that come before us. Well, and I know that, you know, it's a big document. It's a pretty important part of, we all talk about it quite a bit. And giving it an hour feels almost like a little bit of a short changing on it, quite truthfully, with what it does there. So um, there's a lot of discussions that went on. There was a lot of extremely great and thoughtful input that we had throughout all the years that we did process on it. So um, if you all want to, you know, well on that for a bit and maybe if you want to have some maybe added some of those different things as mid-month topics i think that's a, that's totally within possibility on those things because there's a lot of it doesn't look like a lot of pages but there's a lot to unpack when you have that and you think about it as a document as a whole so there's a lot of there's a lot there oh how better to say it <laughs> yeah thank you so much clearly no 2040. I've had some time with it. <laughs> <laughs> and great time management as well. Yeah. 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 It, 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 I, uh, in defense, that was my first course assignment. That was it. That was the, that was your assignment is to do this. That was it. I, I know a little bit. <laughs> great body of work. Great time management. Thank you very much. We're on to item. Um, Three actually, it's, it's uh, doesn't have an item number there, so it's the next item right before lunch. Um, Randy Larkin is here to talk to us about ex parte Kansas Open Meeting Act bylaws. Um, great opportunity for us to learn the rules and what we can do, what we can't do, what we shouldn't do in and around our meetings. Randy, thank you for being here. That's all right, thank you. Um, don't know all of you, I've seen a lot of you on Zoom, it's been a while since I've been in person at any of these meetings. So just by a little way of introduction, I'm Randy Larkin, I'm the deputy city attorney. I've been with the city for 11 years now. I was in private practice for 18 years before that and basically represented the city in litigation. And then when the opportunity came up in 2011, I went in house with the city. Um, for that, I worked for a couple of judges and then was in 
I worked for a judge and then was in law school before that. I've been in Lawrence for 36 years. And so anyway, all right, I'm going to talk to you today about the Open Meetings Act, conflicts of interests, ex parte communications, bylaws, things like that. It's uh, you know, important stuff, but it's kind of dry. So if you have questions and <laughs> that would make it uh, interactive, that would make it a little better. So with that, I'll just jump right into it. We'll start with the Open Meetings Act. Um, that's probably well, conflicts of interest. They're both equally important. Anyway, um, Coma was in, the Kansas Open Meetings Act was enacted in 1972. Kansas was kind of on the front edge of that. We've not always been on the front edge of things like this, like the Open Records Act, we were way behind. But with the Open Meetings Act, we kind of were one of the earlier states to adopt it. It came kind of came out of uh, some reformation and, and some things that they wanted to do that came out of the 60s. And so anyway, that was adopted in 1972. And as enacted, it's been described as the cornerstone of public access to local and state government. And really its fundamental purpose is to require that government be done in front of the public so that the public knows what's happening so that we don't have backroom deals that may have been the situation in the past. Um, anyway, uh, it's an ex it, it, the key is a representative government is dependent on an informed electorate and that it is also stated to be an express violation of coma if you were to recess meetings or to do something to avoid that. Coma applies when there are two things present. There has to be a body that's covered by the act and there has to be a meeting. So that's it, two things. Uh, a body is covered by an act if it's a legislative, administrative, a state agency, a political subdivision, the city and the county both are covered entities. Additionally, subordinate agencies of city and county are covered entities if they have hearings, make recommendations to the public body. For that reason, the public, the planning commission is also covered by the Open Meetings Act. So you are governed by the Open Meetings Act. All our meetings are, and we go from there. So you are a covered agency. Now, the big deal is, is there a meeting? Now, for there to be a meeting, there has to be three things. There has to be a gathering or assembly in person through telephones, interactive communications, could be video conferencing, could be Zoom, could be emails. So it has to be a gathering or assembly where there's communication, interactive communication anyway, by a majority of the members of the board for the purposes of discussing the business or affairs of the body. So it has to be a gathering, communicate, interactive communication by more than a majority, and it has to be to discuss the business or affairs. Those are the three things. We'll go into each of those. Um, a gathering or assembly, that's easy when you have a meeting when you're here. This is, this is qualifies, we're all here among each other meeting, so that, qualifies uh telephone calls video conferencing zoom those those are our interactive communications um majority of the membership are 10 members in the planning commission so majority is one more than half so it's six so if there's five members meeting or talking it's not a it's not a meeting it has to be six not covered by comb not covered by comb right so six is the number that's also the quorum 
Um, and then business or affairs of the body. This is where it gets, sometimes this is where the substantive issues usually occur because it's usually easy to determine whether or not there was interactive communications, whether or not there was more than five, whether or not, you know, there's a covered entity. So it's whether or not it's a meeting. Um, just discussing the business with affairs does not require any action, doesn't require any um, formal action by the board, just has to be a discussion of something that's before you. So if it's something, you know, for example, uh, something that's coming up before you, something that's come up in the past, and you discuss these things in private and outside of the public meeting, outside of where people are in what we have is a meeting. Um, social gatherings are not necessarily a meeting if you don't discuss the business or affairs or things that appear before the body. Um, you can go to, you know, we've had gatherings where people had dinners and uh, outside meetings like that. Those are all fine. You can attend seminars together. That all works fine just as long as you don't discuss things that are coming before this body or things that you've handled for this body. You can talk about planning in general. Those are all perfectly fine, just cannot be the business of the body. Uh, also prohibits serial business meetings. And um, that's something that comes up every once in a while. A serial meeting is, for example, Commissioner A says, hey, you know, what do you think about this to Commissioner B, which is not necessarily a problem. Once that you get a chain of emails and they're connected and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And it gets to six people. We've had a serial meeting and that would be a violation of the Open Meetings Act. So be very wary of doing something of that nature. Another thing that you want to watch out for is hitting reply all. It doesn't necessarily cause a problem, but it could, depending on how the communication started or how it went could be very, could be interactive. And so be very careful about any reply all. We've had to report a couple of things to, not, not from the planning commission, but other boards where you talk to the attorney general and the attorney general's well in this situation. No, yeah. we don't want to have to do that. blind copy as a method of sure, producing the chance that someone would reply all. Right, absolutely. That's, that's great. That will work. Um, so that's it. I mean, so basically the thing is there has to be a covered entity. There has to be a meeting. For there to be a meeting, there has to be some type of interactive communication or gathering. There has to be uh, six of you and you have to discuss business or affairs of the body. So that's, those are things that protect. Now, if something happens, uh, other things that go into Open Meeting Act, um, there has to be notice. If you do an agenda, they have to be made available to everybody. Uh, you're not required to, but if you have it, make agendas, they need to be made to the public. And if something happens, and if there is a violation, here's the what can happen. Uh, anybody that is aggrieved is empowered to bring a private cause of action in district court to challenge it. Uh, the district attorney and the attorney generals have authority to bring an action against the city and against you. Uh, if an action is brought, remedies include injunction, mandamus, there's several penalties, payment of costs, and maybe other appropriate orders. 
Uh, what they need to know if an action is brought against you, they flip the burden of proof in these types of cases. Typically, the burden of proof is on the party bringing the action. But if an action is brought against you for violating coma, we have to establish, we have to, the burden of proof to establish that we did not violate. So that's just something to be aware of. Um, penalties, uh, any action taken by the planning commission or the city commission can be voided or avoidable. Uh, civil penalty of up to $500 for each violation. You can be assessed court costs for that. Uh, the violation only has to be knowing. You do not have to, they do not have to show a specific intent to violate, which basically means you have to know, not necessarily know that you're violating that, but you know what you're doing when you do it. So if you know that you enter into this discussion, that's all you need to show. It doesn't have to show, oh, you I intended to violate that. All you have to do is show that that action that you took was done knowingly. Uh, of course, the city can, the court can issue injunctions and can issue costs. But most likely what will happen is you will get your name in the paper and you will have to go to class. <laughs> and no one wants their name in the paper for this reason and no one wants to have to take those extra classes. We haven't had anything go beyond that, but we have had classes in the past that have had to be taken. We have, it's only happened a couple times. So anyway, that's coma. Are there any questions regarding the Open Meetings Act? Yes, those penalties that's potentially on individual commissioners. Mm -hmm. It'd be the city as a whole, it'd be the individual commissioner as well. Yes. The burden of proof flips. How do I prove that I didn't talk to someone? <laughs> it's not an easy thing to prove a negative. Yes, you'd have to prove that someone, it did not happen. Someone just thinks right. that I did. I mean, I, and well, they'd have to bring the action first. Yeah. And then you'd have to establish that, yeah, that did not occur. That's interesting. So, I mean, how you would do it is then becomes a issue of fact. Uh, you know, if your evidence is more credible than the other side, then they'll believe you. If not, no. It's yeah. a good reason to be aware of it. Stay as far away from the circumstances that could be misunderstood as possible. Correct. That's we try to be as conservative as we can and yep. err on the side of caution. <laughs> So if six of us went for a bike ride, would that be? No, not necessarily. You can do that. You can go out to lunch. You can go for bike rides. Just don't talk about this thing or anything that's coming up. Six of us shouldn't ride bikes on the upcoming agenda. So if you're riding bikes together and say, oh, you know, think about that thing coming up next week. That's a problem. Yeah. But if you just talk about whatever. Yeah. You use boards, whatever, football, whatever. But if we were to look at, like, say there's nothing coming up, but we were to... We've been complaining about bike lanes. If we were to six of us to take a bike ride and then complain about bike lanes, even though nothing is before us currently, is it that's that's still, that's all fine. That's just that's each citizen. Right. I know, but there's but now like now I'm like, well, let's you know how far because that is the kind of thing that would that is the kind of thing, but you don't necessarily have anything pending on that. Um, I think you can talk about bike lanes, the, the status of the roads. You can talk about planning in general. It's just okay. it's just not the business. Okay. We talk that. about what it means. Pending <laughs> <laughs> means uh, if you know something coming up, if you go, you know, I hear, I, I, I hear that there's going to be a uh, opening Costco at, at down south. You start talking about that, you know, you don't want to be doing that really, you know, you know, it'd be great to have a Costco, I can wait or something of that nature. That would be something that would be coming up that might be potentially pending. The, the thing is, you know, if you know what's on the agenda, what's been applied for and those types of things, that's typically 
talking about. Okay. Don't don't talk about it if it's yeah. on the agenda. Right. Or if there's a, if it was. I hear you saying if there's a middle. Yeah. Which we just found out where the link is today that right. actually tracks the middle. So okay. Right. Uh, but okay. You check in and say, hey, can you believe that they want to rezone that property to this or they want to do that to that property? You might have issues. So that's what you want to stay away from. Anything once there's a submission of of, of the application. And it's it's the business of the board. What about after we voted, and it's kind of like the first stage in a process, and we know that maybe there's a restaurant coming. Can we talk about it and say, hey, do you know there's a restaurant coming here because we just changed the zoning? I, you know, I that's been a, a tricky question. I would be my recommendation to avoid doing that. Even then, at that point in time, it's still the business, that, and there's always a chance there's a rebound and something comes back, back to you. Yeah. Sure. So the process isn't actually complete. Please, right. I it's just the first two, yeah. two years, three years down the road. Yeah. Yeah, that's no right. big it's deal. But sitting there. Right. Yes. That's good, good to it's know. Just, so if more than five of us are together, that triggers us start to think about kind of what we're saying. Right. Not that we would do it with less than five anyway, but right. So as long as we have five and you go off and talk to someone else about what we just right. talked about. Right. That's that gets tricky. So if if five of you meet and talk about it and then that communication is then shared with the sixth, then okay. you might get to the point where it's a serial meet. Okay. As long as it's interactive communications, uh, you know, sometimes it's a question of one member, we've had this with other boards, sending a, a letter to everybody else on the board. Not necessarily a problem. We don't encourage people to do that because it could cause problems. We immediately said, don't respond to anybody. Because as soon as they started, you start throwing emails back and forth, then all of a sudden you got a problem. So, all right, on to conflicts of interest. Now, this came out again pretty much at the same time as the uh, Open Meetings Act, and it came out of the same ideas of reform. That was that was going around at that time, in the late sixties, early seventies. And the purpose of the conflicts of interest law is to make sure that you put, you don't use public office for personal gain. That's that's just the basis. No use of public office for personal gain. Um, so, for the purposes of the act, there is conflict of interest laws, and it's at KSA seventy five dash four three zero one A at SEC. Uh, you guys are all considered to be local government officers because you're appointed to the board. So, so it applies to you. Now, typically what happens is under the act, you're required as a local government officer to file substantial statements of substantial interest with the county election office. So what does that mean? Uh, it means if you have interest, and we'll get into what that means. If you do not have that on file and something comes before you where you have a substantial interest in it, then what you have to do is abstain. Can't act on anything that you have a substantial interest in unless you have filed a statement of substantial interest with the county election officer. So what is a substantial interest? Now, there are six things. We'll go through them. There are six things listed in the statute. These will cause you problems if you have them and you consider and act on something that comes before the board where you have a substantial interest in these things. If an individual or spouse either individually or collectively has owned within the past 12 year, months legal or equitable interests exceeding $5,000, 5% of any business, whichever is less. So if you own stock in a company and it exceeds 5% of the 
of the ownership, you're an LLC and that entity comes before the board, you have to have either disclose that on your statement of substantial interest or you need to abstain. If you act on it, then you have violated that. If you expose it early, you can still just pay vote. As long as you file the statement. If you don't have filed a statement, whether you disclose that or not, you have an interest. But the then you would still be there conflict whether you declared it or not. If you haven't, you have to have it on file. That's just how the law works. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you disclose the fact that you had it from the board, it just you just tell, yeah, I have interest in all these things. I'm, I'm yeah. a partner in this right. company. I put it on file. I can vote on in favor of everything that comes in front of me that's going to. That is so interesting. Me. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. That answers some questions, though, when I watched a couple other meetings going on. I was wondering how people didn't have a conflict of. They voted on things that seemed like would be a conflict of interest. So that makes sense. Right. Maybe, but the world knows about it. And so legally. Legally. Because, you know, the thing is, you're put on the board no. because of the knowledge and the things that you know. And so we don't want everybody being excluded or have to abstain because they don't know anything. You know, we have yeah. that question comes up quite a bit. Something's happening in your neighborhood. Well, That's you fine. might have an interest in it, but you are a member of the public. You were elected to or you appointed this board to put your input. So even if that's within your neighborhood, you know, it's fair game. You know, right. So and that's well, that's why you know you guys are all appointed. The second thing is uh before you move past that, how, yeah. how about uh, serving on boards? Uh there's maybe not a financial interest, but there's uh sometimes that will come up. And I'm gonna go through five of them and then we can okay. talk about these a little bit more because that's just the first one, five thousand dollars or five percent. Okay. So the next one is if you have uh received something, compensation, which is taxable in the amount of more than two thousand dollars from somebody. So if you work for somebody, get a W-2 in the amount of four thousand dollars. Whatever, you know, you do some consulting work, you do, you know, help, you help put someone's roof on, whatever it is, then you have a substantial interest in that business if they appear before the board. So you have to either disclose it or abstain. The third one is um, if in the preceding 12 months, without reasonable valuable consideration, you receive $500 in value from somebody. So you go to Dillon's and win a $500 shopping spree. You now have a substantial interest in Dillon's for the next 12 months. So just be aware of that. So this is to keep people from, well, I have a thing coming up next year. And here's a here's $1,000, $500. You get a gift from somebody. I mean, that's the purpose of it. You get a gift of over $500. You have to disclose it. You have to abstain or abstain. And when you say individual or individual spouse, I'm assuming that's technically um, like a married, legal marriage. Yes, mm -hmm. it'd be a legal marriage. Yes. Now, whether it gets the common law or not, I don't know. I've gotten that far, but I that would, that would be a different issue. <laughs> In the interest, is that just with respect to the landowner, like the, the applicant, or is it if they're being represented by somebody else? Yeah, it would be the applicant. Okay. Yes. Yes. Just so. legal marriage. Well, no, but sometimes like there's cohabitation and things like the, the world is really expanded and right. what we what we would recognize as two people maybe having similar right. or combined marital type yeah, interests. How does that apply to what was your well, so individual or an individual spouse? And I was right. just making sure that, oh, okay, okay. that uh, spouse meant like a legally married gotcha. individual. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, thank cohabitation. you. Yeah, so this was Something. the law was written in nineteen seventy two. It's still like nineteen seventy two, and so there we go. It's 
the individual or the individual spouse. That's the exact language from the thing, but that's what they talk about, legal legal marriage, some type of They'll know, again, whether or not would apply to common law. I'm not worried about that, but I like live with my partner and I just, you know, we have common interests and some uncommon. So uncommon. So Right, correct. I'm not common. I'm married, so I'm not worried about that. <laughs> um, now, if you serve, the fourth one is if you serve on a board, someone was talking about this, if you serve on a board other than a not-for-profit. So, you know, if you're on the Boys and Girls Board, you know, and they come before you, it's not a problem. But if you serve on the board of directors for a for a for-profit corporation on the LLC or some other type of deal, and they come before you, you have, an, you have a substantial interest. Those things need to be disclosed. Yes. And then the last one is if you receive compensation or percentage of a commission paid to a business or comments, uh, like if you receive a commission of more than $2,000, this usually comes up if you're a real estate agent, real estate broker, or if you do something in sales and you do something for somebody where you get $2,000 of taxable income or your spouse gets $2,000 of taxable income, you now have a substantial interest in that entity if they come before the board. So if you do consulting work and you get a commission for monies that are brought in in excess of $2,000, you now have a substantial interest in that business and either have to file a statement of substantial interest or you need to abstain. So those are the five things. Does the Douglas County Community Foundation count as a is that a nonprofit? I would assume that it is. Um, we would we would look at that and those as those individuals the questions come up, but I don't know for sure whether it is. I'd have to see how it's how it's organized and how it's listed with the state. But I would guess most likely so, it is because I think so because you can make charitable donations to no. so that's what that's what that's I'm considering for tax purposes. Yeah. yeah. So if you haven't filed a statement of substantial interest, you might be interested in doing so, um, especially if you have investments or if you are on a board or if you've done work that would raise it up a commission or something. The other thing is all you have to do is abstain. If all of a sudden you say, oh, I forgot that I did some work for them last year and I got money, I'm just abstain. And that's the way. And when you abstain, you go to the back room and let everybody else decide the issue, and then you're safe. As long as you don't act on it, you are fine. The, what triggers it is taking action on something that you have a substantial interest in. Yes. Does that have to be, uh, do you have to be aware of the conflict of interest? If I, <laughs> you do, I mean, I would guess that would be a defense. I mean, yeah. you have to know. Um, I don't know how they would treat that. It would probably be technically a violation, but whether or not they would actually do anything with something you didn't know, I would just guess if you know if it came down to it and I would have had to pull trigger, they'd say you probably should know. So, so, but if it happens, it happens. So when you when you say you don't act on it, uh, do you mean or, uh, a vote? Like a, right, or, or participate, or discuss, or do any Sometimes of that we make comments that might change another commissioner's mind. Right. So we can all comment That's what on we want to do. There was somebody. There was a commissioner, planning commissioner Topeka. Now this happened 10, 15 years ago. He was up there talking, and they got the last item, and he started talking about it, and he was 
trying to sell his other commissioners. And then he went back, went down and stumped from the podium. I'm actually the applicant. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Those are things. Every class was that right? Yeah. If, if, uh, if a lawyer represented you in, in the past and is representing a client in front of you, is that? No. That okay. you would not, because you paid probably that attorney money. Right. You wouldn't have a substantial interest. You just have a, you know, the person. Or that's, and that's that's okay. Have. That would be okay. Yeah. okay. It's really only about money. If you're if we're getting compensated from someone in a value of over 500 or 2,000, right. then we would want to, or we own something, right. um, then we would want to disclose it. Absolutely right. And, and you recommend abstaining before the start of the meeting or before the vote? Or does it I would, yeah, at the very start, just say I'm going to abstain so everybody kind of knows. To declare abstentions at the very top of the meeting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have a very nice green room off to the side that we have. Okay. <laughs> I think it's very plush, decorated well. <laughs> now, there are some things that come up that aren't technically violations or technically a conflict of interest, but your brother-in-law comes before the board. <laughs> you don't really have this conflict of interest, substantial interest in that. At the same time, you have that type of familial relationship where the appearance of impropriety may outweigh any conflict. And we've had people say, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't want to look like I was overly fair to my brother-in-law. I also don't want to get in trouble with my brother-in-law if I don't go for it. So they will recuse themselves, whatever, however. So sometimes those types of relationships will come up. You know, it's my, it's my best friend from high school. I don't want that. It's parents' side of right. being conservative and cautious. And so we say that's not a technical, you don't have to, but if you, yeah. if you want to, you can. So. Do you have the forms, the file, the statement of substantial interest? Where do we get that? That would be from the county election office office they have those and prepare them i know city commissioners have prepared those and we sometimes those come through us because they voted on something you know, they, they they did something you know <laughs> not did something bad but they all oh, right they did disclose it so it was not a problem so we had not had an issue with now when we get to the serious part of what happens if there is a penalty if there's a violation now this is even a little more serious than open meetings act because they really don't want you using public office for financial gain or personal gain. Uh, if you are convicted, it's a class B misdemeanor and you could be sent to jail for six months and have a fine not to exceed a thousand dollars. So that's, that is actually criminal as opposed to civil penalties that both the open meetings act. So be aware that the penalties are a little more severe for the violation of this. So Definitely want to err on the side of caution. If you have any questions, whether you have a conflict, our office is there to, to give you uh, advice. There's also the Kansas Government Ethics Commission. They are also available. If you're not comfortable asking our office for one reason or another, they will give you a written opinion. And if you get that written opinion, it's like a get out of jail free card, even if that's their opinion is wrong. You cannot get in trouble for following their advice. So just give you a heads up on that. So I think the information on that from those things are um, set forth in the handout I gave our contact information. If it's not, are we going to get copies of these slides? Are we there available if we need them? There should be handouts. I don't know. Oh, handouts. It's in the phone. Okay. But Got you it. can also make sure the oh, slides are. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Are there any issues with 
Um, if you are somebody who donates to various nonprofits and they come before nope. the commission, okay. That's all fine because you're not getting any personal gain other than maybe tax breaks or something if it's like, but that's not counted and that would not count. Um, then the city ethics policy has some other things. I'm not going to really go into that in much detail, but I think that's available for you. And just to kind of look at it, it kind of follows the same idea of not taking gifts and those types of deals for, for actions. Most of this stuff's pretty common sense. It is pretty much common sense, yes. yes. Yeah. They got two county commissioners in Johnson County. They got no common sense. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. I mean, since we got some new commissioners here, could you maybe take a minute and talk about prejudgment? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna kind of slide into that now. If you have time, I think I got a little time. Absolutely. Any more questions on conflicts of interest? Again, like I said, if you have any questions as things come up, we're Feel free to contact us anytime, or you can run it through the planning office if you feel more comfortable doing that, or Kansas Government Ethics Office will answer your questions. So. Or they'll reach out to you if somebody's brought it up. <laughs> Every once in a while, we say, what about this? I'm going, yeah, they, they live in the neighborhood. That's oh, I got an email once. From, <laughs> we have this concern from an applicant. Yeah. You might you want to you want to consider that. Participate. All right. So we're gonna. We'll, what we'll do is we'll go over to the. We'll talk a little bit about the bylaws, and then we'll go into a little bit about ex parte communications and uh, when you act in a quasi-judicial capacity, which you do most of the time, and due process rights and those things like that, which all kind of go hand in hand. Um, you have bylaws, so we follow them. They pretty much govern, the, they're the side laws. That's what bylaws mean. They govern procedures and how things handle it. We're required by law to have bylaws. You have them, so look at them. If you have any questions about them, I'm not going to go through them one by one. Um, they say it just sets up the internal structure and how meetings are run. So anyway, that's the bylaws. Uh, you have 10 members. Quorum is six. And then a majority of a quorum is four. So sometimes that's that's quite required. So to actually do business and act on anything, you have to have six members. If six members aren't there, you can still talk about things, but you can't take any action. So and Randy, is that that's at the beginning of the meeting? Yeah. We'll do, you know, determine whether or not. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We've ever maybe one time we did not have a quorum. I think one yeah. rare instance it was like a blizzard. Something like that. Six, or seven years. if we had a, if we had quorum at the start of the meeting, if we just had quorum and then somebody had to recuse themselves for one of the items to abstain, we could still. We still have a quorum because you're still at the meeting even though you have to abstain. So just as long as everybody's there. Now, if somebody says, I've got to go and pick up my daughter at school and they leave the meeting and it drops down to five, we no longer have a quorum. So we're at that point in time, we'd have to either suspend activities or just have general discussions. So as long as that there is a quorum there, we can proceed. That has to be called for, or is it automatic? Okay. So we have to question quorum. Like, if you start with- oh, yeah, we would, we would, we would keep track of that. And if something were to happen and we realize, oh, we didn't have a quorum, it would, we would treat that as being voided out. We would come back and redo it. 
because it wouldn't be valid anyway if someone challenged it. One of the things you don't see us do all the time is when, when you're all on Zoom or something like that, we're constantly hawking the list to make sure that we, we still have a quorum because if there's something like a, an internet outage and five of you drop off, that's something we're always mindful of. So we're always watching to see who's engaged as part of that meeting. All right, so getting to the to the meat of the matter, those are just kind of procedural issues. Is when you're when you're dealing with an item, or dealing with a particular property, you're applying the law to a particular situation, a rezoning, special use permit, conditional use permit, those types of things. Those are all considered what they call quasi judicial. So you're basically looking at the facts finding what those facts are and applying the law to it. So you're acting kind of like a small court, small judge in that situation. And when that happens, then there are certain due process rights that attach the individual has that is in their property and then also would apply in those types of hearings. So that's why we do certain things like ex parte communications. That's why we allow everybody to speak. So anyway, when there is a quasi-judicial hearing then due process we try to procedural due process attaches 14th amendment requires us to do that so there has to be three things proper notice of the hearing just up to you guys that's what you guys do an opportunity to be heard so the individual who's bringing the application has to be able to explain their case why they're entitled to what it is that they're asking for. And there has to be an impartial decision maker, and that's on you guys. So um, denial of due process would render your decision void or voidable. And it also could subject the city and perhaps yourselves to an action under 1983 for violating somebody's due process rights if we do not afford them due process would so be aware of that. So an ex parte means we have to disclose any any communications right issue with that outside of staff or the other board members. So somebody outside of the room, outside of this room, outside of the meeting discusses something with you, you need to disclose that to everybody doing the ex parte communications. And the purpose for that is so that everybody has the same information when they're making a decision. So if I go on a site visit and there's a neighbor there and I say, hey, are the roads in this neighborhood, uh, do you have any complaints? Is that something I have to disclose? Like just a... Yeah, if, if it's relevant to the, the decision that's being made and it's not in the packet of materials that everybody has. So any conversation that could be relevant. Right. Okay. Yes. That's not in the packet. That's not in the packet or, you know, okay. for example, you know, you'll get letters that are in the packet and perhaps the person will follow up with a telephone call or something and then you just say you know that's everything that was in the packet that's fine Got but if they say something additional that's not in the packet you can say i talked to this person and he oh. added or she added this information it's just so that you all have the information same information to make the decision so that everybody is has a, a fair and even slate make sure that all information is exposed to everyone equally right and I assume it's generally available information, like a newspaper article, that would not qualify. That would not qualify. Yeah, it's not an ex parte communication. And it also, you know, what really it does is there's opponents and proponents to any project. So all that information needs to be out there so that everybody has a fair opportunity to respond to it as well. 
so that we don't have a single commissioner or a couple commissioners who have certain information that they know that may not be available to everybody else, so that the proponent or opponent doesn't have an opportunity to rebut that. It needs to be all out there on the table so that everybody has a fair exchange of ideas and that everybody's making a decision from the same same ideas. So if something new comes up, can I email Becky and say, hey, Becky, I just had this conversation. Can you add it to the packet or something like that? Or what's, uh, the, what's the procedure? Yeah, I, the procedure would just be disclosed at, just at the meeting. You know, I had a conversation with such and such a person. You don't have to give the exact time, but, you know, say it was last month, it was a week ago, it was yesterday, whatever. And we discussed this, and this is what this person said. This person is against the project because he thinks it's going to cause flooding on his property. Okay. You know, that's fine. That doesn't have to be too much detail, but it's something that so everybody has an idea what it is. And most of the time, whenever you have these conversations, it has it is covered in the packet. Yeah, right, right. Somebody has brought it up yeah. or something. Yes. Yeah. So just so I'm getting this right, most of the time that when we're acting, we're acting as a quasi-judicial, yes. um, but sometimes just fine, we'll be, we'll be acting as a legislature. Absolutely. Uh, for example... But it's either one of those two. Comprehensive plan amendments, uh, text amendments, those are legislative matters. You don't need to worry about ex parte communications. I'm not worried about ex parte communications. You might you might disclose them anyway. I don't, we don't really care one way or the other, but it's not a problem. It's, it isn't, but it's just, it's just too many. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, yeah. And we recommend that if you have them, you know, obviously it's going to happen. You live in a community, people talk to you and you're going to talk to them, but you know, a lot of times it'd be, sometimes it's a good idea to say, Hey, it might be a good idea to give this planning commission planning office. And so they can be distributed to everybody. I would give that recommendation. It's not always going to happen. Sometimes people will talk to you and it's fine. But just as long as you disclose it, it's fine. If you don't disclose it. Then that's fine. So I hate to get a time check from us. We've got a, Another session starting at noon. I don't want to stop because this is really good conversation, but I wonder if, if we need to make plans to continue this more deeply in the mid-months or if we're just about at the end of what you had planned. I am just about at the end. I mean, I, the other thing that I would say is that it's up to you guys. Uh, the only thing is the impartial decision maker. That's the key thing for you guys. And then the thing is, you may have an idea what you want to do or what you're what, you know, I, I don't know that project. What your inclination is. What your inclination is. That's fine. The key is you not have prejudged it, that you have an open mind when you go in. So, you know, an inclination as to which way you're going to go is not a problem, but a closed mind to any evidence is like, I don't, I don't want that business in town regardless. I don't like Walmart. I don't want a Walmart there. I don't, whatever they say, it's out. <laughs> As long as that's a problem, that's a violation of, of due process. It's a violation. The fact that you may not like Walmart or you don't want to think the project is valid, those are all valid thoughts, just as long as you have an open mind and will listen to the evidence, regardless of how you vote in the end. That's the key to that. And then talked about conflicts of interest. Talked about ex parte communications. If you get one, um, like I said, it's always a good idea to ask them to present what they're presenting to you to staff so that it can be submitted to everybody else. Uh, you can try to, you know, 
stop the conversation if you want to, if you're uncomfortable. We've had commissioners who don't like to talk to ex parties, and we have commissioners who love to do it. So it's fine, just as long as you disclose those at the meeting when you do have them. So if we have questions about whether one something's on one side or another, yeah, yeah absolutely right. And really, that's pretty much it, unless you guys have any questions regarding that. Regarding that, I mean, it's, it's you know, kind of a technical legal issue, whether it's quasi judicial or legislative, but. We've got, I guess, Bob, want to stop. We've, uh, we've got a lunch sure. coming up. We're going to need to grab lunch. Is that right, Becky? We need to uh, step out and grab lunch. Sure. There should be lunch up. Let's not stop the look. I believe so. If you had it scheduled from noon to one thirty for lunch. So I knowing Denny, it's probably out there. I'm just not aware. So we'll grab it. We'll come right back, and we're going to pick up at noon. At least first one. Hi, glad to. Yeah, and we'll yeah. have uh, several other folks joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a million. That was far from dry. Oh. Very great yeah. conversation. Well, thank you. Again, if you ever have any questions about any of this stuff that we talked about, feel free to contact our office or run it through the planning office. There. Are most helpful. Thanks a million, man. Thank you. Thank you. So let's take a break, grab some lunch, and come back in as soon as we can. We'll try to start as close to noon as uh, as we're able. Good things. Start the uh, meeting back up. We're ready to go. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Continuing the uh, planning commission orientation session today. We're into a noon session. A great opportunity for the planning commission. To meet with our city commission and our county commission leaders. Uh, we have uh, some topics we uh, are certainly interested in understanding. We'll get into that. With, what we'd like to do is start with there's so many people that may not know each other to start with a quick round of introductions who you are, where you serve, maybe how long. Um, Sharon, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> start with you, Patrick. All right. So I'm Lisa Larson. Um, <laughs> Lisa. Hi. <laughs> uh, Patrick Kelly. I'm on the Douglas County Commission um, four years in. Prior to that, I served six years on the Planning Commission. Appreciate Planning Commissioners your service. Oh. Afternoon, Amber Summers from our City Commission. Thank you. Drew Bildley. I am a planner one here, um, helping the Zoom facilitate. Tanya Boyd. I'm the Study and Codes Director for Douglas County. Kelsey Hayden, brand new Planning Commissioner. Your Retro Planning Commission for about a year. Time to write. Wait for it. Mark Littlejohn, I'm City Commission. Still working on that. Uh, still have a little bit of that new part smell. So, <laughs> okay. Jim Carpenter on the Planning Commission since January of 2016. Karen Willie on the County Commission and served six years on the Planning Commission not that long ago. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Becky Pepper and I'm the Planning Commission. And I'm Lisa Larson, City Commission. Uh, Craig Owens, I serve as Lawrence City Manager. Courtney Shipley, I'm the Mayor for Lawrence. Um, Pedro Rodo, I, I joined the City of Lawrence City uh, Planning Commission back in June. Yeah, I'm Prashant DeBoer, uh, Planning Commission about four months. Yeah. Steve Munch, uh, Planning Commission for two months. Sharon Ashworth, Planning Commission going four years now, I think. So. And our facilitator for this session. Yes. So, um, hopefully this will be kind of a good, informal, lots of discussion. Um, we've got some 
some questions to start out, but I'm sure it will go in a different direction once I ask the question, and that's quite all right. Um, my only parameter is that once a question is thrown out there, that everybody gets a chance to shout out or participate or discuss or say something. Okay, just make sure everybody. So I'll just check in every so often and make sure that the question is still being answered and that everybody's got an opportunity to say, say something if they wish to. So, so we'll just start off. I'll start with one question and we'll see where it goes from there. I have others in my pocket um, that we've looked into. There's a lull in conversation, which I'm, I'm sure won't happen. So, uh, so let's go ahead and just start with the, the topic, the, the question at hand that was listed in the agenda uh was uh from the planning commission to the other commissions uh present how uh, do the planning commission discussions and votes better advise your decisions uh what do you find most useful um from the planning commission to inform your discussions and decisions well it's the most important part of the meeting that i watch without that I have no idea what why you voted the way you voted. Um, I, to me, your vote doesn't mean anything unless I hear why you voted that way. Um, and so that's how important it is to me. You know, I, I encourage. I know Chelsea, right, Chelsea? Yeah. yeah, she's she came in, you know, hitting face. That's for sure. And uh, I really appreciate your your jumping in there right away because it's hard when you first on the commission to really get in there and engage. Uh, but you've done a really good job of that, and I would encourage everybody else to really step in there and start talking about why they're voting the way they're voting. Yeah, I would I would echo that. It's the especially the um, differing viewpoints coming from um, the planning commission kind of gives us a little bit more perspective, so that we can see the entire field and figure out exactly you know where where our alignment is a little bit more. Um, because we can't we can't watch everything, we can't see everything, but I know um, we all hit up the planning commission because it's so important and so many important things come through it. Um, so um, I echo Vice Mayor Larson, if you guys have any questions, ask them. If you have any comments, give them because they all they do is just help us make better decisions. Yeah, I, I I agree, and and also because you there are more of you than there are of us, and you have such a wide variety. You know, you may be an expert in stormwater, bioswales, or things like that, and then and I and I rely on hearing certain kinds of things from Karen, and I hear a certain kind of viewpoint from Jim, um, then maybe from uh, Commissioner Rexroad, and it really helps us to put those things together. We all come up with ideas, even when we read the packet. That we don't come up with the same questions necessarily that you do. Once you just have such a wide variety of experience, very helpful to, to watch your interactions. And you're also very positive um, in your interactions with each other, which is very helpful. It's actually um, very civil and enlightened conversations that you all have. It's much appreciated. It does feel, I'm pretty new on the planning commission, but it does feel like planning commission gets to have a depth of discussion that maybe sometimes there isn't the time and capacity for at the county commission anyway. And, and I love that. And it's, it's such a key role. And I yeah, that that respectful disagreement is is a powerful thing. We just love hearing different points of view and uh, flagging things from the public that might otherwise missed 
that people are more likely to come to the planning commission and speak. I think it's more intimidating to come to either city or planning commission. Well, that's an interesting point. I was going to ask: Are is the public more likely to come and speak before the planning commission, mm -hmm. the city, or the county? Others can answer that better than I can. Everyone here served longer than I am. I think they're more likely to go to the city commission meetings because those turn into the marathon meetings on hot topics, even if they've been to the planning commission, where we may not see many people. But I think we're starting to see a little change in the trend. I mean, just in, in the time I've been on it, we're starting to see more informed comments coming from the public. They're starting to pick up on, I can't just walk in there and say, it's going to be more traffic and decrease my property values. They're they're actually expanding on that, and, and they've really picked up on the tag team approach of getting the neighborhood issue across in three minute segments. So it's gotten better at the planning commission. I think we're starting to generate more people to come to that to discuss it. And I still think you get more people at the city commission that say, I've never heard about this before. What's going on um, on certain hot topics? And the county commission, I don't think people, how many people go unless it's one big, a really big issue, like the solar, that got a lot of people. But I can't, it's the others that have really generated that kind of interaction at the county commission. No, I don't. I don't think. I think there's just a different, different level of engagement, a different type of engagement. You know, who comes to planning commission meetings is different than who comes to county commission, or what the content of what they're saying is a little different. You know, there may be a more technical aspect when it comes to planning commission, and a more political aspect when it comes to commission. Um, so I think those who from the county commission are maybe looking at a bigger picture, sometimes not just the single item, but sort of like what's the county's approach to this issue altogether, you know, whether that's like heavy, heavy machinery and in, in the, you know, or some of those are home-based business. That's what you sort of hear and not maybe that specific item. Mm -hmm. I think it oh. <laughs> sorry. I wanted to get myself to speak. I think for me, Boards of Commission serve as a system within the system. And too much pressure on one aspect of the system will not cause, will create a dysfunction. And so in a democratic system of governance, it has to go through a process in order for it to be, be seen in all different capacities and for it to be received and to understand those technical pieces so that it, it processes the people and then the end result is the discussion and the vote. So having an effective and efficient board and commission takes you through the technical pieces, the subject matter expert pieces, because that's not a requirement for the governance piece. It may be a value add if you have a commissioner that has expertise in planning, development, design, or things of that nature. It's not a requirement. And so in order to create equity and equality in the government system, and to be able to do this work, because it's very massive, it's very complex, it's very technical, 
you front loaded for me, it's front loading those individuals that have that keen sense of knowledge or expertise in their area or a, a strength about them that can, can dissect through that and be a partner in this work with us as commissioners. Fact of the matter is that if I'm a commissioner, if I have to board and commission, how to do your thing on the board and why do we have the board commission? So for me, it is allow it's giving me another resource. Because I have to make my decision based on what I know and what I'm hearing from the constituents, where you may not have that relationship, your relationship with your staff and whoever the applicant is. And so they're working through that piece. And I'm seeing that and having and taking that information on with what I know and what I'm hearing from the community and the decisions being made. So it's 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 the relational piece. And I think it's that relationship within the system and ensuring that it is working well is what makes it so beneficial us as elected officials in this capacity. If I can add one more thing to the first question, having the discussion, yes, you know, all that. But also there's a space there, especially around things like special use permits and CUPs to work out some agreements in the community before it comes to us. So sometimes they may not be coming to the county commission because of the work you all have done on the front end to get a reasonable number of expectations that both the applicant and and the commission is. So that's just another important role you all play that helps us a lot because um, then we can move it through relatively quickly thanks to that discussion. I think that level of expertise that comes through the planning commission process really kind of helps uh, the emotional response that we get from people coming then to the later commissions because they they kind of had a bigger context for it because of the work they do. So thank you guys for taking that first run for it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Any other comments on that question? Um, before I move on to getting into some drilling down a little bit more from that general comment is, of course, we're going to be experiencing an incredible development pressure coming up in the middle of trying to uh, revamp the land development. Um, so as we're having our commissioners having discussions, is there anything in particular um, about our discussions um, that would help inform you as we're looking at the land development code? So, for example, sometimes when we're meeting, we're sort of flagging certain items and staff is flagging certain items where there's there's a difficulty within our current code. Um, it's not agreeing with plan 24. It's not agreeing with where we want to go. I mean, is that sort of thing helpful for you? Is there are there other things that could be helpful related specifically to this upcoming huge project that the city is undertaking, city and county are under, undertaking really with the land development code? I would say continuing on that path, yes. I think any way to be able to flag something that we believe should be part of the discussion for the steering committee or it should be part of something that we need to discuss as a commission as it relates to plan 2040. I don't know if there's anything I can say not do. I mean, you have new commissioners, you have season one, so I think having that discussion and knowing that, looking at it from the perspective of the applicant and what the action item is for the applicant, but also understanding how that reflects the work that's being done and being able to flag that just as a point of reference for us. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't live in this world. Your your only task, 
I was like, only cast. That sounds a little bit slippery. Your structure with looking at the application and, and, and the piece of, the, of planning and development and zoning, while we're tasked with that's one piece of a bigger agenda that we're trying to tackle. So anything that can, that you see that should be a flag for discussion would just serve as a knowledge nugget for us to have a conversation with a commissioner to take to Craig so that it can be shared with the other commissioners so that we can share, you know, so that information can be disseminated to the steering committee in that capacity. I, I, I don't have anything that because this is not my ministry. So I think it, it's, it would be whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it um, until we can see what your dynamic and, and, and how you guys are processing to it. And then we can understand what that looks like and how we process information. Because a lot of this is based on how we process information. We're five different individuals that study and dissect this thing differently. So whatever you all have decided collectively on how to examine it, whether it's picking out items for discussion points for the steering committee, identifying conflicts within plan 2040. That's just good for us because then that creates a common language for us as commissioners to then be able to talk to each other about. I would, you know, echo Commissioner Seller's point and just dial it down to a specific example that recently came to us regarding uh I believe the church property on like 23rd or 22nd or uh 21st Street and then in the cul-de-sac. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they kind of came into conflict with what we currently have in terms of zoning and planning that might need to be re-examined. You guys had a pretty lively <laughs> discussion about it. All great viewpoints. But those are the kind of things that we need to like re-examine and look at and figure out if there's a better way to do it or approach it. Um, because there's, I have no doubt, there's a bunch of those in our code right now that, you know, kind of need to, be re-examined and brought up to the service and maybe changed a little bit or in either direction, but at least brought to the forefront. So um, that was just one that peaked up in my mind because it's pretty recent, but uh, that kind of work that you guys do is really helpful. And it's really helpful for the steering committee of the, the land development code as well. That's a great example. And I, I think that's another thing that makes um, what a lot of how a lot of you comment um, where, of course, we're in this transition. So you may feel as sometimes when we do, well, we have to vote this way because that's what it says, but it's not what we're trying to do. And we haven't given you enough information to do anything other than to vote the way that it currently is. And it's really helpful when when you all say, I'm feeling like my hands are tied. I can see where we're going, but that's not what I'm allowed to do right now. Um, what I don't understand, and I'm going to be part of your discussion, maybe even part of your ask, is how can you elevate that to us much faster? Because it seems like area plans are a great example. We know there's several places where we need some area plans. We probably shouldn't make some commitments. We're really not sure that's what we want but we're being asked to do something right now. And, and you all are saying, well, we don't have an area plan for that, or we don't have, we don't have enough information and you're right. Um, and, and yet I don't, I'm, I'm concerned that we're not pivoting or giving you guys what you need to 
elevate those things or to have all the information you need. We obviously have some conflicts, um, not only between what we have now and what we're trying to get to, but even within Plan 2040, we know there's some conflicts and how are we going to work those things out. So um, I'm glad you brought that up as an example. That's a great one and, and, a, and a, a great way that you guys have tried to send us messages not just by saying those things out loud, but even with your votes. Um, and that's really helpful. Um, I just hope we can figure out how to be better at moving the ship. I think planning commission sits on the front lines for how the land development code and all of our other codes kind of hit our, our actual societal goals for our community. Um, so that's that's the key that you be involved with the land development code because you, you see it more than anybody else is going to uh, part, of, part of the public. Um, it's also the only body that really can flag some of these city county issues that, you know, because because after you get those issues get divided and some go to the county, some go to the city. But like some of these pieces, like finding out like, oh, well, the um, the uh, people who are doing landscape work for the city of Lawrence or city of Lawrence residents, they have to move out of town because of the, the, the conflicts in the code and just things like that, that cross or crossover issues, you'll get to see them. And, and if you don't flag them, nobody else will. So um, glad to have those eyes on it and, and love that it's a, a joint body that's um, communicating well with each other. Do you all track when, through your discussions, and I, I may be front-loading something here, but as you have discussions through applications, if you, are you all tracking where, if there's patterns in applications of different interpretations of, I mean, in your discussions of things, whether it's, you know, the cul-de-sac issue brought up, you know, is this the first one that's come up? Or have you seen it in, app, you know, how do you track conflicts, you know, conflicts and discussions around plan 2040 or even land development code interpretations. I remember you know, the, with the Crestline project and the interpretation of what it was, it, it wasn't an RS, it was a, was it, huh? It was an RSO, was it? Was it the RSO and the, and the interpretation of the defi of defining a duplex. So, you know, do you track if there's patterns in discussions of concerns that come up within with what's and planning in, in the in the meeting. Commissioner, yeah. yes, please. <laughs> okay. People running on that one. Uh, in our world, we call it the going on, but we start seeing a lot of these similar items coming up. But planning commission. So I'm one of those kind of interfaces with that. We do caps on that, and we highlighted for a next or a conversation for a day. So we, we do keep a running tally on all those different items. Would that be something that we would have access to? I'm just as a new person, I am trying to figure out precedent. I'm trying to, and I think it's important not to be stuck with what prior commissioners did, right? Because I'm that's I'm here now for for now. But I still would be very interested, and I'm having a hard time myself just keeping track and making sure I'm being consistent, right? And Jim's very helpful because he has a historical um, background. It does come out sometimes in conversation, but that's very important to me to figure that out and. So besides just relying on Jen, is there more access I could get? quite frequently if you see previous cases or previous conversations, we do try to highlight those and there's a lot of similarities to them. And a great team of people that work in, in the planning division, they keep track of quite a lot and then I get them all, but we 
there's certain themes and trends that we see. And so we try to highlight those with text amendments or try to highlight those as part of your staff reports and packets, but we can always find different ways maybe elevate that a little bit or if you mind. Yeah, or I can be more on the lookout for it too. I just knew and, enough that I- And those, those are what jog my memory. Okay, that's very helpful. But it's seductive to think that Plan 2040 or any comprehensive plan or the code, like it gives you ultimate clarity or even a chart that, you know, tells you like, this is what we've done so far, right? But that's why we have human beings making these, you know, having these discussions because, and I do think it's really helpful for you to elevate the value that is in that because you'll find contradictions all over plan 2040. If we had been able to not have any contradictions in there, you it would never have been passed. I mean, finally, we just gave up, right? I mean, and it's like, it's as good as we're going to get, <laughs> like, because it's filled with contradiction. And sometimes the code contradicts that comprehensive plan. That's okay. That That's what makes good debate. That's what makes good government. And I think it's really great when in your discussions, you elevate those values. And you say, like, this isn't about the specific, this is what we're valuing by doing this. I think that helps people recognize law when they're like, it didn't go the way I want. We're just prioritizing one value over another when we make that decision. A piggyback on that is, is as the discussions happen, and that's something I have noticed is that you have to doubt your meetings, the contradictions of where we are, where we want to be, and where we think we whatever. Um, is to have continue that discussion as you're up there talking about it with ideas that you have that might resolve this conflict or this discussion. And it may be that you don't. And that's fine. Just say, I, you know, I don't know how to solve this. But you know, other times you may say, well, here's some options we that may be considered. So I, I always love to hear your thoughts, regardless how raw they are or how sophisticated they are. I mean, the, the just whatever you've got that you can add to the conversation is really, really helpful to me. Just pause for a moment. So based on, on this discussion we've had, so are, are there questions from the new commissioner, new planning commissioners that have, that is that brought up on how city county commissions and the planning commission interact that were there and are there any Ideas or questions? Just that. Uh, yeah. that church cul-de-sac case is a, is a good example. So at the end of that, some of us felt that we had more to say, and we felt like next step maybe to reach out to, to you guys. Um, how, how would that happen? Like, would we come to your meeting or would we, how, how do we communicate with you? I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> Personally, not, not, not your not your meeting. I don't mean your meeting, but I mean. But, but I, what I what I no no no. Are you thinking that or just saying that? Recording slip. Just that's all I had. Just is the question. Like what's. I'm just thinking about it. How you steps. Okay. Yeah. Because oftentimes if we have if if you feel like there's something you want to explain to the commission about it, it's easier to go to staff. Okay. So it can be disseminated. Because oftentimes, you know, we can only communicate with one other person. So and that takes the stress off of you or trying to communicate with five of us when we have a city manager, or you can have those 
planning liaison that didn't get that information out to us. Okay. Another one, one has the question to make a comment in the meeting yeah. as part of the record. Yeah. So during during the meeting, just make it yeah. part of the process. Why I feel this is why I voted this way, or this yeah. is what I feel this the, this is the outstanding right. question needs yeah. to be asked. I'm saying this specifically for the commission that's going to get yeah. this next. I said that. In the okay. Yeah. I've heard yeah. yeah. We don't have a three minute timer. <laughs> yeah. No, and I do think that I'm feeling that from some of us. I'm yeah. sure about. Um, I think I had talked to some people on knowing that it was helpful if we talked on the record, but then um, meetings kind of get long. Sometimes what I want to say is the same thing someone else has said, but I think um, you, you both do a very good job of always asking if there's any other comments. And I think some of us who are new are quite jumping on a, well, yes, I just want to reiterate that I agree with X or I agree with Y, and we probably need to do a little bit more of that so that we feel like we've left the meeting expressing our views and not that we need to like figure out another way to get information yeah. to I suspect to dissenting you. or opposing or contrasting comments are more valuable than a yes I agree. Well so that's part of that's would actually be very interested to know about that because I have stopped saying some things because of what I was going to say has been said. But the fact that three people are thinking this is probably more helpful than just the fact that the one person who said it. So not that I need to reiterate everything, but I could say, I did try to say a couple of times that I agreed with your reasoning or I agreed with Jen's reasoning just to kind of get that. Is that helpful or, or is that just me it talking? Is. It is helpful. Yeah. Okay. That's, and, and I think there's also, oh, sorry, Jim. No, I'm just saying that's helpful during the meeting. It's very helpful during a meeting. <laughs> and I can think of times when we've had I, I can remember a time where I called Commissioner Willie when she was on the planning commission and said, hey, this was a 10, this was an 8-2 vote, and, and you were one of the ones who voted against it. Walk me through that, right? So it's fine. And that's fine that there's an 8-2 vote, right? That tells us like, hey, flag this. There was something in conflict here that maybe we need to talk about some more, but I'd rather you not, no offense, I'd rather you not reach out to us one, then we have to put it in the record that we had yet another, and then it feels like there's something that's not transparent there. So that that's one issue that I'm concerned about. And the second one is, I'm okay with you not like feeling okay about your, you know, that yeah. where you sort of half raise your hand, like, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of what I think. I'm okay with that. And, and you need to be okay with that and not feel like you need to explain yourself or say one more thing. Sure. Right. Because we see that in the meetings that we watch, we hear that in your comments and your polls. Yeah. It is helpful for me that personally, not that you were asking us, but like, it is helpful for me if the other um, planning commissioners talk and explain their reasoning or even explain who they agree with, because it does help me. And one, it might help me reach a decision, but it also helps me with that precedent I'm trying to develop and the understanding of how this is all working. I think it also helps when you're, you've got an issue that, like everybody says, we kind of want this to pass, but there's this issue that we need to flag that's not the applicant's fault, but something that needs greater discussion. And sometimes it's kind of nice to know if like, I'd like to flag one of these issues with the dissenting vote, but I still want to make sure that it passes. So like hearing like, okay, we're good to go. So now I can flag this. And that's piece of information that gets carried forward. So I think it's all valuable. That gets tricky. Sometimes the dissents are just to get that reaction See. that Patrick talks about. Right. And, and and the other thing is check with Randy to make sure that your bones don't require a super majority, right. you know, as you're trying to make sure you're you're flagging us here on some of these. Yeah. So just yeah. Yeah. think about that. 
Can I talk about the supermajority? Because I noticed the last few times, it used to be staff would always put that up on their slide. This is what needs to happen for the commission to vote if this passes or not passes. And I haven't noticed that the last few times. Is I'm just missing that slide. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, for the guts for the governing bodies, where even the last slide said this is what it needs to pass this. We had a slide there. Um, yeah, kind of get parted from the powerpoints of this. We've been putting it as cover memos as the last item on the executive summaries, typically, but we can always revive that. Yeah, I think it's really good to see that up on the slides and just stay there as we're discussing it. This is what the situation is. Yeah. Are there any comments that um, City or County staff want to make? Um, about what we've heard so far. Uh, city manager. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I asked Jeff, where's Randy? Uh, so uh, when you're putting so much in the record, it's very important it's still code-based um, because we will get into litigation. This is the number one place where the city does find itself in litigation. And so it's really good if you if you have feelings of dissent, that's fine, but just make sure that they're still tying back to the code basis when you're doing. I'm not an attorney, but that would be my main advice. So you can't just say, I hate it. I'm done. <laughs> right. You have a lot of discretion in zoning matters, but you have less in some of the other things to consider. So just really, you know. And, and I know that's hard, especially when you're new, like getting nervous to express what your concerns are. But um, I'd rather you be more cautious for a while. Um, and also the staff reports really do embed your criteria. So if you agree or disagree with the findings of staff, they still have outlined the criteria and kind of evaluate. So everything you need, either way to vote, probably is in the staff report. That's the goal of it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a staff recommendation. There's still an evaluation of the merits of the code requirements. So that's how I think they construct those. The other thing, while I've got the mic, is uh, on the previous question on flagging things, mm -hmm. I would say flag things that are never discussed and are not controversial, as might be a trigger for administrative approval which we don't use very much in the city, but is makes a much slower process in everything you do. So if there's stuff that you're having to deal with and it's never controversial and it's always the same thing, those would be good flags too. And coach. A handful of notes. Yes. Staff is also very good about saying, yep, we got that. No, that's a problem. We know that's something that we need to deal with, so. Uh, it's good to know those things are coming up. Uh, just, just thinking of saying, hey, this should change to administrative, and you change it, or <laughs> probably. But I mean, uh, that'd be awesome. I think those are these will probably be more offline uh, okay. notice notices. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Anybody else before I go on to another question? You know, the only thing I'd say, and I'm sorry for coming late, um, but, you know, I really appreciate just how the Planning Commission is so sensitive to uh, your one commission that, in essence, you represent two very different areas in some cases and how the unincorporated area is zoned and planned and our unique approach to 
life out there. Um, and so I just really appreciate how you take that into consideration because, you know, if you've got city, 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 and then county, like sometimes it can be hard to switch that hat of like, no, this equipment storage is not at all <laughs> in line with the neighborhood. It's really weird out here. Weird, and it's a gravel road and it's always going to be a gravel road, you know? So I just really appreciate that, like, it is a different, you know, I, I know you were under a lot of pressure on the development code to ex expedite things inside the city of Lawrence and to make things happen faster. I hope is the message is pretty clear to the planning commission about how the county views the speed of development in the unincorporated area. So if you ever have questions on that and that dichotomy, I think we stand to help you. That is a perfect segue to the next question. That was just perfect. So the next question, it's, I'm going to combine these two because it is how the city and county commissions think differently about land use issues. Um, or on um, the other thing is, are there some really common themes that both commissions can come together with on land use issues? And I'll sort of start with an example. Um, you know, in terms, we've got this impending construction of the Panasonic plant that's going to influence our thinking about city and county land use issues. So in that context, I mean, what are some of the differences of how these different, uh, how the two commissions view land use? And then again, or are there some similarities that can help guide us through this particular project? That's coming our way. I'll look at Sharon and I for something to Thank you, Sarah. And then, well, I mean, I would say I think there's a lot of similarities. I, I think the county believes the growth should happen inside the incorporated limits of the city. That's, that's good to hear. Growth, residential growth, commercial growth, growth, industrial growth. Definitely. Anything that needs roads, any infrastructure, pavement, <laughs> street lights, paid fire response, yes. all the space, water. Most of this should be happening through annexation and one of the cities, which we only have influence and recommended for forums, but yeah, that gets the city's moving out, not hodgepodge out in the county. Mm -hmm. If you want to develop, if you want growth, you want development, it, you need to, it needs to be through annexation first, not just, not mixed use out in the county. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. It's been demonstrated recently. I mean, I think this, the county commission has been making very consistent decisions that way, upholding the inside out growth patterns, uh, advised by this body. Um, so I think you've been doing that work and that's not easy to do. Um, recognize that's not easy to do, but it is logical and good planning principle. I'll give a little example. So Barry Plastic has a warehouse that is in the county. So it is county fire response. And we trained there one time. And my my answer to that was, I'm not coming on this call. <laughs> like that, that amount of plastic burning. I mean, that's, we need professionals to do that. So those kinds of things can be avoided by working our industrial land through annexation inside the city limits so that the, there are people who are, know what they're doing with that. Like that's out of our pay grade. You know, I think Craig and I professionally never say never is probably mm -hmm. the theme of city management and county administrators, but in that regard, yeah, I don't think very, very plastic should not be like, that's if we want to talk about an example, like that should be in a city. 
It needs the services. We made it work. It's not ideal. And it's not, it's not great. So I think like how we can work together to support and support you in that regard, you know, um, and then let's leave the unincorporated area for wonderful agricultural production and open space and flood protection and all the great things that we want to do in the unincorporated area. Would you include the K-10 corridor? So I think like that's a plan, actually, we've been talking a little bit about, like there was an old K-10 corridor talking, the study as old old, like it's 20, it's at least 20 years old, because I remember it. It seems like a natural magnet given Panasonic for some interest. I think it's where, I mean, it's dusty. Um, so getting with our partners in Johnson County as to how they've looked at that and where, I mean, there's, it did some really great things in terms of preserving entrances and exits and not a lot of billboards and a lot of really great stuff, but I think it's time to, to get back into that and make sure that we, maybe, maybe it's all great and we're all good with it, but we should probably <coughs> stop. You mean east, eight and east of here, not west. I'm a little, I appreciate the question, but I'm a little hesitant as an elected official to respond to that. So I appreciate staff jumping in it, and partially because I don't want to prejudge any application that comes our way. I want you to do your work before it comes to us about what you think where we should be on those things. I think our, the things that we put in, I think plan 2040 helps with that, you know, as flawed as it may be. I think it does help with that. I think previous actions by the county commission, by the city commission help decide that as well. But I think we get into a little shaky ground for me when we're saying like, what value do you want us to follow? I want you to follow what I want you to do. <laughs> what we've asked you to do is talk about that, you know, and sort of determine your view where that is rather than you be a rep, you know, Gary isn't a representative of my view. I want that to, to be in the hopper and talked about. <laughs> Again, go ahead. No, just said again, it's back to the system. If I have to tell you what I want you to do, then I don't need you. <laughs> but I want you. <laughs> I think somebody told me that once. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it quite like that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you took it. But. <laughs> That we can back out, you know, from the, the Panasonic question, but just talk a, a little bit about um, just city and county views uh, of land use and where there may be potentially different views or similar views on uh, moving forward, just as cities, not just Lawrence, grow um, and how we might navigate that um, between the two commissions. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, wanna, I don't want to jump in and answer every question. So I, I think Eudora has done a tremendous amount of work recently to really work on their UGA. Tanya and I have a really great relationship with, with them and conversations about how that goes. I don't see anything sort of in, I don't think we have problems. I don't think there are any problems or concerns in that area, but I do think that they, um, they're poised to experience a lot of change and growth. We're going to 
there's a, you know, talk of another quarry, oh, you know, so, um, you know, so, you know, I just think that there's, I think there's a lot of stuff in that, I, the pressure, and I just, I know you guys all say, but I'm feeling the pressure for land use development in the unincorporated area stronger than I have felt it in my 12 years here. And which is strange, because I think we kind of tried to put the brakes on some pieces, but it is it's getting weird in places in terms of that kind of pressure. And I think like Tanya could really talk to about the pressure for housing, even though, and some of that maybe just, and I think what happened is a lot of that happened in the certificate of survey process under the radar. No one ever saw it. And now we're seeing it and it, and we're having to vote on it. You're having to vote on it. So maybe it is less overall, but that cat out of the bag of a number of so many lots that were split and that kind of process is something that I think like we're going to be dealing with for years. Um, and, and the pressures it's putting on township roads, the pressures it's putting on um, private roads, which don't even get us started. Um, so, you know, all those kinds of issues is going to be really difficult, I think, on our end and, and in terms of those pressures in the unincorporated area. And I haven't even talked about open space. I haven't even talked about, you know, other things. And, and the only way that pressure gets relieved a little bit is if the services that people are looking for are provided inside cities. Yeah. I think it's really critical as we, I mean, we, we have some ideas maybe of what Panasonic's going to be, but we really don't know, right? This is a lot of guessing for those items that come before you that require Baldwin or Eudora Planning Commission to come meet with you that calls from the chair to that, because I know sometimes they're resistant to come to say, we really, because we need a regional approach to this challenge, not in little clusters, right? Because I, I think what's going to happen is we're, we're going to see some tensions between, between municipalities and how we're going to do this and impacts on the unincorporated area, right? So if Eudora really grows, just for example, that may have an impact on infrastructure from Eudora to Lawrence on those back county roads, right? So, I mean, that that's the kind of stuff that we're going to need to talk about as a region rather than just a specific planning commission. So, um, and those, and sometimes I know they're hesitant to come, but just a call to them and say, we really need to be involved in this conversation. To kind of piggyback on that, I'm glad you brought that up, Patrick. Uh, I'm kind of curious, what is the relationship? How has it been from Planning Commission to those municipal commissions? You know, I mean, I only really dove into uh, the Planning Commission meetings like the last year or so, um, year and a half, but Historically, have they shown up? Have they participated? Have they responded? Have they been? So we've only had a, just to speak from my experience, we've only had a couple of instances where a joint commission was called. And I, I only remember one time where the other commission was actually there. It was right. a really significant core issue, really right. significant right. issue right. for their um, community. We yeah. might get a letter or minutes right. of a meeting they held on it, but <laughs> yeah. we don't know what their recommendation was. Right. Yeah. And I've worked to try to encourage that. Like, I think they just are reluctant, you know, to do that. But, but I mean, I'm working on them to try to get them to feel more comfortable at, at no, like, that's why that's, you know, they're, they're your planning commission too, I keep saying. <laughs> so, it, you know, and I think that's all options. What is their reluctance? What are they? Well, they think it's Lawrence. 
So I just like, I have to convince them okay. that it's not just the Lawrence Planning Commission. But it is that being on the record too, maybe? I, I think, and I just don't think it, and there's probably a little more informalness of some of that. Like, I don't know, I, you know, Jeff, it's my conversation with your, is that formality of the planning commission here is a little different than what they're yes. normally used to seeing and how they interact on it. So it's a little intimidating in that respect. But I've also had them share with me is, you know, we don't attend because we're okay with, with yeah. what it is and we don't feel the need to do it. So we're good, we'll let it go. Uh, but when they do engage, it's because they have a, a clear opinion, a clear, there's something there that they really want to engage. And that's when you see that they've come, come on board. I think a lot of it's been around some of the issues that are truly regional issues, where they're, they're really identifying it that, you know, whatever happens is not going to stop at a city limit line. This is going to really have a big change for us all. And that's when they really engage with you as, as part of that. But I know the planners are always reaching out to the different municipalities, their staffs to kind of get more information, have those conversations. We talk to the townships to understand the roads, the dynamics is part of that, but it's, um, it's just a, a little hard sometimes to get everybody to want to come in and join a meeting, but we do try our best as we can. Well, we let them go first. <laughs> When we get together jointly, um, I believe that the Douglas County the Planning Commission's vote is the one that is taken that makes the decision. Their vote might inform, it's like we might inform the decisions the governing bodies have, but at the end of the day, it's the Douglas County Planning Commission's vote that, that makes that call. Maybe they're, they don't feel like they're... I think he's right that it is that that is the official recommendation, but we've pushed pretty hard to make sure, like on in Eudora, that we get their vote as well and list them both and not worry too much about, you know, if we were sued over it, I think there'd be like there's two votes on it. You know, God forbid you're at cross purposes on that. I don't think it would happen. I we definitely work to get in the packet that information from Eudora. And that's the one I just think of because I think the information is there. I just wonder in terms of why do they not feel motivated to show up? Maybe they just don't feel like they're Well, I, and I would just say, like, I just think it's a, just a different culture of formality. And honestly, like, they don't have planning staff. They contract that out. So, like, uh, you know, I'm working a lot with city manager on those things. I know Tanya is too. So it's in a smaller shop like that. You, you know, this position wears a lot more hats. And so I just think it's about the formality and they... Just haven't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's that intentional. I just think it's. It's it just. Oh, you guys are going to do what you're going to do, and then we're like, hey, you got to pay attention. <laughs> it's important. And, and I think that's happened in Dora, and I. I don't think that would be an issue. Um, you talk about larger scale utility production with wind and solar. You know, depending on how close that gets to a city, I think there'll be other issues there something to watch out for <laughs> this sort of to putting in that extra effort maybe from even and I imagine that's um, something that um, uh, the chair of planning commission might be able to reach out to um, just personally and say hey why don't you join us um, on this issue what are you thinking is that is that acceptable is that I, I know there might be some stricture you know some barriers that are a box you can put around that, but what would be the limitations? Or I know in past, as, as planning commission chairs have done that to kind of, you know, uh, build that bridge, kind of make that connection. Because it's one thing from staff, but it's a different thing when it comes from yeah. commission because it's, 
staff is not the chair. Okay. All right. We always we always have a great relationship with the, the consultants and with the, the city managers also that I want to try to encourage that and try to, you know, make sure that if we're hearing a comment or we're hearing a concern that we reflect it and provide that to you too, in case it's they don't attend, that you still have that information for it. And not that not that anyone has to come through me for those types of things, but I've really just tried to reach out to Jeff that if I can at all be of assistance in that. They generally take my call, you know. So if you know, so if there's things in that regard that to help, I'm and Jeff and I talk frequently. Mm -hmm. So I think we've done a lot of made a lot of progress in that regard. I imagine that thinking of regional issues, Officer Kelly, um, that the staff from county and city are working very closely together, and I know there's certainly limitations on the commissions being able to interact, but I'm just wondering, is there any where you see opportunities in cooperation mm -hmm. going forward with issues that affect the whole region, affect the whole county cities? Is there I'm just riffing off of, you know, regional cooperation here. We talk fairly um, regularly. I mean, please. like I meet with just okay. about every commissioner of okay. the city on a pretty regular basis, okay. you know, so if there are things from a regional perspective that, you know, we talk quite a lot. So okay. yeah, I, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah we, just yeah. kind of, okay. I agree. Okay. I mean, mm -hmm. I've, I've called up folks from Eudora, I've called up folks from Compton, Bowman, want to grab a cup of coffee? Mm -hmm. I want to learn about your city, I'll tell you about mine. <laughs> you know, just so that I'm not a faceless voice you know, in the board, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and if you need something to, or run something past me, just let me know. and. No, it's uh, not saying I can do it for you, but at least I'll be a sounding board for you. Vice versa. I do the opposite because I have a busy life and I balance a lot, and I want to make sure that I give as much possible. I do meet with, I met with um, commissioners. Um, I've not had the opportunity to build that consistency. Um, I don't have a consistent schedule. Um, and so that's something that I've been intentional about doing where to be a little bit selfish um, because of the work I do in my professional life, it would be nice to have opportunities to have dedicated time because I think in some capacity, we're all faceless voice to people in Lecompton and other communities. And it would be nice from a regional approach to have structured time to meet with each other, intentional time to build those relationships and to make that part of the system. Um, again, this is just for me because that's what success looks like and that's what su success has looked like for me and other complex work that I've done. I think there's something to be said about being an elected official and being responsible to make those connections as well, but also to have that built into the system to support that and support that work in addition. So um, I don't think that's anything that is on, that's you all's responsibility, it's on us as how do we continue to build strong relationships with our regional partners and what does that look like? And if we're going to agree that it's every individual for themselves, then let that be the standard. 
but there needs to be consensus in that. And I don't think we're quite at that consensus yet. We're getting there because some of us are newer than others and we're still learning each other's communication dynamics, um, scheduling dynamics and, and comfortability and vulnerabilities and, and knowledge and understanding and those connections that an individual has. And so as we continue to serve in this capacity as local electeds and we continue to learn and build on each other, then I think we'll see we'll see that become more stronger and more consistent. So um, we're getting there. I can't, I'm not speaking for everyone. I just speak for me and I'm hopeful and I see that we are getting there. Um, but that's a that's a that's a, a wish that I have for our two bodies is how do we create consistent connecting time for us to be to, to thought process and strategize and be more strategy creators and less problem articulators. And there may be some structures in place already that aren't with the planning commission. You know, some people in here advocated. There's a, a EDC, the Economic Development Corporation, is very tuned into what's happening with Panasonic. And I think that group is meeting, and Craig and Sarah and Commissioner Finkeldy has been at those, and that includes city managers from those kind of corporate or those other municipalities as well. They're in that discussion, so that may be a good place to have some of those conversations. Mm -hmm. So that when it comes to planning commission, it's very technical about that, you know, and, and you all do your work. So, and I'd say the advantage of EDC because of how it's structured um, is that it's not subject to the Kansas Open Meetings Act. <laughs> okay. Um, so let me ask if there, if anybody from the city or county commission has a question for the planning commission in terms of. I have one. Yes. So we talked about the value of uh, institutional knowledge. <laughs> on the planning commission. And, and right now, you know, it's two terms, so six years total. Uh, is that the healthiest term length for uh, or two terms for the planning commission or is there some other length of time that makes sense because of all the boards this is the one that takes the longest to get up to speed and I know I felt like okay I'm five years in I think I know what I'm doing six years I'm gone um, just for you guys to give us some thoughts on that I, I don't know that that is a great discussion that we've had very much yet but just wondering and that's why you received the hearty laugh when you said, I'm going to get, you know, you're brand new. And it's like, when I get this figured out, I'll laugh. <laughs> right? So, uh, that's a good question. I don't, I, it's, it's how, how long could you last on this thing? <laughs> you might have it all figured out and then, and then, and then you're exhausted and, and, and you're done. So, um, but likewise, that, Karen, how do we create succession? How do we, it shouldn't be about how long can you last is what are we doing as a community, as a commission, as the local electeds to encourage and bring folks to the table to say, who may say, I don't, I don't know planning and development. It's like, but you may have something about you, about your you know, your strengths, your intuitive, your intuitiveness that would make you great for this. How do we bring people in? How do we usher and create a ramp onto 
a space where folks can process and be able to see if, if they're, they're up to this. Commissioner Kelly has the most experience trying to identify people. Yeah, I mean, I would say actually our system is actually pretty good. I, I mean, we really get strong plan. I mean, you are a very strong planning commission, you know, and you have great discussions. And that's partially because we've built up that capacity and staff has done a really good job of things like this. This didn't always happen, right? Is that you had time to talk to each other about what it's like to be a planning commissioner and and the role that the chair plays and how we operate as how you operate as a commission. So I think there's a lot of value. Uh, I would say that, you know, to, to Commissioner Sellers' point, you know, you all, when you talk to community members who say, ooh, tell me about the planning commission, and when their ears go up and go, but that sounds cool. Like every time I, I mean, maybe it's two people. <laughs> and we're saying that, but there are those people, I mean, those people who really enjoy it, right? And and you all can talk to them about it. Every time we have an opening on the, on the county side, I'm talking to former planner commissioners and saying, hey, you know the job, you know some people in the community. And that's, and, you know, because we have such a wide variety of skills and values and interests on the plan commission, we get a nice blend there, you know, of people that come on. And so that's helpful to me is when you all take my call and say, Hey, here's somebody who I think might be good, you know, and, and understands that role. And, and um, so that's helpful to me. My other question is the same question I've probably asked every year for six years, and I get to do it again. And it's, uh, what voices are you missing? So as we, City and County Commission, look to to put people on the board, like you know best what expertise you might need, what voices you might need out of the community. How do we help you maintain the diversity of opinion that you need to do your job? We had a short conversation earlier about public process feedback, how to engage with the community. Um, one of the thoughts that I have is that we have mechanisms to do that, but they always seem to be kind of on the tailing edge of that. And the number of people who show up to a planning commission meeting the day a decision is to be made saying they've only heard this for the first time. Um, I, I, I find myself wondering and knowing, knowing, seeing like, for example, solar, where exhaustive work was done to make sure public process was thorough and complete and everyone felt heard, knowing how people can show up not agreeing with the decision, but saying, well, I can't say that you didn't listen to me. How can we, how can we bring together that the benefits of that exhaustive public process, but do it in a way that we're upfront on things and it doesn't act as a, it doesn't slow things down dramatically, but in fact, maybe even could accelerate things through in a happy way. I'd love, I'm not sure we have the answer to that, but I'd love for us to put some time into to an engaged public process that that accelerates and really helps people. One of the things I've often thought would be a fun experiment, but I don't think it's possible given sort of the, 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 nece the necessity of making a meeting public and the limitations that puts on us is if you, uh, if you traveled around a bit to have a planning commission meeting, you know, where you were, you actually went to the community um, and found a room, found a way to do, you know, that's the thing, all the electronics, and be able to have, to show how a planning commission 
meeting worked in the background. And so everybody's right there following along with the staff report. Um, you know, obviously COVID has allowed us to do more of that. Uh, but I don't know that we're getting that many more people because we're on Zoom. Versus well, when we were on person. Oh, going to a different community? I don't know. I'm just thinking the technical logistics of it might be difficult. That's all. And I don't know. I mean, I know that to put something on a hybrid meeting, I mean, we've had difficulty just suggesting other places to, to go in the past um, with being able to make that accessible to everybody. And just if you're talking about trying to find a pipeline, trying to find people who are really engaged and really interested in doing this kind of work, going to them instead of them expecting them to come up, find more ways to go to people as opposed to have them come to us. Who would you want us if, if, if you could do it outside of the hybrid approach? Would you want to do this? Yeah. You didn't have to worry about the hybrid. Yeah. Could you maybe I don't know reach out to those municipalities that haven't been engaged and like, hey, you want to have a meeting and, you know, of course, ask. It's like, would it be okay if we have a meeting in your city hall? Would it be an available time that we could, you know, make it easy for people to show up or make it easy for people to attend? And just like, this is a planning commission and this is like for the county, you're part of the county and this is what we do. And it's like, yeah. Take away have items in there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, go to you. You do or go to Baldwin or go to Lecompton and be like, you know, this is this is your planning commission. So um, we want you to. Well, technically, it's not Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You get what I'm saying. The Kansas Supreme Court did that a few years ago when they went to different cities and actually tried case. Yeah. It was awesome. I had a great time going. That's actually what made me think about it. Yeah. I have a question for you. So, we started this out with you asking us what um, what we need the most. So I'm going to ask you, what do you need from us when we're up there making that decision, having those discussions at the dais? What do you need to hear from us in order to better inform you? So a discussion. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not, you know, if it's just, you know, I watched the planning commission meeting, I agree with what they said. Sometimes there's some intentional work to try to set up particular issues to get feedback, but we can't just say that's what we're doing. It's you know what we're doing. And to not get the feedback, I'm stuck. What do we do the next time the same issue comes up without some of the direction? Now, the, the variance is helpful. I mean, I was that got to you the way it was. I mean, it was a matter of law versus what makes sense. So yeah. it was good. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. It was good to have that come up and, yeah. and just you know kind of get the feedback where we're going to go. And my God, we got to change that when we get to the sure. updating the code. Yeah. You know, those those types of things that it's maybe some more just a little more discussion sometimes okay. on some of the issues. Because longer meetings are more fun. Yeah. Oh, I said, yeah. come back to us. I hope it doesn't. It just was on the kindly. Wednesday night was very helpful for how to view 
of the future conditional use permits and what the county commission is now expecting to see. So that was very helpful. I guess that's both ways. I mean, just, you know, how, how is it that you are coming to the decision that you are making? You know, that's as helpful to us as it is to you to have, you know. Is there something missing? Was there something we missed? Because I know sometimes we go way overboard and talk about all kinds of possibilities. We miss or am I going to disappoint you? I have all the sophistication of just having a magic eight ball underneath my desk. <laughs> all right. Just there for the planning season. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Um, because, you know, I, I'm, I, it's good to be reminded that this is reciprocal, that as much as we lean on you guys, you guys lean on us uh, to go ahead and inform your, not only the decisions you're making, but your future decisions and find some sort of through line to kind of, Make it a little bit more efficient. Make it make it a look make a little bit more sense. So, I appreciate that. I know that question was kind of between, but I, I guess I want to again, Frank's new staff. Like, I'm. I mean, I. I don't know that every county commissioner is going to have time to listen to every planning commission meeting on every item. So. I'm, I'm just feed Lisa to So if something needs to happen, like both staffs, both ways, like let's use staff in that situation to make sure somebody gets this. And that's where we, you know, I, we've made a conscious effort at the county to stay more on top of that stuff and to be more engaged in that space. But it takes a takes a lot of work. But like, please just both. I think that can work. We are the conduit between both groups in that sense. I, I understand that for some of the issues that might come up. I'm, I'm more talking about just when the decision is made on fair recommendation, when that decision is made, you know, whether you watched the meeting or had the opportunity or not. I mean, we're trying to go through everything anybody brought up in our questioning. And you're not, to, you don't have to do that, but um, just. Are there other pieces that we missed? Maybe please point those out. You know, what did we miss? <laughs> you know, sometimes just for fun, I will watch the discussion first on yeah. any commission and go back and watch the presentation just to kind of see if I can fill in the blanks. It's kind of interesting. It actually actually catch things that maybe I wouldn't have caught just based on your discussion first. So that's how. Important it is, I say, discussion. I figured I'd raise my hand this time. For those other terms. I, would, I, I would say to your point, Jim, that that's going to come with that. What you speak to is relational to the commission. And so more discussion and what you missed is based on the relationship that the commissioners have with other commissioners and bringing and discussing it prior to it being discussed on the dais at that time as the agenda item. So I think what 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 you not what you're asking but what you're bringing to light is how do we as individual electeds whether we listen to the meeting at one and a half speed while walking, while doing other work, while showering or wherever we choose to listen to it or 
do whatever. What are we doing prior to us sitting on the dais with each other to, 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 to elevate that discussion? Because iron sharpens iron. So in order for us to be beneficial to you, we have to be beneficial to each other. Well, it's also just more more exposure to the subject matter. Right. And let's not be naive and not assume that there's politics at play when that we're part. discussing that. Yeah. When we're, yeah, I know, I know, no one ever. Yeah. But I mean, that does happen, and that's another reason to talk to staff. Exactly. Because sometimes we will have had a conversation with staff about just the meeting to meeting conversation, public, the public meeting, public decision making mm -hmm. part. You know, the rest of it going through staff and getting information out to everybody is. Yeah, that's used, and that's in the reports and supplements to the reports and everything else. It's just, I, I guess I am talking about the politics stuff. Where are we going? What's what's the vision of the current commissions? And even though we're, we're applying the code to what's in front of us, there's a lot of wiggle room in how you apply the code to what's in front of you. So it's it's helpful to kind of have an idea of what the vision is and why certain decisions are being made without using politics in your answer, I suppose. But it is very hard to get a continuity of a line of decisions when you have so few agenda items that are related to that. And we have such rapid turnover. Yeah. So that was just, our conversation. If you have a rapid growth community, and the city commission is processing five or six serious zoning matters per meeting, you can get a really good line on this is what this commission wants. We don't have that here. Right. And, and we've got, you know, an average, I think, of this commission of about two years of tenure. Very difficult. And we're less now. Right. So it, it is a feature of this community's politics. And it has a it has a detrimental effect in trying to be predictable to the development community and to residents who want to have land use decisions made. Mm -hmm. And to staff who are trying to say, oh, here's a staff recommendation. We're trying to give you a new commission what you're asking for, the important information that this commission wants. It's very, it is very challenging. Yeah. That has been the hardest part. Try to, and the development community is frustrated by that. Mm -hmm. Not a lot to do. I mean, there isn't anything you can do, but but being cognizant of what has the decision, the decisions that have been made before I got here, those are helpful because if you are in agreement with those and you can you know, hey, I wouldn't have done it that way. If so, I'm here to change things. I think that's stating that change. It, it is is useful, but if you're going to stay consistent with that, you say the people that came before me were making decisions consistent with where I think we should be going. I think that's useful too, but it is it is really just a batting average thing. If you don't get enough at bats on a decision, it's very hard to understand where you might be predicted to go. And you get more at bats if we support 
if, if we support planning commissioners, if we support county commissioners, if we support city commissioners into, you know, Craig and I can get on our soapboxes about why it's so important to have, call, you know, elected officials willing and interested to run for office and not just run for office once, but run for office again. Right. And, and how do we create that consistent leadership in this community is, is vital to the work that we need to do here over the next 10 to 20 years. So I'm really glad we're here to support you all. And this can be a conversation about how can we support you in this space? And then how can we support these folks that I just have tremendous respect for on a daily basis for the work that they do? So that goes back to that previous question. How do we get, how do we get more talent? How do we support that talent? How do we train that talent? We're lucky to be in a community that is so engaged. You know, Craig and I have both worked in communities where it's like, what? <laughs> Who? You know, what? And and we don't have that here. And it is a blessing. And sometimes it can be hard. <laughs> and it can and it can wear on people. And we need to acknowledge that and thank people for their service what they go through every Tuesday night and they and every Wednesday night with the kind of heat they're taking from the public right now. I mean, Patrick, I can say it here that the abuse that man has taken for the last four months on a day, on a weekly basis, the names he's been called is, is embarrassing for this town. I agree. I've watched them all. I mean, that's like your Commissioner Sellers comment, yes, where you watch meetings. I mean, when I have a chance, I just run the city or county commission meetings while I'm doing other stuff at my desk. And I might take three days to get through them, but I do watch them. So well, now we don't know record our public comment. So huh? We don't record our public comment, so you can't see those. So. <laughs> yeah. There went to use, but sorry. And also, I'd, 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 like, I'd like to come in there. Well, um, she's taken a lot, um, and uh, she's handled it very well because yeah. I know if positions were switched, I'm not sure if I would have the patience of Joe that she does <laughs> in that situation. But uh, I've been very impressed with that. Do you have more questions? <laughs> um, so while I ask the uh, city and county commissions, they have questions for planning um, commission. I want to flip it again and make sure that especially our newest members have an opportunity to ask questions. Uh, since this is this is a rare event. So I mean, this is this is the opportunity now for us to to dive deep uh, into conversations or just get some basic questions answered either way. I mean, as you know, one of the things you recognize when you get on the planning commission is there really are no stupid questions. I used to say that to students all the time and think privately, well, of course there are some stupid questions. <laughs> 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 because you didn't read the book. But really, in this case, I mean, it's just there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of complex, a lot of personalities. I mean, really, and even the, the questions you, sometimes the questions we ask, we already know the answer to, but that's still valuable to ask those questions to make sure everybody knows so sorry to put you on the spot but um this is this this doesn't have this happens just once a year so where we all can i would just like to was just some final comments for myself i have always believed i've been on the question seven years now and each of the terms that i've run they always ask what do you think is the most important commission and i've always said this is the most important important commission we have in our community because you set the stage for how we will potentially grow 
in the future. So I hope you realize how important you are and how, how important you are to me when I'm making my decisions up there. Um, you form sometimes a basis for how I make my decision. So it's important that I hear your voice and hear it loudly. Thanks. We do. Oh, the County Commission does a lot of heavy lifting in this community. It's a hard job. It's a fabulous job. I thank each and one of you for especially our new ones for stepping up and being willing to move into that space, especially at a time when so many things are contentious. But it's it's needed, and we really value the voice you bring to it. You do great work. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I take every opportunity I can to utter it. I believe that Planning Commission is the root of democracy right because it is two neighbors who are coming together and usually have some disagreement and asking another neighbor on their behalf to make a recommendation of what to do that that's all it is really when you get right down to it and for many of the people who come to planning commission it's the first time they've ever interacted with government they're scared <laughs> they feel like there's something they're supposed to know that they don't know and i really um we credit is due to Commissioner Bruce Lease, who really set the stage for how we welcome the public to our meetings. And you all have carried all that on. And I really appreciate it because people can have a negative interaction with Planning Commission. It, can, it gets very technical, but as much as you can explain the process to people and why the process is this way, that's very helpful because when they interact with government again, there's this massive distrust of government out there right now. If we can, you know, head that off by treating people with respect and dignity and understanding that you sit higher than them and look down on them, that's no fault of yours, but that's the way it's designed. How do you make it a warm, welcoming space to say, I want to hear your side? And we don't even do this on other plan on other commission items. I want to hear your side. I'll ask you some questions. I want to hear your side. I'll ask you some questions. I might have some fault. I mean, the, the process you go through. That's very respectful to people, and I think it gives them a good sense of government when you can reach out and, and have a very um, welcoming and warm reception for the public. To me, that's actually the most important thing that you do because it's the first time they interact. Thank you. That was very, very helpful to go forward with that. Remind ourselves of that every every month that we do that. And I'll just say real quick that I just really appreciate all of the city and county commission staff coming here today to be this takes a huge, chunk, a huge chunk of time, you know, to, to spend a day and for you to come and spend an hour and a half and sit with us and have these discussions. I really, really appreciate you being able to, because I think it, I know it certainly gave me, I mean, a lot, a great perspective on how you're thinking, both staff and the commissioners. I have a much, much better idea now um, of where people are sitting and what's valuable. So moving forward. So thank you very much. Great conversations. Well, very helpful. Um, just remarkable um, room full of people with very divergent views that all come together and have mutual respect for each other over a love of this uh, county and city. Pretty cool place. So thank you all for being here. Anything else? Wrap that up. So why don't we, uh, since we're just after lunch, why don't we go ahead and take a 10 minute break if that's okay, Drew? And then we'll come back on our third topic with Jim. Thank you all so much for being here.
Thank you all for serving. A little bit um, more helpful. So you weren't with people who had more experience and then like so many new people. And I know we're missing a couple of people and maybe they are the ones that fall right in between, but I feel kind of like um, a lot of new all of a sudden and kind of feel like all of us are watching you. <laughs> you have you the most, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I've served on boards and like the longer I serve on it, the much more I can say, we've tried that. We've said that this is our history. This is why we do this. These are the, how we got to where we're at. Not that we have to always follow that, but I, I do feel like somewhat as a new person, I feel like that's a little missing or it's not getting handed down, but maybe that's why, right? Maybe it's not getting handed down because we purposely got our role. Is right. come brand new. Yeah. Before we, we get started, I just want to take a moment to thank Avery for joining us. She's going to help guide us through the afternoon session. Obviously, I'm so appreciative hey, of taking the time to join. Avery. So, we have ready for you, Mr. Chair, with you? Yes, we are ready. Welcome back um, to the Planning Commissioner orientation. We are looking at our final two topics. Um, the next topic is uh, going to be facilitated by uh, Mr. Jim Carpenter, Commissioner Jim Carpenter. We're going to talk about um, planning commission meetings, structure, prep, types of issue, decision-making process, et cetera. With that, Jim, did you have an approach you wanted to take to this? No, I have no written materials, but there's a couple of things that were in our packet that you should probably read down the road, like starting at page 52 which are just about from the American Planning Association, so how to be a better planning commissioner, tips, things like that. But uh, a lot of this is, what do you bring to the table? If what's most useful to you and how you want to approach it and make decisions? Because you can, you can get all wonky, like I do sometimes, or you can stick with higher level issues if that's what you're comfortable with that's that's why there's 10 of us with different backgrounds and different perspectives um but you know if you look at just a meeting agenda you'll see that we go through a set a set order and part of that is just to identify if there's any additional information for the night if we've got people that have to step out for certain ones to make sure we have the quorum or and such, or if you're going to be there. Um, and it's been weird with, with Zoom. I mean, I tried to do it from Nashville. I worked mostly one night. I was on and off the meeting like seven times. <laughs> I kept losing the connection in the next, in the Wednesday night, it was impossible. So anyway, that was the first time I tried that. Um, but if you, once you get the packet, I... I'm just going to say what I usually do with them, which is going to be different than what you do. What are you? Uh, like you said, oh, there's, there was there's an agenda pack and it was online for us. Okay. Was it the same as in the May 20th, uh, 2022? Well, this was for the orientation session. Yeah, I have the orientation packet. Yeah, page, 50, page 52 Yeah, I don't think it evolved too differently than what was posted last time because I think it was. Pretty close to the same one posted. I don't know. I just printed it out. I just was Douglas County Zoning District description. Somewhere in there. Uh, but anyway, I generally just kind of get an idea of what we're looking at for a night. Like next Monday, we've got four 
but we have a deferred item. But um, I just kind of go through and you can kind of tell by what's at the beginning, you know, PPs or preliminary plats. Um, SUP, that's a special use permit, so that's a city one. <laughs> preliminary plats are usually always city too. And we have a zoning, so with Z's or zoning. So, you know, those issues. And then if you start, just look at the top, this was from being chair. Um, look at what's in there. Are there any variance requests buried in there? Because how many votes on each one to find, keep track of and how many different issues? Um, I also like the math. Where are they? How can I plan to go see them if I don't know where they are? I've been doing this long enough that a lot of people in town, especially on this side of Castle, on the east side of Castle, I don't need to go out see where they are and what what's around them. But uh, there's lots of there's a lot on here this time. I didn't recognize the addresses, but then you can look at the maps. Where are things? And then what what really these are great reports. There I've looked at pointing staff reports from other cities over the years just to see. And we have so much information that's in here. Um, it'll tell you anytime anything that's touched this piece of land that's come up before for any decision. And you can actually go dig that up if you have, want to, but you don't usually need to. Um, I generally find that when I think I'm reading through and I, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, what about it's like two paragraphs down yeah. in our staff report. It's yeah. in there. It, you kind of go through, so you'll get a little bit, here's what they're asking for. Um, I, I always try to ignore who's asking for it or what they actually say they're going to do on a zoning one. I'm looking at what happens if we change the zoning. I don't care who it is right now, because you go around town and you'll you'll find this out with time. You'll approve a zoning change, and the next thing, next time you drive by, there's a for sale sign. Right. They came in just to get the yep. zoning to increase the sales price, and maybe they had somebody that wanted to do something. Maybe they didn't. Or we often get a landowner come in that wants a change of zoning. Uh, prior to being able to sell it to somebody else. So I, I one that happened before the three of you was just east of us on Highway 10. Almost Gary wasn't on yet either. There's a meeting right before I joined Right in. before Gary joined, it was about a golf course. And it came to us, it's, there's this little driving range out there. He just needed to change the land use conditions so he could build a structure. So you could set up like a little bar refreshment stand and you can hit your golf balls from in, under the cover. And that's, that's what it looked like on the surface, but they wanted a change that would have allowed unlimited commercial use at that intersection on the, on the Southeast Georgia. And so that was, we got that as we were going through our discussion and we proposed actually two different options, you know, to get to where he wanted, what he wanted to do. And so we deferred it in that, in that case. And then two days later, the paper reports, they pulled their application because it was outside developers using the current owner 
as a sympathetic front to get a zoning for what probably would have turned into a gas station or who knows what at that corner, which would have I didn't say no to the applicant. So you said absolutely yes. Here's the way we're going to get it. There's two ways to get to you. And yes. you said you said, but this question of, of changing zoning to this large area to commercial is a, something that needs to be handled in and of itself. I thought that was brilliant. So that's just an example of why I said, you know, you're going to see zoning changes, but you know, we're, you know, because it's a good group or a good person and it's a great idea. That's not our job. That's the city commission and county commission's job. That's the political side. We're just looking at does this land use make sense where this is in context of everything else around it? And does it meet the code? Yeah. And when we're doing the zoning stuff, remind me of its recommendations. Because something came up in the last month or two where we were like the final decision on something that we were making. Well, we're, so, we're never actually a final decision on we, just about anything because you can appeal. Well, I know, but it wasn't a recommend. We weren't making a recommendation. At least at, at the meeting, you specifically said was, we are the buck stops. That, that was the variance. Okay, so it wasn't a zoning. It was a variance. It was a variance. Okay. We are the final. We are the final decision maker. Oh, as uh, as far as who makes a decision before you have to go into an appeal process. Now, I have to apologize. I, I forgot when I had just gone through about a sidewalk in North Lawrence not too long before, which is the same issue, and we established you can appeal it to the city commission. And that I spaced it for that the last meeting. You're forgiven, Jim. Well, thanks. But anyway, anyway, no, no, because we had that. How could it stop here? We can't. We can't be the final decision maker. We're just a appointed body, so you have to have a way to appeal it to the attorneys. You got to have a way you can get all the way up to the Supreme Court, right? Right. So we have to have a path to get there. So that's the appeal to the city commission on variances. But we are, we don't recommend, we make a decision. And then they can, and then they, appeal. And they can appeal it and they go through a whole brand new hearing. On it. Which is different than when we recommend, then they adopt it, they make a decision, then there's still yet another appeal process that they could appeal they can, to the yeah, court. Presumably. Yeah, they can go to the, the district court. And like the Board of Zoning Appeals makes a final decision, and the only recourse is to go to the district court. From the Board of Zoning Appeals, yes. right to court. Yeah. Board of Zoning Appeals is, is a final stop for that application process. And it is actually the only stop prior to the court. And it's a unique body. I should I should caveat with that. It is unique and governed under state statute in a different category than where you are at, but it is. It is speaking on authority of the city and that next step is district court. That, that's one of the other confusing things that I sometimes still struggle with, especially if somebody from the public asks me about something, because there's variances that go before the Board of Zoning Appeals. And there's some, well, what I call their exceptions, variances that come before this body. And I never, sometimes I'm never quite sure what's going, why, why one is going to one body and not the other. I don't get them for the county. They go straight. I'm confused by that too. So you are hearing a technical variance to subdivision regulations. 
you will only hear variances that originate from the joint subdivision regulations. If it originates from anywhere else inside of chapter 20 or originates from anywhere inside of the county zoning code, it goes to their corresponding boards of zoning appeals. And those boards have very different parameters under state statute and very different operations they have to behave and follow that are even more strict than you. To give you an example, the boards of zoning appeals will open and close public hearing by votes and motions because they have to go through that as part of the state statute in the process. They have to motion in and motion out of those. And if they want to reopen it to hear a question from a member of the public, they will reopen the hearing and then reclose the hearing as part of it. So if it originates in Chapter 20 in anywhere but Article 8, it would go to you. Article 8 stuff, planning stuff goes to you. Everything else goes to the board of zoning appeals. So I should be careful when I wish that we would take on BCA stuff. It's it's yes, and full disclosure, I was the head of the Board of Zoning Appeals before I joined the Planning Commission. And I can tell you as part of their role, if it is not in their packet, it is not in their ability to consider and, and take it into account. So if it's not evidence brought before them during the hearing, because they are a full speed quasi-judicial board, they can't take it into consideration. Mm -hmm. And if there's evidence entered late into that process, they would end up getting into situations because they don't have the power to defer. They would have to go through different items and to kind of go through motions to bring evidence into hearings and things like that. So your variance procedures are more like your zoning variance. You know, you do the zoning process. If you, if you saw that Mr. Carpenter could speak to this, the Board of Zoning Appeals operates in, in a very different regimen about how they approach a case, how they have to hear the conditions, and they don't obey golden in the way that they have to do it. They have the five criteria that are outlined under the code and the state statute, and that is all they can hear. So it's... Does every community have a BCA? Is that, is this statute required? Statute or, yeah, so it's not self-imposed. No, and some communities will change how the boards will structure. Sometimes their planning commissions will serve as their boards of zoning appeals. They'll have to kind of sit with a different purpose and, and reason to it, but if by code, you're going to have to have somebody be the relief valve to a zoning thing. Okay. I think you're required by statute to have a planning board or commission once you get to a city of a certain size in the state. I think it's second or third class. I can't remember which one of the, once you hit a certain point, you have to have it, or if you would like to enable zoning, if you are not of a certain stature. So we're on one of three because the MPO is set by state statute also. Correct. So we're one of three that if the city commission decided they want to wipe out all boards and commissions, we would still be here. VZA would be here in the, in the MPO, which whatever that is. Depends um, on maps that don't, don't really help us much sometimes. So just sort of on the ground, variances that we do all setback variances come through to us. You see no setback variances. I'm, I guess I'm thinking of those right away things. Oh, no, right so, so, yes. Yes. You would see that. But if it was a, a building setback or those kind of things, that Side would be zoning appeals. And there's even certain things the Board of Zoning Appeals is barred from hearing under state statute, too. Like they can't grant a use to somebody that's not empowered in the district. So if you're zoned single family and you want to do an asphalt plant, they can't give you that use because they're usurping a legislative function that requires the commission to enter into it. So if you want to do a deck and that goes into the setbacks and the Board of Zoning Appeals will take over. And you know, even under the state statutes, when you look at it for subdivision regulations, there are some different processes that can be employed and followed. This is just the one that we have. And so 
sometimes you hear variances in some communities may be an administrative waiver. It's granted by the city engineer because they find it to be more prudent. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of handle those different, mm -hmm. different aspects. So when we talk about flagging things um, that might become administrative and not have to come to the planning, is there anything in the things that we see um, that could be shifted to the BZA in, in the same manner that some things become, there's no way. I don't know, but okay. I'm, I'm just, we made a special effort with the solar regulations to try to keep anything. Yeah, but that was, but I'm thinking some of these, yeah. if we want, if was, is there anything in our discussions that we might want to have to? Yeah, well, part of that discussion would be what kind of review process do we want? Do we want to force people to go to district court or do we want to let them get to the city commission? Okay. That makes sense. BZA has a very narrow parameter, which is allowed to operate under the statute. So even if we tried to put more to it, we wouldn't be able to get too far. The question is going to be in that instance, kind of moving that, you know, what do we want to be more administrative or what do we want to do? It's going to probably be a discussion to be had in Article 4 in your use table. What do you want to have a permitted use in what district versus a special use? Because that's really you're going to have those derivatives because if it's a permitted use, it enters the administrative site planning process. If it's a special use, it comes to you. So the question is going to be is, is the use, tailor, use table tailored correctly for what the community wants for expediency or, or comment? Because maybe some things do need to have a longer time frame. So really going to be in that use table. So back to the... We're so, so you got your packet to kind of see what kind of issues are going to come up. Um, check out the map and then Decide what you want to do. Are you going to just look it up on Google Maps? Or are you going to drive out and actually look at it? I always found driving out to the site gives you a lot more information than you're going to get anywhere else because you can actually see what it looks like from different angles, although we don't get to just drive up in people's private driveways and things like that. And if you get and they come out irate, say, Yeah, because you are, and yeah. while you're there, and say, Okay, and that's all I want to hear for us an hour about why they're, they should get what they want. Um, so I try to avoid that anyway, okay. just because it complicates issues. Although I'll sit in on land meetings quite often and just listen to their conversation or tell them what process about process. And uh, we've been out and met neighbors. Gary, before his first meeting came out with Sharon and I too, because a neighborhood wanted to speak to some of us. And uh, they came out and they gave us a demonstration how far this was going to be from their lot mm -hmm. and all these other things and told us that when you do that, make sure you don't give your opinion. Right. I mean, you can talk about what, you know, here's, here's how it's going to work, you know, encourage them to put their, their ideas in writing because you only get three minutes at the meeting, put it in writing, we read it all, we're going to address what's in it. And I think people don't believe that, but then they come to the meetings and they find out it's true. Well, to, to what Commissioner Kelly said, I mean, that's true. If, you, if you're out there and you're telling them what the process is, it, it, it feels better to them mm -hmm. you know, to know what's coming up. They don't feel so lost. They don't feel so worried. 
They understand, okay, step by step, here's what happens. You come, it's, it, I think it just really helps bring them into the process. You can acknowledge that you know how difficult it is to stand at that podium. I don't know if any of you have done it, but I've done it many times before I was on any of these. And it's, I still get nervous. I've done it. Yeah. Well, I still do too. If I have to go do something, yeah. you know, present any of our yeah. things yeah. to the city or county, I still get a little nervous, which I find absurd anymore, but I still do. Um, so but, when you go and visit a site, can you say, what are your concerns about the zoning or should you not ask that question? Is that, a, is that an okay question well, to ask? I, yeah, that you're talking about neighbors. Usually neighbors. if you go to the site, it's going to be a vacant lot sitting somewhere, or it's going to be somebody who's out in the county. It's going to be somebody who's, you know, their house is going to be set up in their properties. Yeah. But yeah. It's, I mean, if you can say, well, what are your concerns? Because that's that's yeah. kind of what we're doing at the planning yeah. commission is you yeah. know, tell us your concerns. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm out here. I'm just looking at the site. I'm looking at the room. <clears throat> you, can, you can listen to whatever they have as long as you don't give an opinion. Mm-hmm. But, also, then remember, if what you've discussed shows up in the packet, you have to. Yeah. If it's not in the packet, you have to disclose it. Yeah. Yeah. And that just gets hard to keep track of. So... <laughs> So you had, like I said, you had to do that on the zoning to do that with all like rolling solar. Well, because it was, it's, but but it, it's because they gave us a booklet. They, everything they did say to us was technically in which they were giving you this, but we don't want it on the record. Or you're like, no, or on the record. But anyway, um, well, but that's a that was an odd thing that maybe could come up again. Is oh. Uh, Okay, there you go. Yeah. And um, Good turn people in. need to understand that what they tell you and what their concerns mm-hmm. is now part of the public record. They need to know that. You need to tell um, them that, hey, it's now. Some people right. uh, it thought that, well, no, I'm going to give this to you right. for you to read, right. not not right. for public, not for not, not for my neighbors to no, know. Right. I'm saying. Right. Information, but where the information came from. Yeah. Yeah, so it's. I think it's good, you know, <laughs> The comments will come to you in bits and pieces. I mean, don't try to read the whole plan. I did that when I first was sick. It's hard to remember anything. You mean the, you mean 2040? 2040 is the easiest. Thing. I read the land development. The land development. <laughs> <laughs> contradictions in the land development code. I don't know what saying anymore. The thing about merit badges, if you read the code cover to cover, I did that. I owe you one there. But I think that's why the, I asked about the leaks because. There, I, I'm not going to sit down and read from cover to cover, um, but I do, the way I'll end up learning it over time is if I read it or access it when we're talking, either when I'm reading the agenda and I'm preparing, or when you mention it mm-hmm. at a meeting, then I know to pull it up. And if I don't have access to a link or I can't quickly figure out what it is you're talking about, then I can't pull it up. And I'm not going to lie, like if, if a meeting gets out at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, like I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go home and, and go find that link and pull that up and read that. Like, I'm going to bed you know, it's a little, at 1130. It's and then little, I forget. It's a little different at the meetings now. The computers, the way they were set up when I started, there was a column over on the left side that you could actually just click and take you to the code. We don't, it's not there anymore. But, um, so bring your own laptop. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm trying to, like, create all the links. Yeah. But I'm also trying to... It is more cumbersome to like 
everyone have their own laptop, like just spacing wise, right? Like I get there and I've been organized and I've been, had my surface or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, there's not room for right. like, me to also yeah. pull mine out. So I'm not saying that you need to provide the links to us. I'm just saying I need to know what they are so that I can figure out the best way for, even if it's on my phone, to be able to access them because that's how I'll learn it is when you say it and then, or someone yeah. says it and then I look at that. Retain it so I can everything out. In case anybody's looking in, in today's orientation packet, page 25 of the PDF is that master running list of links and things. So if you want to see the maps and the plans that the all the different things for the code, there are the just a big list of links there that you click on and jump to. On page 25. Uh yes. If my browser is behaving and properly. Also, wait, I'm, I'm not in the right spot then because I only have 17 pages. I mean, my favorite thing to have so up at the meeting is the interactive app. Is, um, if page somebody's making an orientation, that's all I have to do. Oh, I was looking at the attendance. They said, well, I don't want a tower. It's always this. Keep going. Because the tower used to be 50 plants in the spring. Because the pipes are still right here. Oh, huh. I've usually got Google Maps up, but I shouldn't use it. Yeah, that's great. But it's still the seven clicks in the middle of a meeting. It's not what I'm supervising. So I just need to learn which ones to put right up. It's also been out there and you can get it, but then you have it right there. It can also pull up. So I want to talk just a little bit about, about the how much code you need to really be grounded in on each one of these items and where you go to get it. About where you start from. Well, where you start. So, so what? The staff report, right? Contains the relevant layout of codes. It contains the applicant's information to that. It contains staff's judgment on both that and if there's any difference in what the applicant's saying. So, so a person doesn't necessarily need to go out and find the source code, read it. It's you know sterile from this. It is brought in context, right. and so for me anyway, um, do I enjoy looking at the code? I, I honestly have to admit I kind of do, and I, I have spent quite a bit of time cover to cover, uh, but I, I do like to try to to to, to understand things and, and to see if there are things you know tangential to that. But one doesn't necessarily have to go find the raw code. On their own and then try to drag it back in because staff has done that in there and one way you can think about it is to say okay look i've got it all here if i read this packet i've got it i've got the code i've got the context of it, i've got the applicant's information yep. do i feel the staff's recommendation to approve flawed or erred in some way is there an interpretation of the code would i interpret that differently in this particular scenario if yes well then maybe that's something to explore if no but that's what's difficult in this and no no offense to, to staff but they've done so much and they have the background they've already processed that part right so they've taken the things that may doing the process of what may not meet the standards they've already done and then told us their final suggestion which is awesome i love it but then it's really hard for me to feel like i'm looking at both sides of of Yes. So that that's where I'm yeah. struggling. And, and as the community brings things to you, as, as you read letters that are in it, right? There's there's other information. Is that what you're talking about? Well, kind of, but I mean, I hate to have to rely on the neighbor uh, to file a letter, if that makes any sense. Like like sometimes um, I, I get it if there's somebody like, that disagrees with staff recommendation that's in there, and we can read it and see it. But sometimes, like if I'm looking at 
just one and it's like conformance with the comprehensive plan. And that's great. Like all of the different goals that, that staff feels like it conforms with are here. And that's really great. But being brand new, I don't have off the top of my head, all the potential ways it doesn't conform with the comprehensive. And that's, plan, that's, that that's, what that's, yeah, that's what you'll get from having these every month and plus just exploring beyond what's there sometimes right. you're like yeah but what else does it say about that so you can find it but you know our, our reports i'm just looking at one one from monday without talking about anything but it's it starts out with a recommendation at first it's just a brief description of what it is preliminary plat and then under key points is a good area because it tells you it's in tier one of the city under plan 2040 so you know infrastructure is already there um it's located within the planning boundaries of west k10 plan so you might want to look at the west k10 plan just to see what that is which is one that's under is that that's not the one under review right now is it it's number one coming up for revisions uh, right now so and that's one where we're seeing have seen a lot of activity and a lot of requests so um it's vacant which is relevant because nobody's mentioned the golden factors yet today <laughs> i've noticed that I mean, really golden factors um we can we can talk about them and then there's also the south lawrence traffic corridor overlay these are put in and if you if you read through these key points they go in just the the order that jeff had on the screen comp plan and then that comes down to and then corridor plans, nodal plans, blah, blah, blah. And you can you can find all of those online. Just I just wanted to add one thing to what Chelsea was saying. And I think this is what you're saying, but um the the issues that have the most public comment are the ones that learn the most about the case against it from. Mm -hmm. But if nobody says anything, you assume there's no case against it, but that may not be the case. That's never the case. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, yeah. right? It's yeah. like like so. Unfortunately, I mean, yeah, and I mean, I know a lot of it's background work. You've been working on these for years, some of them for years or months or whatever. And so staff is doing that work. And I appreciate that. And I understand that. Like when we get to it, right. so much work has been done before it gets to us that you've thought through all this. But as somebody who's just jumping into the process towards the middle of it, it kind of makes it a little bit. And also, we're kind of representing the public too, right? Like the city is representing the city right so in a sense we're it's a different we're, role it's a different role right so we are we are the public review yeah. portion of right. this whole thing right right so don't i think it's also important yeah. to notice that staff never comes to these with a determination until we review the case it's very much an independent review that we're undertaking so while we may be employed for the city it's our duty <laughs> to uphold the conditions of written and the values that are stated so whether we write a recommendation for or against something is is not a derivative of an opinion. It's a derivative of an RV of the code. And so that, that sometimes gets misconstrued in the public. And it's like, well, staff's already said this. We really don't ever get in that phase. It's really we're looking through whatever factors are applicable to that application and processing out. And that's that's where you all come in, is because our bit is is that we are professional staff. We are going to look at this and render. A professional opinion on this you are representing that that public interest that public value to it and that's where that's where we need you 
But we don't ever, like, but I think one of the things that's weird is we don't see the things that you don't recommend, right? So, like, there's a, I'm sure there are a lot of things that, that, like, a lot of projects and things that get submitted to you that you go through them and you do whatever steps you, I mean, everything I've seen so far anyway has a recommendation to move on to the next step from staff. So, I'm assuming, like, that's not always true. Right. And, and, well, everything I, I mean, so I'm assuming some projects have to, some some things you have worked a lot or people have worked with you a lot to get the things to the stages where they're, where they're at. What about what happens when when it doesn't when it falls through or when like people people pull them out or what what's going what are the other things that we're not seeing? And there's a lot of times the applicant will, you know, they will ask us questions or they will get a sense of where the governing bodies or you are landing on an opinion and they will kind of go, you know what, that's not going to work in this instance. And we're finding, you know, quite truthfully, a lot of time it's something else. It's another factor that's out there. The financing fell through, the, the person's pulled out of the deal. It's a lot of those things. But, you know, some of these applications, we spend quite a bit of time working with applicants to go, here's what the code is saying. Here's what the plan is saying. You know, here's, we spend a lot of time working a lot of those details through. Right. One of the things that we do with with your applications, and we always, always have done, is you don't see anything that's not code compliant. Wait, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the part I'm talking about. So then what happens to those that aren't code compliant? And they just withdraw the application or, or what? It's just on coming forward. And they get a recommendation to say no from staff, and the reason is it doesn't meet the code. Right, and I guess what I, I guess what's so weird for me is like we haven't had much of that. We haven't had any of that since I've joined, but I know that that's happening, right? And I, so I know that when I see something, it's been through the process you're just talking about, and that you've been working to get it to code, and everybody's been working really hard um, to make it happen. But when you just step in in the middle of all this process, it sometimes is very difficult to be like, well, but not everything can meet, every, you know what I mean? It feels like everything is a recommendation in favor of even. And so that's where it's hard for me. I'm gauging how much, how much questioning, how much like reading in, into these things, right? What's not on the page, I guess, is really like what pops into my mind, not in a negative way, because I know what's going on behind the scenes, but it's my instinct is to wonder what's not there. Yeah. yeah. A good example. I mean, if I can bring it up was the cul-de-sac example that came up over yeah. lunch where that's completely code compliant, you know, and that's been recommended for approval, but there was a difference of opinion right. on whether it should go right. on there, but it was absolutely code compliant. Right. Um, so that's an example where this body and the public input at the meeting really comes into play. Yeah, um, I feel like we had one that was the opposite too, though, that maybe wasn't technically, I mean, it, I feel like there was one we disagreed with about whether or not, I can't remember um, any particular example, but um, we, we will advance recommendations, you know, for and for denial to you if it is if it's meeting all the marks, something can still be code and still may come with a recommendation for denial because it may not be inconsistent with the plan. It may be right. inconsistent with something else. That That's fine. But what typically will happen is most people won't want to advance something to you with that recommendation for denial because that changes the way the vote has to occur at city commission depending upon your vote sometimes. And so most of the time we have a chance to work through those kind of details and get through some of those maybe, you know, 
maybe we're just not aligning things or we're not seeing something in that same spot. So there's a lot of conversations the planners are having with these applicants and these cases before they're coming to you in the hopes that we can all get to a spot where we think it's it's code compliant, it's in a good spot, and that it can have that recommendation. So it's you'll see those too. It's the average amount of time that an applicant spends trying to get a project through planning to a point where they've addressed all of the issues they are now code compliant and you can say yeah we support you you know he's got all those figures <laughs> a lot of the time by the time they get to the pre-application meeting with staff they've already done this one they've got it they've, they know the codes they know where it's at so there's quite a few applications that come in at the pre-app and they've already done most of that before they've even reached reach staff to have those discussions if I had to put like my thumb on a number, I'd say probably one in 25, you're going to see probably a recommendation for denial at this point from just kind of working off of memory, my best guess. And, and we'll, you know, we're obligated to an advanced and complete application regardless of our recommendation. So if we recommend denial, we recommend deferral, we recommend approval, we're going to advance that application up. But there's a lot of those things that have already been taken care of before they even reach us, that the design professionals, the developers, or whoever they are, they've met with the neighbors, they've had these conversations already, and they've made these adjustments before they even, they even get to us. And quite truthfully, we've actually been, for, for what it is, we have some pretty stable codes. People have a pretty good idea of what's going to meet the marks and what's not going to meet the marks. And so they have a good idea. So by the time we see it, they've already kind of ironed out a lot of the details. And I guess I'm talking, I guess in more than like code, it's kind of like the guideline stuff that's harder to, because uh, the code is like law and it's a little bit more concrete than like being consistent with like plan um, 2040 or something like that, because there are con conflict, conflicting things sometimes where different people might have a value on um, infill versus like affordable housing versus duplex right like that isn't necessarily like legally you can't build that question is is that what the community is wanting to advance so i guess maybe that's i was conflating some of that in my head maybe between the, when you're thinking about something it's not just a matter of yes this this legally can happen right? but and is this the best thing for our community? And then you can have that discussion a little bit in some respects, but the key is going to be is there are some things that are in that realm that maybe not germane to the application at hand that can't cross the line. So you may want affordable housing. You don't have code that compels it in the instance. You may not be able to go down that path. And that's that's the reality of the code. So there are things that you can be thinking of that are, you know, 2040 wants us to do whatever, you know, have zebras, or I don't know, I'm just doing <laughs> something here. You can't compel someone to have a zebra. You may want it, and we may see it as a value, but you can encourage it, but we may not have code to compel it. And that's a different thing. In the case of a rezoning, it's going to be that, because it's, it's going to be under Golden V over the uh, right. park, where you're going to have that restriction of the Golden Factor. I got to bring them in because we talked about them now. So <laughs> you're going to meet those Golden factors, and there, there's criteria to hit with those as you move. Right. And, you may not need to hit all the golden, but if you hit enough. And that's the thing where I'm still I'm still trying to find five golden factors are the five numbered paragraphs in our report. They go through each yes. one of those. But then but then it also says in the case or any other you know information that's relevant to your yeah. decision. It's not limited to those five, yeah. which is where you can bring in 
what's in the comp plan, what's the direction, what do we need now in the city, you know. The classic cases is we've, we've got some coming up. We've had plenty is when they change from, you know, single family zoning to multifamily zoning. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to happen. Right. You know, it might be recommended or not, but it, it conforms. I mean, one decision will, will, because plan 2040 says we want this, but if you make the other decision, you can also support that decision with this part of plan 2040. Right. So Almost that's what our discussion is about. And it becomes site, site, site specific. specific. Yeah. Right. Does it fit here? Right. And some attitudes and this is and this is ongoing developing attitudes about what's compatible next to each other which is land development code is going to probably mix things up quite a bit more and it's going to be hard for a lot of people to say oh no now you can have duplexes in my single family neighborhood right and that's just common not specific yeah right um but that's a common thing that happens or you you know but then it, but then you cross the line. You want to, how much commercial do you want to come in to neighborhoods? How much light industrial, if any? You know, heavy industrial is not coming into neighborhoods. But um, but you got all of these other things playing against each other. So you'll develop your own philosophy of it as you go. But this is just our first one for coming up. It's got all these different plans. So, you know, when you're new, you might want to look at these different plans. You're not, and you may not get to every, every application, every report in the same depth, but, you know, each, each month, you're going to add to your knowledge of what's out there. You may not, you don't have to memorize it. Yeah. It'll be there. It'll be part of the conversation. And as you have questions throughout the course of the meeting, it's great to ask them and staff right now. Staff yeah. to bring to whatever depth you've got color yeah. that you want. And you've got you got the applicant. You have members of the public with better information about certain things. I mean, we we will get members of the public that are actually experts in areas to make use of um, when they come in and talk. Yeah. Still sometimes formulating what questions I have. Like, I know you guys are there and then you're great and you know the answers, but like, sometimes I don't know what to ask. Well, and so don't be afraid like to ask to questions you already know the answer to. Yeah, we do a lot of that. <laughs> I think. Do you have time Just for to one, clarify. one more question on this subject? So, um, so uh, the thing that I think I spend the most time on is the power plant in terms of like, there was a lot of reading material. It was probably like a hundred pages of public comment and yeah. different different things. Well, the substation, the substation, the substation. Yeah, that was the seven hundred page package. Seven hundred page package, right? And which which I ended up I learned learned a lot about a lot of different things because of that. But then there's things where there's like no public comment. Oh, we got it. <laughs> Sorry. Where there's no yeah, where there's no public. Where there's no public comment. Tough because you got to take. Well, I've been following city politics for a long time. So I kind of know how a lot of things have happened or how we got there. You'll pick that up. Watch the commission meetings. Watch what happens to our after uh, after watch watch their agendas and then watch what happens at the city commission or county commission on some bars and you'll start to pick up what these relationships are, because you'll start to hear uh, comments from different perspectives. Now, 
Now that Karen's on the county commission, right. Patrick's talking again. <laughs> Zoning and, and land use. So they're going to have great conversations because they know it yeah. pretty well. And so it's it's worth listening. And the city, you're going to hear things about different values. Some of those can come into our decision. And some of them, sometimes you get stuck. I've got to vote. Right. That's when you get the half hand up. <laughs> when we were still raising our hands, um, now it's going to be a voice vote. But yeah. I had a lot of those <laughs> because I couldn't come up with a reason under code yeah. that I could say, I don't like this or, you should, or I should say no. Mm -hmm. And that's the tough part. You're going to get people in front of you, you know, you're going to get neighbors. They're going to expect something from you. But yeah ignore who they are listen to what they say but ignore who they are and ignore what they say that is going to happen i never trust us the, the absence of public comment i wish that it was there and it'd be easy to say well nobody's here subjecting to it then, then it must be just be fine. yeah exactly i don't believe that's true i think your comment and responsibility to, to, but at the same time mm -hmm. even when there even when there is public comment most people come to talk about something when they're opposed to it. Right. And you have to you have to really understand and weight that. And and it's it's not a democratic process. Right. right. It's just all forms of input. Right. And even even that silence might cause me to right. look at it differently, you know, and put myself in that role a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I have to make a land use decision. Right. And there is a lack of understanding out there that if I send in a, a letter, mm -hmm. I don't need to show up. Yeah. Um, East Lawrence neighborhood association yeah. had that impression. I was like, no, you should probably come, which is why Barry <laughs> made the comment. <laughs> it was like, I was like, no, you need to be there so we can ask questions too. You can't just rely on sending that in if you really have an opinion. Um, because people take interpret. Yeah, exactly. Your presence or your lack of presence exactly. in different ways right. that can impact the vote. Right. right. But, uh, you know, I, I like the written comments because they can go more in depth. Yeah. So I always encourage that with our you. next session. Just a great segue to it. Our next session is with applicants and with homeowners. Okay. Yeah. It's a great so, opportunity to bring yeah, this. You'll hear us on this. this. But I, I attend land meetings. Mostly. I didn't go to the last one because Becky was actually on the agenda to be there. So, um, you know, but I, I'm usually there and I, and, you know, they sometimes you hear conversations and, okay. you know, you're never going to really hear anything that's not going to end up in the packet. And I, I don't think I ever, I do say I've been to the land meeting, I heard this, or I was at the East Lawrence neighborhood meeting mm -hmm. where they discuss this and it's usually never yeah. different from what they finally submit. But I never give my opinion. Right. I'll say, you know, these are issues that right. have been identified. But uh, good to know. So you can you can do whatever you want with that. Go out, just be careful not to cross lines. So anyway, you're going to have to do a lot of reading at the beginning just to try to get your handle on what different plans are. Just want to change. Eventually, though, some will be the same. Like, I don't think I have to read the the right of way packets as much as I 
No, and, and when all we, the same, and, and we get you know fifty pages of here's the graph with how many lumens in each yeah. each square foot, or traffic studies. You can just kind of skip to the conclusions. <laughs> Where is it? Steps done a lot of work because there's a lot in there. Those are those are outside of us. We're not we're not substituting for the experts. That's one thing. I like having that detail, though, because if, uh, if someone from the community comes and says something that I don't understand or challenges that, I love to be able to pick through and find it. And I've asked questions about the current stormwater model and it's been an emissions that, you know, it probably has, they're looking at how to modify it because it's based on, you know, past history and we're starting to see different so I think they're, they're looking at that now. And one of these days, we'll hear the report on it. One of these days. <laughs> but, you know, it, these these things change. But, you know, we have, the city has hired experts to do certain things. And you can question the experts, you know, did you take this into account? But we're not those experts. And um, that can be helpful, but it can, and it can, you can say, now I still think you're wrong. <laughs> This house is going to flood, and then the next time you drive by, you see they built this giant dike between the house and the. It's like, yeah, I guess they thought it wasn't going to flood, but but a lot of those codes are being reviewed. The the floodways and everything else is all up because of the changing conditions and what Plan Twenty Forty is stressing that. So there's a lot of review that's going to change. Some of and if you look through uh, what we did with the solar app, um, regulations, you'll see there's a lot of considerations for future land use and limiting uh, disruption of, of the area and staying out of certain zones, providing pathways for wildlife and all types of things that are, that are in there. And, uh, but those are all kind of representations of every all the information that was collected and went into creating that code. But that's we don't know how it's going to work. But it's going to be great to see one come through and see how it works. But so you go on. But and then there's the differences between the city and the county. So, so I, I just say you just start absorbing information. Read all the articles in the paper that come out. Watch the meetings you can. Ask questions. Ask questions. Don't bother with the transportation commission stuff. <laughs> Those things don't help you much. <laughs> um, historic resources can be useful to watch. If we see one that pops up and it says it's been to historic resources, all these meetings are on Yahoo. You can go to this, you know, City of Lawrence and yeah, find I watch one of those. So you can watch them and see what their discussion was uh, before it comes to us. It, 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 or it could come to us and then go to historic resources. This is this is what Jeff said. Things come to us in different ways and then go out from us to different places before they get to the governing body sometime. Well, more likely than not, you are always going to probably be the last step before it hits the city commission if it enters the process properly. Because we would have historic resources and the Board of Zoning Appeals before it lands on your table. Because if you're recommending approval of a use, 
and that use is affected by the aesthetics and you want to change something, then it's going to go back to HRC. Yeah, that's, that's, you're getting a little out of your out of your purview and into theirs, and that's okay. But if the Board of Zoning Appeals is a great example of this, if you're trying to approve something, you're going to see a conditional say subject to the BZA granting the variance. But that is a very rare circumstance that we try for. What we try to do is have it go to BZA first, and then you hear, because then you're hearing a code compliant plan. And so usually the first stop is HRC and BZA, and it then comes to you so that you have the boards before you understanding of what it is. This is what HRC has looked at and has concern about. This is what BZA thought about this item. So we always try to make you the last stop before city commission if we can. As much as I hate to say it, check out Chad Lawhorn's town talk. Because <laughs> I don't know, he often is people are approaching him to get some ideas out into the community. Yes, early ideas. There have been a couple just recently. You might want to look back. Who is this? What's what's the name again? Chad Lawhorn. This is the Journal World. Oh. Just look at Town Talk on there. Look at it because recent there have been a couple recently that we're probably going to see aspects of to go check those out. Ah. You can you can kind of figure out a little bit about what's happened ahead, you know, before. Um, I know one of them is going to come here. I was, I've voted on part of it in the past. So, you know, it's, you know, those are helpful just to kind of tune in to what's happening in Lawrence and go to meetings, listen, listen to meetings online. If you have the opportunity to work, run meetings while you're you know, doing something else, if you can do that. Um, but when you say run meetings, you mean listen to them. I just listen to them, you know, and, and usually most of it you just ignore until it gets to a good topic. But it's kind of, I kind of like to know where the commissions are going, because especially when they just change. It's like, you know, Bart is now talking. It took him a while to talk, um, but he's, he's now, you know, participating. It's always interesting to watch that. But this, this, this is all part of it. You're going to learn it in the increments as you go. And the, and the more you know about the whole community and the county, especially drive out to the county areas. Because I think everybody everybody in this room lives in the city. So I don't. I don't. Well, I guess technically I have a city address, but I'm outside Salem. Oh, good. Yeah, but not that far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Compton. Yeah, the Compton. Charlie's out. Yeah. Charlie's out. Yeah, but to get out there because, you know, and, and, Get an impression. Uh, one of the things is more distances are different. You know, what seems close to you, far away in the city, is really close when you're out with open fields. So those are the types of things. And, you know, and notice what kind of roads you're on. Because, you know, a lot of this is township roads. Who is taking care of it? And those conversations will come up a lot. You want to put this type of business on this road, well, who's going to maintain the road? Now, this is a poor township. So I have a question on that. So we had a last meeting, we had a couple of uh, requests from Baldwin, and they were both on a road that is like a, I guess you call it a two-lane road, a blacktop. Yeah. And it, it seems like there's more that kind of request coming from that area. At what point does the road need to expand, or when does that come into you know, I, I know it's not something we talk about, but who, who talks about that? And when, when does that change? Or It depends on who has the ownership of the road. Because if it's KDOT Road, KDOT's going to have that independent of anybody at any time. 
uh, great example of the SCSLT. They're going to do whatever they want to do with that one because they're KDOT. They've got the money and the funds. They will they will go forth. If it's under county purview, the county engineer is the person we will talk to and have those discussions with, make sure it's meeting that requirement. We also talk with the county engineer. We talk with township reps because sometimes the townships talk to him and he's got knowledge of what it is. So anytime those are coming forward, we talk with zoning and codes and the county engineer about that to get more detail. And, uh, you'll also hear the planners say they will call the townships to find out what's going on. So if they're saying we can't maintain the road or the road's in bad condition or uh, road's in great condition, we've got no problems with it, you'll we'll, you'll hear a lot of that discussion. But it's not it, it's something we're going to take into factor in consideration. It's also probably something you'll hear in your reports if there is a, a concern or a condition of a road that you know we're putting a thousand new vehicles on every day and that road can't sustain it. That's probably going to be yeah, something that gets popped up as part of that rezoning or part of that conditional use. I see. But the the, the city commission will talk about that. The, the county commission would talk about the county, it. the county commission, and they're probably having that conversation same with the neighboring municipalities, just like the county county engineer talks with our city engineer about the roads that are around Lawrence and how we affect each other in that respect. Oops, I need to time check on sure. this. Um, I'd love us to go a little bit long. It's a great conversation, but we have some guests showing up here in just a few minutes. Jim, is there anything, final comments? Just you know, as you go through the meeting, ask questions. I have a question that I think might be useful for, the, for this group here. Um, if you are... <laughs> Uh, if you're comfortable and you're ready to make a motion, where do you go look to find that motion? What document are you using? I avoid doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Say that. So where are you looking? You want Those to of you that make motions, you oh. go to looking box. But which box? There's two. Oh, staff, oh, staff, where staff recommendation. Yeah. Staff recommendation. So, I mean, Gary, you other you, you ask a lot of questions or make a lot of motions. Where are you looking? And by the way, I... I'm happy to share that. I just, <laughs> it's, it's in the interest of moving the meeting. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, action, there's, an action, there's an action requested. <laughs> there's an action requested there that'll give you almost verbatim. Action requested. Action requested. Yeah. What you need, what you need to say. Okay. Action requested. Conditions listed. I think it is acceptable. If, unless you're suggesting changes to those conditions, you can say, you know, and subject to the conditions listed. So one thing, one thing I would add to the making of the motion is there's there's a couple ways you can go about that. One, you could make a motion with the intention of trying to, you know, move things in a particular direction. I don't have my personal opinion is I don't think that's a good thing to do. I think we should get to a place where everyone feels like they are, they're at a place where they're ready for that, and then we can. Right, go with emotion, but don't, don't, I don't like to use that as a weapon. I don't know. I agree that. Don't yep. second. Don't don't second right away because our forces are both. <laughs> so, but, but let me ask: Why are people reluctant to make motions? Well, I think you've got. I'm looking around, looking around, and looking around. I think but, part of it was that yeah. we knew the language was very specific, but the I'll speak for myself. But the reports are very detailed and really good, but there are a couple different places where you could be pulling the motion language from. Like, I wasn't sure if I should be reading the action requested or if I should be reading the staff recommendation. So I think that was that was probably the yeah, first. Okay. And then some of them were really long yeah. and they had all these conditions, yeah. and sometimes the motion didn't have the, all of them in, sometimes it did. Yeah. So it was learning that, I think, and then also learning the language that you're like, move to recommend, right? Like, when am I saying move to recommend? Yeah. And that was probably part of it. So I don't think that it's 
that we're scared to make motion so much as we weren't quite positive where the language and the format. When the chair, generally when the chair introduces it, you know, this is before us to approve or to recommend. I mean, you know, that's the language. We move to approve the request. Right. And if there are conditions, what I will, instead of draining that whole thing, I'll just say, for the, rec the, for the uh, restrictions or recommendations and step forward. Yeah. Now I have noticed a little bit of a hesitancy to number. second or to get us go. Yeah. And then all the numbers. Yeah, sorry, and get those and second, that's an interesting procedural problem. We have to get both motions withdrawn to get back to the point. There should discussion. always be discussion after a second before yeah, vote. Right. So yeah. Right. Motion right. second. Then, then you discuss. Is there any discussion? Is there any further discussion before the vote? Right. And then. And then that's drained, then 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 go to vote. Yeah. But do pay attention to the language. Like it's fine to read the language, move to approve or whatever, but do know that it takes it matters, right? So like if we're moving to approve something and we're split, right, then it's not approved. Whereas if you so I mean it does like I don't think you should I'm not suggesting that you should like um change the language to try to get a particular vote but do just do right. notice that the way that you phrase something matters on what we're oh, voting for yeah. and if we're split or if it's um whatever we had the other night right it didn't move forward had it been phrased differently right. it would have been so, sorry, so my comment was about the phrase in my opinion we need to go with that language exactly and i've missed yeah. that kind of time but never not intentionally my point is sometimes and it's happened in the past and we'll make a motion before we're at a place where people really are resolved on something with the intention of trying to move it drive forward, agendas, drive, right. drive a direction. And what I'm suggesting is that we, as a group, respect and, yeah. and get to a place where we're, we're resolved in our own minds where that might be. Yeah, I think you do a really good job, both of you as, as chairs. You've been sure. doing a really good job to make sure that we're all comfortable with that before you go on question. Don't worry about split votes. And sometimes you're going to hear a vote to deny and there'll be an explanation i think this is going to pass i think this is a good project these are this is all good but there yeah, is this if this is a bad issue and then we need to like, i won't ask my next question great conversation we want, we want to continue this maybe at, at, a, at the maybe the next mid-month um let's take uh like we've got some guests outside let's let's hold off on Stop this one right now. Let's come back in five minutes and have our guests here and finish up in five seconds. And those of you that are sitting on the side, um, I know um, Darren is going to have a presentation. So if that maybe the flickering is bothering you, you may want to play musical chairs and move to the side. So I hadn't even noticed it. So, uh, let's get back. Let's get started again. Um, welcome back to the uh, Planning Commission orientation today. We're on our last planned topic. Um, we're going to be visiting with some guests. We're talking about um, perspectives from applicants, perspectives from neighborhoods. Um, we have uh, two folks here to, to discuss with us today. Darren Ammon from Bartlett West is here and Travis Heard from uh, Lawrence Area Neighborhoods or his Association of Neighborhoods. Sorry, I got that wrong. Um, I think, uh, Darren, you were going to uh, lead us off. Is that 
Is that okay? I'm open for whatever. We, got, we, have, we have an hour here. It might make more sense for me to lead off. Okay. I think I'm more broad strokes, and then I think Darren can carry it home and put meat on the bones. <laughs> All right. I'm good with that. We've got an hour, and I don't know if you guys want to tag or if you want to split it up, or I just want to make sure we've, we've had pretty dynamic conversations, and I really want an opportunity for everybody here to be able to um, get questions answered and dig deep. Okay. And if I say something, jump in. I mean, because you don't get some of this. You guys like it, then Travis, go ahead. Well, hey, everybody. Um, I'm Travis Herod. Hi, Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Travis Herod, and I'm the chair of the Lawrence Association of Neighborhoods. I've been the chair for three years now. Um, I, in that time, I've gotten to see extensively neighborhoods and their their interactions with planning also my own neighborhood we've had a couple go rounds as far as you know stuff being built next to us and we protested so i actually got to be there you know with the pitchfork and everything (laughs) you know yelling you know angrily and everything so and I think that I think that Becky probably smiled and she's like I think I got just the guy to talk to these people (laughs) so anyway I also am um uh, a local attorney. My wife and I have a law firm together, and but we have one client now, so I don't know if she counts as a law firm anymore. So anyway, I want to really touch on three things today. They tell you, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. All right, so we're going to we're going to do it that way. So one, we'll talk about notice. Something that I perennially hear from, you know, the we'll call them constituents of, of land, right? Then we'll talk about process. And then I also w- just want to share a few thoughts with you about the recodification, if you want to call that, of our land development code that is imminent. Regarding notice, over and over and over, we hear about notice. What is notice? Well, just make sure we're all talking about the same thing. So whether it's coming through the planning commission, whether it's coming through the board of zoning appeals, whether it's just something's being done. Somebody's asking for a variance. Somebody's asking for a new zoning. Somebody's asking for a planning overlay. Any number of things that Darren can help his clients with. Okay, well, that triggers, usually is going to trigger some sort of notice requirement. Planning, you know, that's all defined within the code. Who do we notice? You know, within you know what what distance from the property lines as far as property owners, neighbors, identified neighborhood association, you know, leaders, assuming that they're keeping their contact information current, which is a challenge for staff. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so notice goes out. And now you're sitting there in your little single family home or whatever, and you get this piece of paper from you know the city of Lawrence that advises you. Something's happening that has triggered the notice, all right? That right there is enough to get you kind of sweaty. Like, wait, what? You know, that lot, you know, just a few houses down or, you know, in my neighborhood's situation, you know, a nine-acre lot in the middle of town that's never been developed, you know, now somebody's going to do something with it. That can be really, really daunting. And I viscerally know this because when... I wasn't close enough. I wasn't within the notice zone or the protest zone, so I didn't get one of those letters, but my neighborhood did. And I foolishly was chair of my neighborhood association at the time. And so, but yet not on the list. So no fault to planning. And so my neighborhood, my neighbors are coming to me 
we're getting these letters, we're getting these letters. And at that point in time, I'd been an attorney for more than 10 years, had had fairly extensive experience was at the AG's office and in private practice with complex litigation. And I've got this notice from the city of Lawrence saying that if you don't, you know, if you want to protest or something, then you need to do X, Y, and Z. And I had no idea what I'm supposed to do, but yet I am a member of the Kansas bar in good standing. So what is it going to be like if you are a 65 year old retired teacher? or you're a 45-year-old accountant, or you know, a 33-year-old homemaker or whatever, we're all in the same boat. I mean, how, how many pages is our land development code, Jeff? Yeah, 560 plus. Yeah, I didn't know, but I knew it was hundreds, <laughs> okay? Hundreds of pages sitting right there, and you have a very short amount of time to get conversant with that code, to even really figure out what is it trying to tell you and what do you need to do in response? And so right there, already the potential for agitation is already up there, <laughs> okay? And agitation is really not where, say, Darren and his clients want to be. You know, they would rather start this thing clean, you know, and go in. But yet, these people have these letters in their hand. What are we supposed to do with them? We only have so much time to respond to them. I'll tell you my second point as far as process goes Personally, I think it's more of a subset. I think the first point, notice, is more of a subset of process. But when you hear the folks that I talk to, whether it be in my neighborhood or I talk to through, you know, years on land, they they see the two as separate. But I see them as really hand in glove because once you get that notice, now the process starts. And that process, once again, is laid out within our code that, hey, you need to write a letter, you need to write it to the planning department, whether it be, you know, some sort of objection, a protest, whatever. But once again, you know, these people are starting from zero. They don't even know what form that's supposed to take. Is an email okay? Or do I need to write it up in a form letter? And of course, Jeff would tell you email's fine. <laughs> you know, really? But they don't know that, right? You know, what am I supposed to say? Do I need to, you know, does it need to be like full of legalese? Do I need to actually cite to the code? All of these things. So I'm a big believer in public process. And a couple of times they would talk about how can we enrich that move the public process forward, get more people involved here. But when you're talking, the, the, the scenario you're describing of, you know, those different personas, are these people that have received notification and they're against something or these people have received a notification and they don't understand it and they wish to understand better so that they can decide whether they're for it or, or against it or. And I'm going to jump, I think I'm going to jump on one of Darren's lines, but I bet he would tell you that they would like to engage with neighbors and property owners on the front end because sometimes they don't know. They don't know whether they're for or against it. They just know something's happening, right? And so sometimes if the developer has already been there and has already conducted meaningful, you know, meaningful outreach with the stakeholders, once again, you know, neighbors, people within the, the protest zone, adjacent property owners, those questions might already have been answered. And so, great. And, and you know, ideally, that's how it would work is, you know, ideally what we would like is those people sending letters and protest that they actually have a better idea of what it is they're actually protesting. But sometimes 
that outreach hasn't happened or it hasn't happened meaningfully. And so you get people showing up that, you know, they're sitting there in front of the planning commission. And then for the first time, they're figuring out, oh, well, I'm actually okay with this. And I bet you like, you know, veteran guy like Jim can remember many times where it's actually the planning commission's the first time they actually get the whole picture, you know, from A to Z. And now having had that picture, oh, okay, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> right. And then they sit down and you're like, okay, well, it would have been better if we could have put the pin on that grenade earlier and not, you know, you know, this person wouldn't have had to come out tonight or spend five or 10 minutes, you know, of our public comment time talking about this. And so I think, I think that's a great question of yours, which is that in that outreach that we ideally would like to see between, you know, the applicant and, you know, the neighbors really, really can de-escalate a lot, you know, and just put away a lot of concerns you're if it's done meaningfully. Create some environment yeah. where you're, you're just going to be, you're going to be concerned. Right. Travis, what would our role be in that? Because I think we actually talked about, we started off talking about that this morning, was like people come before us and be like, this is the first time I've heard of it. And we're like, what all can we do to try to get the word out more? But I hear you talking about situations where they don't know, they might not know whether they're for or against it because they don't actually know what's happening till they get to the to the meeting, right? And so like, what are the kinds of things, obviously there's a lot of things that might be able to be done, but what can we do? Like, what, what's the role that- So, so there's, there's two answers. Once again, it goes back to meaningful engagement with, you know, those, you know, stakeholders that are nearby. And- I'll just tell you from my own experience, you know, like we had, you know, two rounds over in my neighborhood. I would, I would opine that the first round of developers did an excellent job of engagement. Did they end up satisfying us and keeping us, you know, from writing all the letters and everything like that and invoking process and having long meetings? No, it didn't. But I fully give them credit that I really think that they took the whole engagement process and dialogue process seriously. I would opine personally that the second group that came through, no, no, you know, you're peasants and, you know, we got this to do here. So, you know, I've seen it both ways personally, and I've certainly heard about it both ways. You're sitting there in land and hearing some of the stories that come in from the field when, you know, like, and one of the things that is great for land's membership is something happens and suddenly a neighborhood association that's been, you know, essentially dormant for 10 or 15 years suddenly wakes up and gets together and starts coming to land meetings because, you know, suddenly they want to go to, you know, the, this you know, night school for how to deal with, you know, my neighborhood's about ready to have X, Y, or Z built next to it. And they have the foresight to come to land knowing that there's going to be people there that can give them some situational awareness and some directions. But Chelsea, directly to your question. So that's sort of on the front end. And you guys don't have any, you can't control that. Right. You know, you're sitting there and a duly convened, you know, planning commission meeting. We got public comment going on, or we've got, you know, the applicant, we've got, you know, maybe those people in protest, you know, giving presentations to you. Here's what I would say, and I really thought about this because I didn't want to make Jeff or Becky regret inviting me today. <laughs> you know, start talking about stuff that's completely not, you know, uh, within the code. I think what I'm saying is is between the left and right boundaries of the code, which is 
you've got a power imbalance when you show up to the planning commission because you know typically you know the applicant on any sort of meaningfully sized project is going to not only have a professional like Darren there they might even have an attorney there as well that has extensive land land development you know experience as well and on the other side of it you've got people who maybe know what's going on and maybe they don't maybe they're just people who are here because they don't understand what's going on or they don't like it and they want they want to come and express their frustrations because they feel like the code isn't being used properly or you know the intensity of the use is inappropriate for you know this neighborhood any number of issues so they're there and you have this imbalance as far as being able to advocate as far as being able to give information well i'm certainly not throwing a ding at the planning commission or our land development code because the exact same thing goes on right down the street in the district courthouse where some plaintiff files a lawsuit and they go to court with their attorney and the respondent is there pro se representing themselves. How do you think that's gonna go? But that's our legal system and we've been running with it for you know 200 some years of this Republic. So it just, it is what it is. But different from the district court down the street, where really what you're supposed to have, you got a plaintiff, you got a respondent, and you got a judge in the middle calling balls and strikes, and that's it. I would opine that you guys are not only the adjudicator, but you are also the finder of fact. And you can sit there and you can help these people who are sitting there whether it be protesting or asking questions, you can help them. Because how many times, because I've spent years on the Board of Zoning Appeals, and so I'm seeing kind of some of the same situations that you guys might see, where I've got, you know, I've got somebody, a neighbor or property owner in front of me, and they're not happy about something, and they're giving me lots of information about A. But A isn't really relevant to what we're doing here this evening. They think it is. And so what I, you know, especially when I was chair, I would slow them down like, hey, you're giving me a lot of information about A, but let me just, you know, let you know, A isn't really what we're here to do tonight, you know, and then typically they'll immediately, they'll immediately say, well, well, what do you want to know? Well, you guys can ask that question. You are the finder of fact. And you can say, well, tell me about B and C. And they're like, well, all right, you know, and then you can get them going the right direction. You also can help tease out information that they don't know how to really get out there or they don't know is important. And so the they is the unrepresented. Absolutely. And so and the thing is, and I really like one time have I seen on the other side, have I seen an applicant sitting there get upset in this sort of process? And I think the way that you make sure that everybody's taken care of is you just circle back to them and make sure that they get a chance to get up again and, you know, and just, you know, kind of, you know, respond to some of the stuff that they've heard. And oftentimes staff will also want to be heard as well. And, you know, to keep things kind of light, you know, sometimes I kind of mess with staff a little bit, you know, be like, well, can staff be heard on this issue? No. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's kind of like the room. Can I add something to this? There's been a lot there. Thinking about process and all the notifications and different things. I think some of that, quite frankly, comes down to those who are going through the process and whether they're willing and thinking through and have the forethought, I guess is the word I would use, to how is this going to impact 
the neighborhood before you even think about doing an application. I guess I'm only going to speak for myself. And we've got some applications that you're going to see me coming up soon, and so are you for that matter, at the Board of Zoning Appeals. And I was approached by out-of-town developers to do some things. I knew where the project was going to be located. And before we even got too far down the lines, I said, okay, since I'm new and they wanted to think about engaging me to help them, I said, I'm local, Lawrence, blah, 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 all that. I live here. Have you talked to the neighborhood? No. First thing we need to do, talk to the neighborhood. Because I, before I get to any of you, I want to have all of that understood, worked out. What's the issues? How can we help? How can we find a solution? Because they're going to want to get their project done. The neighbors, like you say, want to know what's going next to my house or my backyard. We got to, everybody's opinion is valuable. And you got to find a way to listen and, and come to an agreement. Not everybody's going to be happy. I mean, that's that's just the real world. If I, if I could get that with my job, I would, I would be so happy. But <laughs> it's just not the way it is. But you got to listen to everybody's opinion and understand. And I think my point, I guess, with that is, I mean, I know what the notification is for pretty much every application we have to do. And that's set by the definition of what's in the code. I know 400 feet, 1,000 feet, whatever your application is. And, you know, if you're on that boundary line, you're not going to get it. But right. word will travel. So one thing I've encouraged is get it on Facebook. I contact the Neighborhood Association representative. Get an email out there because I, I don't know everybody that lives in that neighborhood personally. Get the word out. I want them to come to the meeting. If we're going to have a neighborhood meeting because I want to know what the challenges are. It helps me as a consultant build my scope of services to to understand what I'm going to need to do to get done before I've ever talked to anybody on this side of the table. And so I think some of that is, I don't think you're going to have this magic wand about everybody's going to get notified if we have 5,000 feet, you know, notifications. It's going to fall upon folks like myself and others who want to help to really be proactive. You said you kind of had both sides of the experience with yours. Good development, not so good. And I think, again, me personally, I, I want to know. I, wa I want to get the word out and communicate. You may not agree with me. You may not agree with the folks that are hiring me to help, but we need to understand what those concerns and challenges are so we can make a good decision to try to move forward uh, even before you know we submit an application because that's when, from a site plan standpoint, that's when I'm writing the letter and my name's on it. So if you Google their name, and you're going to find it thousands of applications that I've submitted all over the region under my name. But that's when they're, like you say, if they've never went to the meeting or they ever heard about it, that's when they're going to hear about it first and then get a, a letter that says a site plan has been submitted here within the 400-foot notification that's going to have blah, 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 blah. So I don't know, my two cents on that. Yeah, so that situational awareness goes both ways. It's one, you know, you can make the neighbors situationally aware about what's happening and maybe you know, if at the very least, you know, narrow the issues or at best, maybe some people go home and they're just all done. They're like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's good. But also the applicant is becoming aware. What are, where's the real speed bumps here or even the landmines? You know, what are these, what are those folks really, really keen in on? Because once again, that's going to help Darren be a better advocate and a better, you know, just, you know, a, a better Put together a better package, you know, to yeah. go into the planning commission. So, question: um, I mean, you, you you gave an example. You said we had a couple of issues. One where the developer came in and they did a good job of, of neighborhood engagement, and another one they 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 came in and they didn't engage at all. They just didn't care. 
way you described the outcome, though, you said, did it stop us from protesting, objecting to writing letters? No, it didn't stop it. So from an applicant's perspective, you know, seeing that, they might feel like there's no upside for them for the engagement. That's a whole separate question. Of what I really wonder is, and where this applicant engaged and where you engaged, do you get at better projects? Do you get at better results because of the engagement? Do you know what? You know, the first round that came through my neighborhood, you know, they wanted what they wanted. They wanted something really big. I mean, it was robust. It was like, you know, four or five stories, you know, two, four or five stories on this, on this, on this, uh, on this plot of land. Travis, can you just say what it was? Oh, it was over there at, uh, at Clinton Parkway and Crestline, uh, that nine acres over there. And they wanted to build like basically two big apartment buildings with like 500 bedrooms. And so they had good dialogue with the neighborhood, you know, and like their, I think like their executive vice president came in and he was, he was great to talk to and everything. Did it, it, it gave me respect for the developer, but it didn't really derail the protests that came from my neighborhood. But here's, I'm getting to the answer to this question, which is, so that we had a fairly, you know, substantive, a long, you know, meeting in front of the planning commission, and you know, we aired out all these issues, and ultimately the planning commission, you know, ended up voting against that application. Where did this engagement with this first developer help the second developer? Because I think the second developer was very wise, and I think he went through and watched you know, the YouTube video of this three hour, four hour meeting and figured out where all the landmines were. And so when the second developers came through three years later, their project was much, much more focused, much more laser focused. They, you know, would they have built a 500 bedroom, two giant buildings if they could? Yes. But instead, they came at the project a little differently. You know, they broke it into smaller units, 220 bedrooms, because that first round of engagement really, really helped them. So I, I would say, it, well, it was, and ultimately that, even though my neighborhood didn't want it, that project is better for my neighborhood than the first project and, you know, help the applicant put together a better application because once again, they saw what went wrong the first time through. Jim, would you agree? Is that, a, is that an accurate the recitation the first time through they got a 10-0 vote not to amend the comprehensive plan which stopped everything yeah second time it didn't even come to the planning commission because they found a route to avoid uh comp plan amendments yeah and they may, took advantage of contradictory definitions of duplexes in the code which will be corrected. Um, it sound like a better outcome to do this. Like, well, it, it's a better outcome from what the first one was. Yes. Is it appropriate? It didn't come through. It resulted it in a 3 2 vote in the city commission. It didn't come through the process the first one did for huh. public. So that engagement, I think you could objectively say that engagement on the front end benefited the second round for sure. Sure. It informed it. Right. Yeah. Well, now what I hear you saying is that the engagement between the parties before coming to the planning commission, before our role, was helpful and beneficial in informing what happened at the planning commission and then robust discussion either because of the planning commission or because the people were involved, then actually were helpful in the development process, in the planning process. 
in future developments in that area. Now, whether or not people use that to figure out how to skirt regulations and whatnot, like maybe that was wrong, but but the regulations allowed them to do that, right? The role of the planning commission, what I hear you saying, is by allowing the engagement, encouraging the engagement, engaging at the time, did ultimately help with a a long-term future project, which is like, that's what our role is. We can't help it if people go around our our regulations. That's part of of the role. I'm going to speak to that. Finding out how you can get to... Well, I was idealistically hoping that we would actually get to a better overall community the outcome. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, I, but that's what lawyers are going to do, right? Like, like, the, like I mean, but that's not our role. Like, the idea is, what is the role of the, like, what we're going to talk about is, what is the role of the planning commission? And ultimately, by being engaged, having people engaged, encouraging the engagement, the planning commission fulfilled its role. Now, should it be paying attention for people trying to skirt its regulations or whatever? If that's a function we're supposed to do, that's one, that's one thing. But I would hate to come away from this conversation thinking we shouldn't encourage engagement, we shouldn't engage, um, or oh, whatever, because people will listen to it and figure out how to get around it. I wish that I could give you a more bright line and happier version. But yet, you know, the reason you exist is because nuance exists. Right. Okay. And this is a nuanced example, right? And so I hope that, you know, I'm living up to my ability. That's giving me some information from, from, from the neighborhood's perspective. And I want to see, you know, my colleague here brought slides and I want to see him. So let me wrap up with this. And, and this, I think, speaks a little bit to what Jim is talking about. Our land development code is being looked at right now. And I think it will be, this is just me speaking, I think it will be substantively altered. All right. The nature of those alterations, I think a lot of stakeholders in the community, you know, whether it be planning staff, whether it be builders, developers, um, neighborhoods are all kind of arriving from their own origin points at this spot where they say we would prefer to limit cornfield expansion we would like to see infill development we would like to see mixed-use development because you know it would lead to you know more walkable communities and more density and things like that everybody is sort I think everybody's kind of arriving at that spot now and so we have the land development code being looked at I think there will be really, really substantive changes made to our to our land development code, which really is very much a product of, I mean, you guys would know better than me, but, you know, 40, 40 or 50 years of, you know, really rigid zoning and an emphasis towards keeping like things together. So here's single family residents, here's apartments, here's commercial, here's industrial, never shall the twain meet, you know? And now we're getting to a place where we're starting to think, maybe we need to start allowing some things to happen. Um, so what if, like right now, there's there's something going on over on Castle where some folks want to upzone a piece of land from single family to you know multifamily so they can put some duplexes in. That tracks really closely with what everybody's thinking about as far as creating density and whatnot. But the first thing that happened they ran into the neighbors. The neighbors are like, "Whoa! I've lived here for forty years. Yeah. This, this is an, this is, this is going to intensify 
the usage of this piece of land, which for 40 years, if anything was going to be built, it was going to be a single family home. And now you're telling me I get duplexes or triplexes. That conversation is not going to be unique if and when our land development coach shows up in 18, 24 months and allows that sort of shift to be done by right, which means it didn't go before you, it doesn't go before the BZA, it means that Jeff looks at the code, yep, <laughs> approved on the city commission, you know, barring a protest, you know? It's like the landscape is about to change, I think, a lot. And when the rubber meets the road, it's going to create some interesting things because it's one thing to be really supportive. But, you know, what if somebody you know, wanted to build an Amazon distribution warehouse on that nine acres of land next to my warehouse, next to my neighborhood you know, with, with light truck traffic coming in and out? It's like, well, I guess it's better than building it on the outside of town and extending services out to it. But then again, it's right next to my neighborhood. And, of course, that's almost kind of like a, high, a hyperbolic sort of, you know, I mean, illustration, but yet this recodification is going to change things, I think, a lot. And it's going to be really interesting, you know, how all these stakeholders came together and created this change, but then do they all suddenly retreat to their corners where, you know, we have electeds being afraid of, you know, angering, you know, their constituents? Do we have neighborhoods suddenly walling up and saying, hey, it's fine if you do it over in East Lawrence, but don't do it in West Lawrence. Don't even think about it. You know, it's like a lot, a lot of interesting things could happen. And I think that potentially it could affect what even comes before your body, right? Yeah. And it'll certainly affect what comes before the BZA. And it will affect how Jeff and Becky you review things that come across their desks because things that have high bars right now might be by right here in 18 months so let's pause there and go to darren yes <laughs> um and uh i think you have, you have some slides to yes yeah. becky's going to pull those up and i don't have like 100 now it's a great conversation for everything 150 slides to put you to sleep here or anything <laughs> some of this <laughs> is more so uh <laughs> becky had asked me to come in and talk a little bit about what is process kind of look like when somebody engages us as a consultant from start to finish. So a little bit about myself, just so you, you know, I'm, I'm with Barlett West. I'm a vice president, senior product project manager. My training is a lands, professional landscape architect. Uh, so I work mostly in the land development space, which crosses over planning, landscape architecture, civil engineering, and all of that. So Getting her going. Just a second. It's okay. From beginning, yeah. So, and I've I've lived here for about twenty four years, doing the same thing. I love. I actually love what I do. Believe it or not, if uh, if you think this is stressful, I, I really love what I do. Uh, I like helping folks create a vision. I like helping our communities be leaded toward a better, toward a better tomorrow, and just kind of. Solving problems. I mean, that's what we do. We're, we're problem solvers and trying to help folks move forward. So, sorry, Darren. Jeff, we're going to switch. Darren, Jeff, okay. sharing screen. For some reason, I can't. You can't share. I'm sharing, but I can't get it to show. Um, the addition mode. Yeah. Technical difficulties. <laughs> User error. I'm sure. No problem. Second. 
I, I can keep talking while they're while they're kind of getting some of this going. So just to, again a little bit about so you kind of understand my background. So I dabble in all kinds of different things. Might be a landscape master plan. Uh, for example, you'll see some of the items that are shown on the screen. I work with the city of Lawrence on the creation and the infrastructure for all of Lawrence Venture Park. Figuring out how, what, what the lot size is going to be, where the roads are going to be, the infrastructure. And I've touched every building that has been built in Lawrence Venture Park to date and more more still to come here, hopefully in the near future. I mean, that's an industrial side of things, but then multifamily, single family, somebody wants to build, you know, Burger King, Wendy's, help with the Lawrence Library. So a pretty cross diverse section of things. And those are just from our, our firm, Bartlett and West does everything from, from soup to nuts. I mean, wastewater treatment plants, roads, streets, bridges, biogas. That's not there in the world per se. I'm I'm in the land development space. So so that's where I live. Yeah. Got that? Is that shown on the screen now? Okay. So those are just a small list of some of the things that I've been involved in. Again, I was involved in the parks and rec master plan back in 2017 as well. So we can kind of move forward here fairly quick. And again, thinking about, so when somebody comes to, you know, whether I've made the engagement, somebody's called me out of left field. I mean, it's all over the board, really, how we get business. Uh, I'm proactive in that and spending a lot of my time doing the business development right now, as well as project management. But what I've listed on the screen there uh, is, is really start to finish. And I'll kind of walk you through this real briefly. So, you know, we start some, we're made aware of that somebody wants to do something. And then we move into a variety of steps and what i've highlighted there is the planning commission meeting which is really quite honestly probably the first time you would ever maybe hear of the project see myself or learn about what's going on in advance of staff packets that would be put out in advance of the meeting so there's a lot that goes on before we get to you and there's a lot that goes on after we get to you and one thing i do want to point out this isn't in a vacuum meaning this is not just this is the only way it works. You know, it depends on, is it a rezoning? Is it in, is it an industrial park? Is it a lot that's already zoned? I mean, it's all over the board here, but this is trying to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what I'm engaged in. Go to the next slide. So site due diligence, I don't know if you even understand what that means when we start to talk about uh, getting engaged with neighbors or even maybe before we do, we help the client understand and we're looking at all these things that are on the screen right there to see if the project really is even viable with what they're looking at doing. I mean, they could have bought a piece of property that wasn't disclosed to them that was an old landfill. And they're either gonna pay a ton of money to, to clean it up, do structural footings, or even get it to work. So we spend a lot of time with clients helping understand that. So you can go to the next slide. There's a lot of different elements there. And then from that, probably just click through these maybe every 20 seconds is uh, for at least the next five or six. So conceptual ideas in what, what does that mean? So these, these first three are actually looking at an industrial park where super high level, they had multiple hundreds of acres and how could they get the most value, you know, fit flexibility, value, long-term solutions in this particular location. Uh, to bring businesses into the park. So we're, you know, these are just sketches. They're coming up with ideas so that the client understands that. This is at a huge scale. And then you get to something like, no, you're good. You get to something like this, which is putting up a new bank on a site with an adjacent lot. 
So lots of different options. How can we accommodate the drive-through? Where's the neighbors? Does it meet the setbacks? And then we talk with the client about all of these different options. We may have renderings because they're going to market and fundraise. Again, it's all over the board, depending on where they're at in stages. Some clients have all the funding, some have to get the funding, some are gonna fundraise. So from a timeline perspective too, when, I, when you look at that entire list, it's not, well, that's a 30-day, 60-day process. It could be multiple months to multiple years to really do all of that. Um, I'd say typically, probably engaged on the design side is somewhere between three to six months is where we are. You start to look beyond that, then you get into construction and other things that are after approvals. So when we've done those first items there, talked about understanding what their vision is, Maybe can it work? We have a concept that feels good to the client. We would have a pre-application meeting that I would set up with one of the staff members. And right now that's done virtually, which actually has worked out really well because a lot of times clients are out of town. They have a small window and they can just zoom in, right? And we can pull everybody in. Staff is kind of spread out all over. So it works really well. And at that stage, it's important for me to understand what are the concerns on this, I'll call this side of the table from, from staff. I've went through the code, made interpretations, trying to help the client understand this is what I think some of the things we're gonna have as challenges, but I wanna make sure I understand when we get the utilities department or the fire department or the planning department or everybody, so that I have that feedback to help them walk through the process as smooth as possible. As Travis was talking about, you know, bigger projects, I want to engage the neighborhood early. I want to understand those concerns so we can start to try to help them. Again, we may not be in agreement, but some folks just don't want it. I mean, that's the answer. Well, that's not the answer any development team is going to listen to. We own the property. We have the right to develop. It may be zoned appropriately. How can we get it done? Neighbor doesn't want it. Guess who's in the middle? Me and you basically, to be quite blunt about it. I'm trying to help navigate how we can come to a solution so they can still build their project. And the neighbor may or may not be happy. And sometimes they're, they're period, they're not happy. They're not gonna want it. Other times, well, what can we do to come to a solution that we can at least do X, Y, or Z to try to navigate and everybody can move forward. So, and that's when it gets to you. So I guess I stop at that point because why do I want to engage the neighbors early and understand? Because I do not want to be discussing all of those things down to the, you know, what double section is it in the code in front of you? I want all that worked out. I want to present a project to you that really hopefully makes sense, meets the code, has staff support. The neighbors hopefully are in support, but maybe they may not be. But if they're not, here's the two issues we need to talk about not 47 issues that we've never brought up or never heard about from the neighbors because we didn't take the time to bother to understand it. You know, this is when meetings go to 1.30 in the morning is when we're talking about all of these things that nobody ever thought about before. But are there gonna be issues? Sure. But I want, I want to get that and get to that point and you'll be able to make a decision based on informed and educated decisions that, that we've all talked about and go from there. But anyway, so, get to that point, we have some of those decision-making factors that were on that last side that we're thinking about. And then this chunk right here, 
after we meet with staff, we go through as consultants, start putting plans together, which is typically a design development stage. We would do the planning submittal, whether that's rezoning, a site plan, a BZA application, maybe multiple, kind of depends on. Uh, we would get comments back, address them, resubmit. And hopefully when we're to that stage, you'll get a staff report about what's coming in front of you, depending on whatever that project is, will be put on the agenda. And then we will present to you why we believe our project should be approved. And hopefully we have staff support. That's always my goal. I want to do something that's supported. Sometimes it's not. And then we're going to have to have a discussion about that. So then that highlighted area right there, after all of that, and again, generally, by the time we get to you, I've already spent three months on the project, just generally speaking, roughly, because some of it is just purely notice. We submit it might be six weeks before it even gets to an agenda because of public notice requirements. Then we would have the planning commission meeting. You can move ahead. And then you know, you've all seen a site plan, but this is, we'd, we'd like to have a lot of detail at that time. We'd have studies, drainage studies, traffic studies, sewer studies, whatever it is. This actually is the, uh, the DECA project that we just finished up here not too long ago in Lawrence. It's under construction along 23rd Street and now 23rd and Harper, if you're not familiar with it. So what stage of the, like, because there's sometimes where we don't require a traffic study. What would trigger a traffic study, Jeff? Like, why would we need some in some cases and not in other cases? It's going to be mainly a derivative factor of what MSO is going to be calling for as part of that. There's different levels of traffic studies you can run into. There's the nicknames forum is full blown and seven step. And seven step is a real quick analysis. And a lot of times some of these projects won't require it, uh, a full blown. And there's some that will just require the whole thing. And that's in there, correct me if I'm wrong, that can take months depending upon what's in that program and scope. So yeah. that's why we kind of look yeah. at the detail, but it's mainly going to be in a site plan or a special use or something like that. You won't see that typically as part of planning in some instances. I you won't see it as part of zoning in almost all instances. I see. Right. I see. Okay. Right. Yeah. So a seven step traffic study is, is, is always required for a site. It's like uh, Jeff had mentioned, it's going through the first seven steps of the ordinance and putting that together. If you generate more than 100 trips at peak times, it would trigger a full one, which is you're going out, get car counts. And, uh, you know, the study goes from this to about this. Just lots and lots of data. And it's not an exaggeration on size. It's not. It's just lots and lots of charts and so forth. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 yeah, they're, yeah. read them at about 1030 at night, <laughs> read those. But I mean, it, it's it's a matter depending on what you're doing. So those earlier stages like Lawrence Venture Park, because you're putting brand new arterials and collectors are going to be taking trucks and we're anticipating 10 businesses are going to have 3000 jobs. Right. You're going to do a full study. Sure. I mean, you don't even need to do the seven step. You're going to do the full study. something like this because that's 23rd Street on the top of your screen and Harbor to the left, there's already a full signal there. Mm. It, it looks at where's your entrance and exit going to be, how many employees you're going to have, how many trips. Again, when I say peak times, it's 7 to 9 a.m. and 4 to 6 p.m., the major traffic times. And if it trips that threshold, we'll have to study it further. <laughs> but if not, then it's just a part of the study that's approved. It's already <laughs> Right, right. And again, it's all over the board, depending right. on where you're at. Greenfield site development, why not have a traffic signal out there? Going to be a different right. discussion as right. opposed to like something in this location where the site existed, traffic was there, 
It was, it was fairly straightforward. You can go on to the next slide. So then again, we get to this point where all of these things come in front of you and the items that may come up as an issue are, again, could be all over the board. Mm -hmm. You know, I want more trees in my backyard. How are you going to handle drainage? The lights are too bright. How much traffic, how much pedestrians are going to be, you know, everybody thinks a new development goes up and you're going to have 50 people walking around your backyard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you never know. The, the issues are all over the board. But again, from a neighborhood perspective, at least I'm only speaking for myself and my my company, is we want to understand those things and then talk with neighbors and those that are adjacent about it so we can help address those. Again, they may not like the development period because mm -hmm. it's... I think the comment was already made. There's a piece of green land there. And I've heard this. I couldn't you know, fight a nickel every time I've heard, well, nobody's going to build there. <laughs> but I would say from that standpoint, you can do anything for money. I mean, the, the plain and truth, simple answer is you can do anything for money when it comes to development. I can build a wall and make a piece of ground that looks like this flat if they want to pay for it. So I'm not saying how that impacts the zoning code, but if you think about from engineering you can spend a lot of money to make things work. And, and we run into that a lot. So I, I just say that from the frame of reference, no matter where you live, what you do, if that nice green field is right next to you and you think it will never be built, don't ever think that's possible because you can do, you can do a lot of cool, crazy engineering things if people want to spend the money for it. But anyway, topic aside. So we have the planning commission meeting. Let me get through the rest of this so you can ask other questions. Then beyond that, you know, Hopefully, I'm in front of you and you'll recommend approval. We'll help our client move down the road. Sometimes you're the last stop. Sometimes you're the first stop. Hard to say. If we have to take something to the city commission, I'm always open for unanimous, not an 010, a 10O. So it gets put on a consent agenda. feels like it's a good fit. And if there's really no protest to something you did with that you know, rubber stamp and you move on, we don't even have to present it to the city commission because it'll be put on a consent agenda unless it has public right of way or something that has to be dedicated and we move on down the road if not and there's a lot of contentious items then again we're going to be doing the same thing in front of the city commission and, and trying to count to three i guess is the the true word about it we need to get to three otherwise we, we go nowhere and beyond that uh construction documents is how the contractor would build them we would bid it out if they don't already have their pricing select a contractor get a permit start construction so Again, I think part of that is, and I hope I conveyed what you're wanting me to kind of show from a consultant side, mm -hmm. there's a lot of steps, long timeline, and that one window where you see me potentially is one night for a few hours, and all of this other stuff pre and post is going to happen in order to make that, mm -hmm. uh, make that project move forward or not. So, and I think that was what I, what I had, so I hope that was helpful, and I'd be glad to Continue the discussion or answer any questions about any of that as well from my perspective. Like I said, I love what I do. It's fun. It's a challenge, but what do you uh, what do you do to prepare for a planning commission meeting? Great question. Um, well, number one, I read the staff report. So and understand what staff is, you know, there's been a lot of time on those staff reports. I'm like, wow, you guys do spend a lot of time on that. There is so much data in that staff report. Uh, sometimes it's almost overwhelming when you when you read through that. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, 
But I guess when you think about it, when I when I've just showed that timeline, I've been talking to Becky or Sandy or, or Avery, whoever it is, for months already. So you can see there's a lot of data and discussions are crammed into, you know, 10 pieces of paper on every topic from here to the sun that needs to be understood. It's not just, well, we want to want to build a bank. So can you can you give me approval? So it's all these other factors that come into play on that. But I read the staff report. Uh, if I know there's going to be a contentious issue, uh, I will make sure I'm well prepared to understand, to present, I'll say, our case. And sometimes, to your point, whether it's myself, uh, or the technical representatives from the engineering planning side to answer questions, sometimes an attorney will present, sometimes the applicant will, or uh, the owner will present, excuse me, sometimes I will present it. It's, again, it's kind of depending on which direction they want to go, but just making sure, I like to make sure I give you enough data to, to be able to know where, where the project, what's going on, the key factors. But I'm not, I don't want to stand up there and you know, bore you to death and go over, well, this is why I turned the curb inlet a little bit down so we can drain. And, and you know, you don't want to hear all that broad strokes. You know, was it, if there was a concern with why there's so many cars coming out of this driveway to make a safe movement or headlights coming into a neighbor's yard, how do we address that? Because we heard that, but we put screening there, what we can within the code so forth and so on. Uh, so it, it, it kind of depends on the project too, but I want to make sure we provide a good outline, a good overview, factual information, and then present our case to, to why we believe it should be approved moving forward. That's what I find so valuable about having met the neighborhoods beforehand and having those discussions is even if um, some people come to the planning commission and maybe they haven't read the staff report. Uh, maybe they haven't been to the meetings. There's a good concern that's going to be brought up that you will have heard before. So in the meeting, I know that if there's a concern, it's a letter about traffic, about lights. I will ask you what you've done to address it. And you're ready Correct. with an answer, regardless of whether that individual has heard that before that individual will hear it in that meeting. Yeah. Even if they haven't read it in the staff report. Right. Well, the last thing I want to hear from you is, have you met with the neighbors? <laughs> no, no, never talked to them. <laughs> you know, and what what do you think is going to happen on, on our side? You're going to go, well, what are you doing? Well, why not? If I go back and meet with the neighbors and could then bring it back in front of us after you've had a, a discussion about what's going on. I do not want to ever be put in that spot. Right. I will say sometimes consultants are driven by our clients as well. Uh, I mean, we're not lemmings, but they do pay our bill, so to speak. And there's a certain point of view, I guess I will use the word that they want to have conveyed. Now, I'm never going to do anything unethical or step over my own personal integrity to do things that I don't believe about that. Because I, again, I want to find people that want to work with me and do things the way I would encourage them to do. But, you know, you've ran into some, I met with the neighbors, one group did, one group said no, but group number two did listen to a three to four hour planning commission and understand, okay, you know, all right, let's go down. These are, these are the things. We can't answer these things. We're not getting any further than group A. You know what? To answer that larger question is it's sort of, it's interesting. You know, what if that first group had really listened? Because I think during that, you know, long planning commission meeting that night, probably was was said a couple times 
um, during discussions, like, listen, if these folks had come in here and built what we thought would be built here for the last 40 years, which is just, you know, light offices and duplexes and triplexes, you'd never hear from us. And the thing is, is three years later, that one little sentence, you know, may have been very meaningful to the second applicant because it's like, wait a minute. You know, instead of building two gigantic apartment buildings here, what if we came at this more like this? Because that really kind of, you know, steals their thunder and whatever. And, you know, I, you know, and I'm just, who knows? Who knows? But the thing is, is there were some things, and we said the same thing to that first applicant, which is this isn't what we expected. Two giant apartment buildings, 500 bedrooms. You know, we thought we were getting duplexes and triplexes, maybe a doctor's office, you know? It's like, even though they were doing a really good job of meeting with us, maybe they weren't doing a good job of listening to us, you know? Isn't that kind of strange? So, no. It's no, we'll do it. <laughs> it, depends, it depends on who they're working. It always depends on who they're working. Because you find a difference if it's all outside coming in and yeah. we just want to ignore your code and change it to make it work for what we want. Yeah, they get one reaction. If it's if it's a local group that knows and goes through steps, you can see the difference. Different oh, yeah. See the difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, you get a different reaction of who's presenting sometimes. But you know, if it's actually the, the consultants or the, the engineer. It's a different ballgame because they can actually answer the questions, and you and you're going to build up. You're going to start to know who who's following our rules and who just wants to bend our rules or break our rules. Would you be an advocate of a required public meeting? A required public meeting? I guess I would answer it this way. I think there are times when that's not necessary. to be quite frank about it. If there's a zoned one lot in a planned commercial district or restaurant X, why do they need to have a public meeting? Yeah. I mean, if that stones the code, in the context of, yeah. of a, a project with neighborhood impact, would you be an advocate of a required meeting? That, that would that would yes. give you then the opportunity to I, say to anyone yeah. that's coming at you, hey, it's, yeah. it's a requirement. Yeah. The consultant world and other developers that are listening may say, well, why would you say yes? But I would say yes. And there are communities that have that. And I guess those that argue against it, does it cost money? Yes, it costs money yeah. because they're going to pay me to go out there and figure this out. But again, in my opinion, one meeting, get the input, understand what your challenges and opportunities are with those folks is going to pay dividends tenfold way down the road than just saying, you know, Aaron asked me, did you ever to meet with the neighbors? Nope. Well, I kind of wonder about that, though, because like, I'll be honest, like it means more to me when someone can come and say, yes, we've worked with the neighbors. We actually work with them a lot. We couldn't reach a consensus. They're still not happy with what we want, but we've met with them. That means a lot more to me because I know they didn't have to. I will say that, like, if you were to just have one, it comes back to the listening, right? What Travis was talking about. Like, if, if you're meeting with them, but you're not listening to them, that, that means something different to me. Like, it doesn't mean you have to do everything they want, but, but, um, so I, I think, I think that's kind of an interesting 
idea. And I mean, not that you couldn't have follow-ups that were then genuine and that were then that that expressed a genuine interest it, to follow up. Does it matter up, the but... reason why they started, but why they had the meeting as long as the questions were answered, the process was informed, the neighbors became engaged, they were pre-informed, no surprises. Well, I think that assumes that the neighbors are going to feel like they were engaged and allowed to play into the process, right? That. So, um, so the meeting is genuine and yeah, allows right. for that. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's my, my take would be just a genuine place for the, to, for people to be heard and felt like they were heard. And I'm not saying I'm, I would never be against having like people meet, but, but to me that does, that does, if someone's telling me that I have to do something is very different than me deciding to do it. And then what I do with that information, maybe there are communities to, to your question. Though, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, no, no. that it's required. Well, I know that yeah. flat out it's in the code. You have to have one. Right. Yeah. doesn't matter what you're doing. When I talked to, to when I talk to people in that environment. They, they like that because it does kick off a process that they, they say to me that it gets into a better project. And I would also say kind of from the, um, well, I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I like to use words like equity, right? But just from a sort of fairness sort of point of view, which is, and Darren, Darren, um, he, he spoke about this just a minute ago, which is, you know, before that letter goes out, right? There's always, there's already been extensive meeting with staff, right? I mean, this thing might have been kicked around for, you know, 90 days, 180 days or more, you know, extensive meeting. But then suddenly, you know, a, you know, a property owner gets a letter and they've got, you know, how many days to respond? 14 or 30? It depends on which one it is, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. But I mean, so way 270 days worth of engagement with staff back and forth versus you need to get situationally aware and you need to respond, you know, and you've never done this before and you need to do it within 14 to 30 days. And the thing is, is what would be really cool and can really kind of take some tension out of things, which is just good, whether you guys are going to reach an agreement or not, it's good, is if you have a developer reaching out early in the process, because now people are aware, or they've certainly had the opportunity to be aware, hey, you know, come and talk with us. We're going to, you know, we're going to meet, you know, at this church, or we're going to meet, you know, we'll set up a Zoom meeting, and make sure that people can actually talk in the Zoom meeting. Don't just put mute and just talk at them for 30 minutes and turn it off. You know what I mean? But it's like you've alerted the neighbors, and it's like when the letter shows up, you know, they're not just completely gobsmacked and like, what? Well, I think that would be the thing of the requirement at that the, time. The anxiety, which is good for your all-night meetings. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Having a requirement before the notice, like a required public meeting before this notice or before you're already so far yeah. into the process. Yeah. I mean, very early. Yeah. You actually meet with the neighbors before the required notice? or Sometimes I meet one before I write a scoop. Gotcha. Uh, what I'm going to do to even help the developer, gotcha. uh, because that's what, it, and again, it's situation. Right, right, right. Again, if it's one acre lot, you're putting a restaurant on already zoned and it's expected to be there. I mean, right. It, it makes sense that it's, I, I don't think I need to notify right. 2,000 square foot area yeah. because of that. But the castle situation that's currently being discussed in the community, others like, absolutely. Why would you? Why would you not? Yeah. Um, uh, to, to have something like that and get that conversation going. Yeah. And again, we've had a couple of things come up that I think are somewhat slam dunks. Yeah. Still had a neighborhood meeting. 
had one person show up, a recent one. We sat there for an hour and talked to anybody if they would have came in. One person showed up and he's like, well, what can I help you with, sir? And he's like, well, I just want to know, what are you doing? And okay, we walked and so he's like, oh, that's cool. I'll be able to use that. And I said, well, if it's proved, you will. Hey, that's great. I was the only person we had to show up at the meeting. So, um, hey, how, do you, that, how do you advertise that stuff? Like, you know, th that's what becomes a challenge, yeah. right? So, what we did in that, we used the notification area, talked to the neighborhood representative to try to put it on Facebook as best we can. Right, because, you right. know, there's not a billboard flashing in KU, right, that says neighborhood right. meeting for here or whatever. It's a newspaper anymore. And right. So, if there was a Part of process, a part of the process, then you could engage neighborhoods and neighborhoods could help drive. I mean, there's ways to, to build on something as long as it's predictable and always there. Yeah. What's frustrating on our side is when we put that opportunity out there and then Nobody never heard anything, yeah, yeah. staff's right. never and been commented, and then people show up. Right. At the last minute. And then they're, they're mad because we don't have enough screening on their side of the street. I'm like, yeah, and there's a continuum. I mean, some neighborhoods are easier to get in touch with than the others. I mean, they just are. Where it's like yeah. you've tried to engage, but you know, it's like there's no one on the end of the phone. And then there's like you know neighborhoods like mine, where it's like I'm sure Jeff is like this when he pushes the email. And he's like, oh god, here we go. <laughs> 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 and there's everybody in the toy. Well, this just seems like another reason to have a required meeting earlier because there are certain neighborhoods that have the ability to engage in the process at different points or whatever, right? And to take advantage of certain things, whereas when some don't, then having required one would at least maybe get to some who don't. Putting that in that duty sounds one six land development mm -hmm. code, the required meeting. Uh -huh. It didn't end up there after the city commission. Um, but I think if there is a requirement for a meeting that ends up in a code, there should be triggers for it. Thresholds. Yeah. Threshold for you know what is the perceived impact of this project? Because yeah, you're and right. Something that's already expected, and you just have to change from commercial to right. Like whatever else, then do the same thing because of what the permitted uses in the zoning category. Yeah. That doesn't make much sense. And I've talked to planners who have those those items over there. They are those mandatory meetings and things. And one one of the things they worry about is you you just flood people with meetings and yeah. then they don't go because it's this is it's one this week and then there's a really important one and it gets lost in the flood of the other things coming. So that's something you always kind of worry about when you send a lot of notices or have a lot of things. People might not just it's like, I won't say junk mail, but it's kind of like that. It's the same thing again. And they just don't recognize that that might be the one that's really important. So it's, you got to kind of want to choose and pick which one gets out there at that point. And I'm sure Darren's heard us say this a thousand times is one of the first questions planning staff will ask in a preamp is, have you met with the neighborhood? And I think we all got our own way of saying that, but it's, that's one of the things we always ask first thing is because if not, we're going to, we're going to advocate for that. It's not, because the code says it, but because of all the reasons we kind of highlighted here. And so there's, it's got pros and cons and, it's, and you got to think about it in, in two ways, but it's, you know, there's a whole range of communities that do a lot of different things on those fronts. Even the students, we spent what? Most of a whole meeting on just notice of yeah. potential solar, large scale solar. Yes. 
Good. And the pros and cons of certified mail as people regular mail and persons, yeah. You know, pretend they didn't see them, and so they never sign <laughs> for them. I mean, this the notice requirement is insane. I mean, yeah. it's just hard to get information. Folks, I hate to once again. I, I owe an obligation of timekeeping here, and we're uh, we've run a little bit long, which is great. The conversation has been fantastic. I want to thank you both. Thank you. For thank being you here, um, and uh, maybe we can repeat this down the road. Um, sure. Absolutely. As our worlds change, so thank you, thank you very much for being here. Thank yeah. you all for. If you ever have any questions, you've got. I mean, my email and so forth. You feel free to reach out. I'll be glad to. Thank you. Give you my opinion or or whatever as well, or if you have questions, mm -hmm. we'll try to help. So yeah, for those of us that were new, it was really nice to hear your perspectives and the things you're yeah. anticipating, changing and whatnot. And we'd love to have an ongoing conversation as those changes happen. For those of us who aren't new either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose today. <laughs> well, I'll see you on Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right, team. Um, we've got about six minutes left on our planned time. Uh, it's fine if we want to run long, but there are really two items left on the, 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 to wrap up. One was to validate if uh, we have open questions left on the board. Um, what I, here's what I'd ask on that. Just because of time, what I'd ask is if there's anything on that board that we don't like, for example, we didn't get to smart code much today. Um, let's identify those and put those on uh, the next mid-month list of items to discuss. That's okay with you. Could we also open it up to other questions we may Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Let's, let's add or, or highlight. Yeah. Comment. Smart code. It's on our agenda next Wednesday. Don't. Don't try to understand the smart code. It's impossible. The language is totally different from a regular land development code. You use transects and so don't voting categories. Just look at it and I saw some stuff there. Think about it's amendments. <laughs> you don't try to understand the smart code. The question is whether to amend. I actually have a procedural question for yeah. coming up a little bit, just not just because our meetings are next week, but just in general for meetings. Um, I often, and it was prompted by something the land representative said, is I often find that you go through the procedure where you have the applicant present, um, then there's public comment, and then the applicant responds, and then it comes back to the commission. And then you see in the audience, People responding, you know, the public usually like, oh, oh, I have something else to say. And oh, oh, oh. and you hate to, you can't just open it all up again. I mean, I, I certainly don't feel it. So that's what I was going to say. One of the things I would like to say in this group is in order for them to participate, it takes a question from the commissioners. Yes. Mm. To get, if you really want to hear from that person, I can't just call on them and say, what do you have to say? I see. It takes a, a question from a commissioner to bring that person up if you want to hear There's what they say. In the meeting, and once you close public comment, to yeah. public comment back up. So I really struggle with ignoring them. Yeah, I see. But do we need to give the applicant equal time on? Questions at, at that point, or it's just it's, we're seeking information, right? Seeking information. Okay. Yeah, your bylaws are structured to have 
presentation and the applicant and public comment, and there's a rebuttal period for the applicant to respond. That's where your bylaws end at that point. Now, if there's questions or discussion or more information, you can certainly ask questions of the applicant, the public, fellow commissioners, staff at any point along the way. But that's kind of, to Randy's point earlier, those boundary laws that are set up in your bylaws for how that interaction occurs is established and set. Correct. I suppose someone has their hand up. You could ask the question, what do you want to say? But, <laughs> but, no, because then they'll just start talking. It's like popcorn. It, it, yeah. It will, it, it still opens the yeah. door back up. So I, pr I should probably, probably the next one. if it looks like that's something that could happen, I should probably say something up front yeah. about the procedures that would I, mean, yeah, I always thought you know, that it doesn't part through the procedures. Yeah. yeah. Probably it depends. I guess the rule of thumb that some of us have used in the past. But how many people are in the room for the topic and whether or not to get you already have a feel of the public comment and yeah. We can ask anything of anyone. Yeah, yeah but that's that's what I would count on. If there's a bunch of people in the room, then I, I need to count on everybody to ask a question to bring those people forward. During the public comment period. Yeah. No, no, no. After. Oh, even okay. After. after. Yeah. Okay. After. When it comes back to the commission. When it comes back to the commission, we we can ask questions of anybody. anybody. Mm -hmm. And okay. watch now since we're in the room again. Mm -hmm. It's helpful that you can watch body weight. Mm -hmm. So if you can see the applicants, so it's like yeah. But I can't just call on them. No, but you're gotcha. going to have an idea of what what they're responding to, so you can ask, "Could you respond to that?" It has to be a specific question. It can't be just, uh, "What What are you thinking?" What or what's on you your? Tell yeah, you can't. Can. <laughs> no, I asked. I'll say I'll you. I asked something. I could tell that somebody wanted to say something more. I yeah. asked a question that was pretty open ended. I mean, I wanted to know what that person. Sure. I, my question was really more like, I can tell you have something more you want to say, and I want to know what that is. Sure. I, maybe that was a wrong question, <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have a specific question. Right. I just was like, but then I feel like we have to be prepared to go, right, to go to, on. To, to, yeah, for it to go. Yeah. A closing public comment. Yeah. And open it back up. But somebody's got their hand up and they, they want to jump in on something someone else has said. Yeah. I mean, I don't, so the person that hadn't necessarily, um, I could tell by their body language, I don't know that they raised their hand, but I definitely um, wanted to hear from that person because of that person's role in the, in the process. So I'm, um, I would guess I push back a little bit on that saying, like, I'm not opening up, meaning I want to hear what everybody in the room who wants to say something wants to say, but there was someone who was specific role in that or something that they had said before made me want to know what their follow-up was. But if you're telling me that if I say something that broad, I'm opening up public comment, then I, I want to know that. I don't think the room. No, I, I, mean, I don't mind opening it. Sometimes, right, there are people Usually, somebody from the neighborhood you know has been greatly involved, like, like representing the neighborhood association. Got Ted Boyle there. I would feel more comfortable if the question was addressed to that person in that way. I understand that you are a representative of the blah, 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 but as opposed to, gee, you're jumping around in your seat. I see you have something to say because then if if I'm in the audience and you've let that person just say something, I'm going to start doing this too. Yeah, but I, think, I mean, I don't know because I haven't gone through all the procedures, yeah. but I, I would just, yeah. 
I'm assuming that there's some kind of procedure that after public comment makes it so that a commissioner can recognize someone and then unfortunately they can choose not to recognize someone if public comment is closed. Not that I would ever want to do that, obviously. Like, and if somebody started dancing, yeah. around, I would probably yeah. ask them, you know. Um, so I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, I guess I'll just have to think about how, because I don't want to be opening the floor to everyone or not, or excluding anyone. Right. I don't want anyone to feel like they don't, um, but if they're dancing around their seats, they have something to say. I guess I kind of want to hear it. <laughs> but, um, so, so here's what I would here's what I'd say just to, to bring us to a close here. If we have any other questions that you want follow up on, or there's new questions to add, please after we close, go ahead and uh, and uh, write them on the board or give them to Becky. Or email contact me later if you think of something. Okay, that'd be great. That. We'll also say um, that uh, we've updated our midnight calendar on the website. We are not going to have a meeting in November for midnights. Um, so we, the next mid-month meeting will be in December. And uh, what uh, right now that is will be um, uh, wind regulations will be coming up. It'll be a study session for those uh, county wind regulations, that meeting. If anybody liked the format of today's meeting and what went on today, thank Becky. Mm -hmm. um, she did a fantastic job of that. You mm -hmm. didn't like the execution. That's all I want. <laughs> I think you both did a wonderful job. Thank you. Okay. And with that, uh, unless there's objection, I'll adjourn this uh, meeting. All right, we're adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.